This is an Age of Sigma podcast, which may contain explicit language. Okay, hello, it's episode two. Um, welcome everybody. Um, just at the start of this episode, um, we thought we would kind of take some time um, to just lay out our plans, I guess, for episode format um, and things like that going forward as um, I think I feel we both rushed over it a little bit in the first episode. So now that we're an established podcast and all that. <laughs> Professionals now. Um, after uh, one episode, um, we just wanted to kind of set out our goal um, and kind of, yeah, episode format and things going forward um, as James is going to be going on a ship for at least six months. Yeah, I'm going to be away for for a while this year, so I unfortunately won't be able to to uh, record as often as I'd like. I might be able to get some Skype action in every now and then, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the... Um, we're going to try our best to kind of keep up with a two-host format, um, so you don't all get sick of my voice. Um, just talking at you on my own, um, like whenever we can catch James, we'll do our best to kind of record via Skype and everything when he's in a hotel if we can. Um, but otherwise, the plan will be to try and make use of other people in the local scene that we play Warhammer with regularly that do their own things. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of great guys out there uh, who. Uh, contributing to the community and have yeah, I think it'd be great to get a lot of uh, yeah, input from our local scene especially and yeah I think yeah, it's just, a good way to get everyone involved and keep everyone engaged and yeah just leverage those people that are already doing things I know we've got a guy that's already doing his own YouTube battle reports and stuff like that so looking at you Eric <laughs> yeah so um, we'll try and do that um, the f- the aim will be to try and on most episodes, or certainly regularly, will be to include a kind of spotlight on an army. Yeah. Um, and whenever we do that, um, my aim is to try and play a game either against someone that's using that army, or whether it's one of my own armies, um, and to time-lapse that um, and put it up on the website along with the podcast. So basically, when you listen to the section reviewing the army, you'll actually be able to watch a time-lapse game of that army. So you'll be able to hear us talk about how it plays and see it happening on the table. Um, it's something I think I'm not aware of to many other podcasts. Yeah, kind I've, of, I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone else do that. Do that, and yeah. I think it would be useful for people. It's one thing just hearing about how something should work, but actually getting, getting to see it yeah. happen in game, um, I think will be quite fun. So I'm going to endeavour to try and do that um, whenever we do do a spotlight on an army. Um, along with this episode, which is obviously covering CanCon um, in its entirety, um, my first game at CanCon using my Harbinger Chamber, I did manage to live stream. Uh, not live stream, sorry. I managed to time lapse, so I'm going to aim to put the time lapse of that game um, up with this episode on the website, so that people can watch that back should they see fit. Um, it was taking photos every, I think, ten or thirty seconds for that first one, so it might be a bit quick. Um, I'm not sure. Still getting to grips with it, um, but yeah, hopefully I'll just keep improving that and obviously. If people want to write in with any feedback then I'll take that on board as much as I can um and yeah hopefully that's something that um everybody enjoys and it's something that if you don't want to watch it you don't have to you can still just listen to us um and everything should make just as much sense <laughs> so yeah on with the show <laughs> 
First of all, we both just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone that listened to episode one and gave us positive comments, to everybody that retweeted and shared through Twitter. Um, I personally was a bit blown away the first day after. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it because um, everyone was terrified of my zombies. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want to face those zombies. And I was like, they're not that bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's very, it's quite surreal being in the podcast and then yeah, getting it out there and then getting the feedback from the guys in the community. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a different experience. And yeah, anyone else want to, wants to give it a crack, highly recommend it's It's a great process. Yeah, it was just nice to, like you say, James, it was nice to just have people in our local scene acknowledge that they've listened to it. But for me, it was more seeing people that I listen to their podcasts from America and from the UK and stuff like that, seeing them retweeting it and getting positive comments and, and people yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it yeah. was... It was awesome. Um, I was, yeah, I was a bit taken aback, to be honest. I didn't expect, certainly episode one anyway, for people to kind of have such a good reaction to it. So thank you so much to everyone that listened. Um, hopefully you're listening to this one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just thanks so much for your feedback. Um, it's really great to hear. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll keep putting out more good shows. Hopefully. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we're here with the Heralds of War guys, and we just thought we'd talk to them in advance of CanCon starting tomorrow, um, and just ask them a few questions about the events, whether they've got any kind of what their picks are maybe for who they think might take it, just based on lists, um, whether there's any really fun lists they think are there, um, and then if there's anything else they kind of want to talk about. So yeah, over to you guys. Howdy, um, I'm Clint. I'm Mark. And I'm Jesse. And I'm James. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you're not a herald, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, yeah, so CanCon Eve, it's a bit stressful. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's it should be fine now. It's pretty chill. It's exciting. Tables are done, beers are out, it's all good. Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> some really cool lists coming along, um, and some really pretty bog-standard ones. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, there's some exciting lists that I, that I really want to see on the table, not because I think that they're overly competitive, just because they're really cool. This obviously isn't going out before CanCon, so I can... Yeah, you can... can I can talk can about the list. can definitely be spoilers. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there is a um, there is a list with four uh, four Bloodthirsters. Oh, all uh, the same? Or one no, of, one of, of each. each and Scarbrand. And Scarbrand. Oh of course. And that is... It, I saw that the list came in, and oh. the email just went, yeah, I know. <laughs> that, okay, that's that list. Okay, I like it, and um, yeah, I looked at it. I went, "Yep, I like this list. It's really exciting." So that's a three places of power list. So if I ever saw it, well, that's you know, that's his only list. So well, oh, okay, it's yeah, yeah. So that's, list that's, that's list. that is that is his list. He's clearly just bringing that because he, that's what he wants to run. Wow. That's what he wants to throw at people. So it's four bloodthirsters, and I'm guessing not a lot else. But <laughs> just blood letters, and I think there's two skull cannons. Oh, okay, so he's got the range threat as well. Yeah, but no blood secretors. Very much no, one no. of my favorite it's... lists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's proper. It's proper demons of corn. I'm assuming wrath of corn thirster is the general. I can't remember. I can't remember okay. off, off the top of my head. Um, oh, that's going to be nasty. Yeah, because you go. Oh, must ignore Scarbrand. Must ignore Scarbrand. Can't ignore four big things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah. Well, normally I wouldn't talk to people who are going, but neither of you are playing in first game, so it would be fairly obvious. And everyone yeah. will see the list before the game. So. Well, that's yeah. the thing. When yeah. he puts those down on the table tomorrow morning, 
people are like, the heck is that? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to catch people's attention. I'm yeah, it's I'm pretty terrified awesome. against yeah. coming against that. To be honest, yeah, he's um, I think he is part of the uh, GW Belco and GW Liverpool grudge oh, yeah. affair. Okay. So okay. I think he's already his first match is already predetermined. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a there, so that's a good fun list. There's a mixed order dark elf list coming. Okay. Um. That actually Blake will be playing against. Okay. Um, it's got some. I think it's got a thrall warhost, so the sorceress and the and the normal sort of battle line units and some executioners, I think. Yeah. And then it's got a the realm reavers scourge privateer battalion as well. Okay. So it's it's a really cool little. I I'm like oh I quite I would probably build that list. That looks yeah. quite cool. So that could be making quite a few things run away. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay. it's one of the more interesting, not netlisty kind of things. Yeah. Um, so talking about netlists, I know from the, <laughs> the stats and stuff you released in the run up to Cancon about kind of numbers of most battalions taken and stuff. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the the so, most common things that are taking. So there's a few different battalions that are tied for the most in the in the event, and there's um, the Warrior Brotherhood, Cunning Rock. And Nile Root Wargrove. So there's four of each of those coming along. Yep. Um, three of the Cunning Rocks are in one army. <laughs> okay. So Whoa. that could be very interesting to see uh, how, if the guy can make that work quickly. Let's hope they listen to the last episode about <laughs> rolling dice quickly. Yeah. Well, he did say, look, you know, can I use a dice app? And I went, no, we've no. ruled that you can't do that. I said, but if you want to do, you know, buy groups of 10 dice in different colours so you can just go 10, 20, 30, yep. 40 and just get it done quickly. That's exactly um, what I said we to ran into, Eric in yeah, our scene. Uh, we ran into him in the GW yesterday when we just went in to have a look. And I said, have you bought those dice? He's like, yeah, here's my cut with this colour and this colour. And like, he's, he's sorted. So hopefully that helps him cool. uh, run fairly quickly. Yeah, so there's a couple of lists... That yeah have four behemoths in them. Yeah, one of them being the, the bloodthirster. Yeah, list. I want to see the dread Saurian army just purely because I love the dread Saurian. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be cool. As well. Yeah, it's the biggest model coming, so that will be very good. I don't think I've actually ever seen one in the flesh before. Neither had I until yeah. today when we saw it in the store. Oh wow, it's <laughs> awesome. So that's another Belconnen person bringing that. Okay. Yep, yep. Mm. Uh, and the one and only Fire Slayers army in the. Uh, event was also there today when yeah. we went to go pick up some train. So that was cool to, to meet him and see he's bringing uh, Fire Slayers along. So That's great. That's cool. It's really going to be awesome to see how they do because in our local area, nobody runs Fire yeah. There's one guy who runs Dwarves, but yeah. not Fire Slayers, just you know, some dispossessed mm. stuff. Yeah, I'm really, I really hope um, we see like just a massive curveball, curveball at this event. So, yeah, just like one of the less known lists or sort of odd lists, <clears throat> just really carve it up surprise awesome. people yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's love, one thing they like dwarves or like dwarden or something like that you know like would be really cool yeah that's mm. one thing i said in advance was like mm. i'd love to see someone bring something that everyone considers just not able yeah. to compete like fire slayers and have just worked out how to use them and just boss the event it'd be yeah, awesome to I see love that. Yeah. I, any list well if the list is gonna compete i reckon it's got to have say you know I don't know, 30 volkite berserkers that tunnel up or something but <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what's actually in it but mm. that's cool yeah, definitely excited about that. And what's the kind of mix in terms of 
order, death, destruction, chaos? Um, there's, I think it's 47% Something like that of order. order. Um, I think it's about 29%, 29%, 26 or 29% chaos. Um, then destruction. And then destruction, and then death. Then death. Okay. There's uh, six, six death players out of um, f- odd, 50 odd yeah. people. Yeah. Which is an awesome turnout. Mm. As well, fifty players is so cool. It's Australia's biggest so far. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yep. so, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so from seeing just the list, not knowing a lot of the people that are playing them, what's your call? If you had to pick one list that you reckon is going to take this event away, obviously it's going to be matchup dependent, scenario dependent. But if there's one there that you think, do you know what? I reckon this could win it. Which one do you think it is? I wish that you'd prepped me for that question (laughs) (laughs) so I could read all the lists again Um, I say it's all on you Clint because Mark and I haven't actually read the list properly yeah I haven't read the lists Um, yeah there's a couple of destruction lists I'm tipping yeah Yeah, I think they're really strong at the moment destruction Mm. I think I think some of the um, Warrior Brotherhood lists will do well I don't think um, that everyone who's running them is necessarily going to be super effective at using them. Yeah. I think because they are, if yeah, if AOS has a netlist at the moment, it's Warrior Brotherhood. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so um, it's quite possible that there are some people that just have one and haven't used it. But that's the thing. I don't know a lot of these. You know, a lot of these people that are coming. So. Yeah. Well, that's I don't the thing know how well they play. Brother. That's the thing with Warrior Brotherhood. It's one of those lists that is basically made up of all the bog standard stuff. So pretty much anyone that plays Stormcast can put together a Warrior mm. Brotherhood. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're good. If there's someone there that is like knowing the tricks, for example, if for some reason two Warrior Brotherhoods come up against each other and someone goes, yeah, you've dropped your Azeros on the table. I'm now going to lightning strike my guys within five of your Azeros because you can do that. Oh, no. there's a little sneaky trick it just says you can drop within five of an Azeros doesn't have to be in your army that will be the cool oh, really? thing yeah. I'm going to make oh. sure I know that so if someone plays a mirror matchup <laughs> and the other person drops their Azeros first I want to see if someone knows and they drop yeah. their guys within five of that Azeros because that will be the stuff where you go yeah you know what you're, you're doing you know what you're doing so, I would, do, you know, do you know the list cool. I'd like yeah. to see win is there is an army that's pretty much comprised ninety percent of yetis? Oh, okay, that's really <laughs> so, cool. That's yeah, cool. <laughs> um, I reckon that would be f- quite uh, fun to watch. Um, and the chap that's bringing it along. Um, so that's got to be pure beast claw. That's cool. That's mm. really cool. I like that. Okay. So, um, yeah. So there's, yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's fine. Um, ruin their podcast by us look yeah so I'd like to see that list do well I know it's in the hands of a dude who did fairly well when we went to Melbourne okay that's cool and uh, yeah there's a couple of people who I know um, like we're at the event in Melbourne that we went to a little while ago um, who are bringing certain lists um, that I think will do fairly well Fairly well, but I'm not sure. I don't think they'll take it out. Yeah. No offense to them. But um Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the more I don't think it's gonna be the cunning ruck. I think it's gonna be more of the tuned mixed destruction lists. 
Yeah, because I, I think, think like one of the Sydney dudes is bringing one, and you know. Um, yeah, and yeah. yeah, that's Matt, and yeah, he hasn't lost a game yet, so I know he thinks he's going to do well, and I, yeah, he's a good player, so he's someone that I think is yeah, he's got potential. He's up there, but Luke, Luke's gunning for it from up where you guys are, and he's bringing the pure skyer and stuff, so he wants it, and there's a lot of people that want it and have got good lists, and mm. there's quite a lot of Sylvaneth, and that's where I think the kind of ruck falls apart because. They just can't deal with stuff that ignores Rend 1 and has a two-off armor save. Yeah, there is so much Sylvaneth coming. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so. I can't wait to see like the, the Matt Campbells and, and the Lukes um, come head-to-head in this event. It's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm still there's waiting. so many top generals who are here like, come to this event, so I'm really excited about seeing that happen. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting to play Matt because we still haven't got a game in, so it'll be, it'll be interesting <laughs> if that comes up at this time. I yeah. don't. To be fair, I don't rate my chances against his armies for this. Just think I'm, I'm just too too weak, and he can just smash me off. But we'll see. Mm. Remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Well, I think probably the next section we record will be during CanCon when the first games have been drawn and played, and we have a better picture of kind of who's at the top, who's at the bottom, um, and then we'll probably come back and have another chat with you guys and get some thoughts and see where it's heading. But yeah, thanks for that chat and um, looking forward to tomorrow. Cheers. See you. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Hi, everyone. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to catch up with the Heralds after day one, but I did manage to interview a couple of the players that were around the top tables after their first three games at the end of day one. So we're just going to play you those interviews now. Okay, so I'm here with Matt, our resident Sydney champ with Destruction, (laughs) undefeated as of yet, I think. Um, It's the case. How is day one going at CanCon? Day one's gone great. It's my first, like, big tournament, so I've really enjoyed it. I've got to play three really good games, Um, two of them very, very close. The first I played against Sylvaneth in, that was Border War. And I, I managed to play the scenario really well there. I, I had a big old mixed destruction army, so a lot of bodies managed to swamp the objectives enough to pretty convincingly win that. So what? Just just run through your list quickly. Okay, so the list I took with that was one Frost Lord on Stonehorn. Uh, he gets the traditional battle brew. Yeah. He usually gets Ravager. Um, then I have the Huskard on Thunder Tusk. Uh, three units of Savage Orcs, um, a War Dock, uh, a Icebrow Hunter with two Frost Sabers, two units of Frost Sabers, which go in a Skull Formation, a unit of ten Boar Boys, and a unit of six Ogre Balls. Nice. That's a really mixed, varied list. It's not the typical kind of just ten, ten, three lots of ten Savage Orcs for battle line, and then just fill the rest out with Stone <laughs> Stone ones and Thunder Tusks. So. Yeah, my other list might be that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but still, so that sounds like a cool list. And how did that game go? Was it major, minor, win, uh, loss? Major, uh, pretty convincingly. I think I got uh, nine points four turns and seven points the other. Wow. So almost maxing out. How's it? What? Fifty-two points. Yeah. Something. Oh, someone will do the math. Wow. It's two less than I could have. Yeah, so that was... Super solid. Cool. So game two? Uh, so game two, I came up against uh, Beast Claw Raiders and I made a massive mistake. Right. Because he had a Frost Lord on Stonehorn, a Frost Lord on Thunder Tusk, a Huskard on Thunder Tusk, and a bunch of Yetis. 
Oh, this is the so the Frost Lord on Thunder Tusk is the general. For yes, this. Yeah, so okay. he ge he gives them battle line, and then they got the two Frost Sabers in there just because I assume he had points left over. Yeah. Um, I took my more varied list that I took from game one. Probably a mistake in hindsight because it turned into a blinking match, right. and he had more big pieces than me. Okay. So I blinked first because I kind of felt I had to. What do you mean by blinking? Uh, I'm charged him. Uh, didn't get in, so he got to counter charge me. So you fluffed because he won priority. Okay. I did. I should have. I should have held more firm and known that I had more bodies, so I could have ground the game out. But I didn't. Um, and so what ended up happening was he probably overcommitted to try okay. and get mine. Uh, I'm sure he won't mind saying that he made a mistake by not checking his objective because my three tens of savage orcs were still on mine. Yep. I managed to get the skull down and get a double turn which allowed me to move them onto his objective that's the five models i need yeah game ended there so he didn't leave any models on his objective he left two frost sabers which got shot off by my hunter nice yeah it's very important to remember how many models you need on an objective especially when you're winning because it's way too easy to get over uh, over uh complacent yeah so say. you got a major on that i did and that I was taken hold. a major yep in taken hold which was the game i was worrying it's most normally about. the hardest to get a major on so it that's is. good i was i was glad i got that and so then game three game three i've faced i've played the formidable deke johnston uh with his blood knight well soul blight army yeah which had manfred and a vampire lord on zombie dragon and then a lot of blood knights has he got five units of blood knights he's got four but one's a ten. Oh, nice okay so, so 25 blood knights yes, in one list. 25 blood knights in one list um so i played that and basically he made the same mistake i did well he didn't make the same mistake he didn't move forward yep he waited for the stone horns to charge because i should clarify i took the two stone horns two husk guards and three tens of savage orcs in this one yep because i can tag the objectives i don't need the numbers as much yep uh and i managed to get a charge in with the stone horn and anyone who's had two frost lords on stone horns charge into them yep know how devastating it is i double turned and just about managed to grind out and that all... was blood and glory so you just yep. need more models within range yep so i just about managed to grind out the blood knights he summoned some skeletons but i managed to grind them down with the unit of savage orcs so i ended up tabling him in the last roll of the game yep. and getting a major wow so you're on first day three games down three major victories yeah nosebleed territory <laughs> so you must be feeling pretty confident i don't know um, i think i know definitely one other player which i think is luke from brisbane that has uh bringing sky that's got three major victories so and this is the reason i'm not overly confident okay because when you take uh, a compact destruction list should we say the, the wounds aren't massive, even though the stone horns half them. Yeah. But it's still damn near 500 points for about 20 wounds all yep. told. Yeah. Um, and no mortal save either yep. in the army. So so if you do draw, Luke, tomorrow, first game, I think, is... Places of power. Three places of power. So that's going to be... I don't think Luke would be... I won't say silly, because he still could... He still could beat me in theory but i don't think he'd be silly enough to play skyer against me just doesn't have the heroes yep uh doesn't have enough to clear off all four monsters in the first turn yep so i think i think i'd be playing his mixed list which i've heard scary things about yeah so i to be honest if i play him 
it's going to be a really good game. Yeah. I'm confident. So I'm, I'm not confident of the win, I should say. I'm confident it will be a good game. Yeah. And that's all you can ask. Awesome. So, yeah, that sounds like you've had a great first day. Yeah. Congrats on three major wins. Thank you. And um, You were very yeah. unlucky to miss out there yourself. I wasn't unlucky. I was stupid, and I will take that one. So I am on two majors and a minor. You'll learn. You'll learn for next time. Yeah, that's my fault. So, um, But, yeah, all good. So well done, mate. And um, I might see you tomorrow around the top table still. But, um, yeah, you're currently on three majors, so you're looking strong for the win. So congrats, and we will catch up with you tomorrow and see where you place. Perfect. Cheers, mate. Awesome. Okay, so I'm here with Luke, who is running Skyr. Um, he's just finished day one as well. Um, so Luke, let's just quickly say how you're doing after the first three games. Uh, three major wins. So pretty strong, pretty yes. strong. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, so I guess what armies have you brought and what a little bit of prep you've done? Yep. Um, so I brought two different lists, both Chaos Grand Alliance. I bought a Clan Skyr Pure Allegiance, um, and that's like, the double uh, Gortfire engine coven with a Bowwind Vortex for the Arc Warlock to maximise his effectiveness on the on the field. That's cool. It's not mm. something you see that often, so that's quite cool. Yeah, I think he's probably the most uh, cost-efficient on a Bowwind Vortex out of most of the wizards in the game, yep. personally. That's my opinion anyway. Um, so Arc Warlock, two Warlock Engineers, uh, two Warp Grinder weapon teams, four Warp Fire Thrower weapon teams... Uh, Two units of three uh, Storm Fiends with Warpfire Projectors and one unit with Shock Gauntlets, yep. which surprises people a little bit because they don't... They're like, why didn't you just take another unit with Warpfires? I actually think the Shock Gauntlet unit, if you get the plus ones, yep. can do way more damage than yep. 63 Mortal Wounds. Yeah. So, um, so that's my first list. Uh, my second list, as some people might know this, is the Terry Pike list. Yep. Uh, so it's a Great Unclean one, Kairos Fate Weaver, Sail the Faithless... Three units of ten plague bearers, six storm fiends with warp fire projectors, and two warp lightning cannons. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Mm -hmm. So, just quickly run us through um, your first three games. What scenarios you played? Who did you play? And how'd they go? Yep. Uh, so, my first game, I played Dan, um, one of your from your group. Yeah, from Sydney, playing yep. Tomb Kings. Yes, playing Tomb Kings, uh, Cetra list, um, which honestly was the list I was most worried about at the event. Mostly because I've never played against Tomb Kings and I've heard horrible things about Necropolis Knights yep. and Cetra. So I kind of didn't really know what to expect. So last night, some of the prep was reading all the War Scrolls yep. through the Tomb Kings book and going, mm. after I read it, I actually wasn't as worried. I knew that if I screened correctly, he wouldn't really be able to do enough with the Necropolis Knights to take care of my Storm Fiends. Yep. So, and I decided to play the Terry Pike list because yep. I think it's more effective against that kind of army, mm -hmm. and especially in the scenario we had to play. Yeah, which uh, was? Uh, is it Border War? Border War, Border yeah. War, yeah. So he actually played super aggressive in the first turn and came straight to me. Like, he got a first turn charge. I let him have the flying ability, mostly because I wanted to bait him in because I had two units of... Um, so when you say you let him have the fly ability, what you mean is Cetra on a two-up can pick a unit, double its movement, and they gain fly. Yes. So he was sending the snakes. But when you say you let him, that's because you've got the one dice change with Kairos. Yes. So you can make that one. So when it's pivotal, you can make him fail it. Yes. And you let him charge out first turn. Yep. Interesting. I let him have it because with the two units blocking plus the ground unclean one, I didn't think that he would be able to clear that much in one turn. Mm -hmm. And I, may, I let him uh, go first as well. So I knew that I had the chance at the double turn. Yep. So... After he went in, he killed 
he actually fluffed really bad because I also ran Cunning Deceiver. Yep. So he didn't get all of the... He wasn't hitting on twos with everything. It was all threes. Yep. So that helped me a lot as well. And his mortal wounds aren't stacking or... I oh, know no, you don't get it in that, do you? It's the wounds rolls that stack. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he managed to only kill like five Plague Bearers out Ooh. of both units. Okay. He did take seven wounds off the Great Unclean one. Okay. But then... The four plague bearers from one unit managed to kill a necropolis knight by themselves. That's impressive. Yeah, and then the other, and then the ground and clean one took another two wounds off the necropolis lights. Um, I then got my turn and flew the storm fiends around the flank slightly, so all were in range of the necropolis knights. Plus, I managed to get a model within range of the objective to mm-hmm. score some points because he was seven points after the first turn. He was straight up on points, but then. The, Did you mean nine? Nine, sorry. Yeah. The full nine. Yeah. yeah, the full nine, and then the. Oh no, he didn't get mine in the middle. He didn't get my point. He only got the two the two so outside. So he got five. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I managed to then, Storm Fiends just blew the entire unit of um, snakes off the table. Because they were all in range? They were all in range. Did you and even need to fly them? Or? I did because I wanted to get in the right position and yep. so I could get up onto the other objective to at least score a couple of points in yep. the first turn. Um, so got rid of that. Then I won the priority after that, which was not good for him because then I just flew the Storm Fiends over to Cetra. Yep. Um, and I didn't even need to put all of them into Cetra because he had uh, another unit of skeletons up there as well. So I blasted away a few skeletons, took, um, did all the wounds to Cetra. He rolled all saves bar one, and I used Kairos's ability to make him fail that save. So Cetra was dead before he got to do anything nice. aside from the one turn. Nice. So um, you didn't even use the Kairos... You didn't need to use Kairos to stop him doing the fly. You no. just killed I just, him. I just baited and him you, in. You, you took out his save roll by making it fail. And that's how you deal with him. Yeah. Really smart. Yep. Um, and then it was kind of just sort of cleaning up. Um, but it was actually a lot closer than it looked because I, I ended up only winning by one point on the major because he kept scoring. And he, I was pinned in combat for a while with the Stormfiend unit with a Shabti and the Ten Skellies and just a unit of uh, the Tomb King. Yep. So, and he was just not dying at yeah. all. Um, but yeah, in the end, managed to get table everything and and get by one point got the major so cool that was my first game what was your second game second game was against oh the the bone splitters army he had triple cunning ruck wow um, okay yeah i played my sky list against that yep. it was taken hold um he made a huge mistake of only putting one unit of 10 savage orcs within six inches of the objective in his turn yeah okay. i did nothing until the third turn popped up on both so he didn't realize his mistake no and pull back yeah ow yeah so i just popped up on turn three Wiped them off the table and won the game. Wow. Because I had both objectives. Okay. So but doing that, you must have not scored very many victory points. No, I only got 500 victory points because I knew I was never going to get a lot of points out of his army because it's just too much to kill. Yep. And he gets save against, saves against my mortal wounds. Yep. So I had to just go... I just played super aggressive for the major on turn three. Waited till turn three yeah. and just popped up. That's clever waiting because a lot of times people are like, oh, why are you waiting? You're losing your chances to do mortal wounds if you want to score those victory points and burn them off. Mm. why are you doing that but like actually if you'd gone for it he probably would have realized he needed more models on that objective yes so seeing oh hang on he's only got 10 i'm just gonna wait mm. and he won't notice and then just going i've only got a kill 10 and i win yeah that's really clever yeah so that was the second game yep um then so the th- that's another major yeah that was another major yep. um and then the third game was against ash i can't remember his last McEwen. name McEwen. from sydney again from sydney yep and he played um an iron jaws list with gordrak yeah uh that was border war so the four objectives. Um, uh, Blood and Glory. Blood and Glory, sorry. Yeah. Um, and 
I played the Skyer again against that list, which I don't think he expected. I think he thought that I might play the uh, other list just because it's harder for Skyer to do well in that scenario because there's the four objectives. Yep. Um, didn't manage to summon the Bowwind at all, so he yeah, okay. the Arkwalk just saved the objective, then ran towards yep. his army. He kind of castled it in a corner with everything except Gordrak. Mm-hmm. So I brought one Coven up on top of the objective next to Gordrak, killed him in one turn with Mortal Wounds. Yep. Um, and I and then the second turn, I brought up the other Coven in between the two other objectives on the side, managed to spread out. Yep. As cli- we've talked about, that you can actually spread out further than people think. Yep. And then yep. by the, by turn three, I killed all the models that were in range, so I had all four objectives and won the major. Yep. yep. Wow, so it sounds pretty convincing. Every game, you're basically just winning on turn three as soon as you can or you're just racking up so many points and you know your targets to kill. So Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like you're getting pretty comfortable with your two lists. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, end at day three, you're also on three majors. Yep. Um, obviously, we just interviewed Matt, who's also on three majors. So it yep. looks quite likely that you two might be playing. Yes. Um, I know you know a little bit about what Matt's lists are. Mm-hmm. Um, the next scenario, if you do come up against each other, is uh, three places of power. Yep. How do you think you'll go if you fight each other? Not that worried, to be honest, because aside from the three, the four monsters, he doesn't have much in his army. Yeah, it's just tens of Savage Orcs. Yeah, and I know that I can summon a Bowen Vortex on top of an objective with my uh, Arc Warlock, and then no one's scoring points on that. So you're not bothered about scoring it, you just know he can't. Uh, yeah. Cool. And then at least then he can just sit there and just ping units with the 36-inch range with, yep. with his spells. You're not worried about him just getting more wounded off by a Thunder Tusk? No, because I intend on killing the Thunder Tusks as quickly as possible. I think they're way more to worry about than the Stone Horns. Yeah, because you can bait the Stone Horns. I can bait the Stone Horns with weapon teams and things like that and take off the, the important stuff. So hopefully then I can get my other two uh, Warlocks on the other objectives to start getting some points. But again, it's all going to come down to priorities and, and things where like that. he places his models. But yeah. He, it sounds like he's planning on taking the double Thunder Tusk, double Stonehorn list. Yep. So sounds like you're prepared for probably the list he's going to take. So we'll mm. see how it goes. We will. Anyway, thanks for chatting. We'll catch up with you again tomorrow, mate. Thank you. So welcome back to the Morally Wounded podcast. We're on our way home from CanCon. I'm here with Chris. Hey. And with Dan. Hey. Uh, we thought we'd just have a bit of a chat on the way home and um, see how we all uh, enjoyed CanCon, what our experiences were, what we thought. So take it away, Chris. Yeah, so obviously I'm driving, so if I get distracted and start swearing at people, then that's why. Um, but yeah, I mean, CanCon was great. It, it was what I hoped it would be. It's, it's always draining by the end of at the end of day one and stuff. You, you're mentally drained, but you're still having a good time. And um, it was just great to have a 50-player event, biggest AOS event in Australia so far. Loads of new players, loads of really cool armies, um, getting to play on really awesome tables that were set up, meeting a load of guys, just the whole social thing. There's just such a buzz. Um, so yeah, just an awesome time. Um, obviously, we'll go through kind of our games and stuff in detail um, later. Uh, not in the car, so we can talk through stuff properly. But yeah, for now, great. I'm super happy um, with where I placed, but again, won't reveal that until later. Um, but yeah, awesome. And Dan, how are you feeling? You placed second. Yeah, it's amazing. Spoiler alert. I can't contain myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I got second. So I'm really, really happy with that. Honestly, the aim was to just try and do well. Maybe first finish top tournament 20. As well. First tournament, yeah. I wasn't even going to come. 
uh, originally only committed to it about a month. When they increased the um, number of people from 50 to 60 is when I bought the ticket. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, you just made the cut then? Only just, yeah, only just got in. So, coming second over the moon. Um, yeah, really happy with how it all went. Met some really, really nice people. Um, I managed to play second. I still lost the game. I lost my first game. But then went on a bit of a roll from there, so... Um, but you lost your first game to the person that won the event overall, so. Exactly, I had a tough first match and uh, deservedly lost that game, but uh, to, I guess a really to good come back from To come back from a major loss in your first game, because a lot of the time you just go, oh, I've just started the tournament, first game was a major loss, I'm out of the running, and then you just kind of yeah. can quite easily stop focusing on your games and just drop to the bottom tables because you're not really bothered. So to come back and come second from a major loss in your first game is awesome. Yeah, really, really happy with how it all went. I think it takes the pressure off you right away, so you just say, okay, I can just concentrate on having fun now. I don't have to worry about winning. Uh, really didn't think after that I was it was going to, um, you know, I, I wanted to win maybe two, maybe three games. I would have been really happy with, um, but I won four. Um, and I, I won big, which is how I managed to get second. So um, I managed to table through the four people I played afterwards but in my first game I got tabled myself so it happens I was playing Tomb Kings um, Compendium Phil if I prefer <laughs> and uh, first game playing a mixed chaos list uh, Sail, Kairos, Flying Storm Fiends are not nice they are not Storm Friends this is a myth <laughs> and um, yeah so I paid the punishment for that but uh, managed to recover from that pretty well I actually think one of my favourite things about the whole tournament was seeing another Tomb Kings player there um, seeing the list they had, seeing the how they ran things differently to me, seeing some of the units that I kind of thought were weaker or just kind of didn't really give much of an opportunity to when looking through the War Scroll to see them do well. Um, there was another tournament that placed pretty high, another Team King player there, sorry, that placed pretty highly and did pretty well. Um, I actually got some ideas from looking at him, so it's quite exciting just to see someone else doing it. So happy with how things went. Oh, that's brilliant, Dan. Um, oh, yeah, I had a great time too. I'm tell you right now, I'm quite zonked. I'm so tired. Yeah, it's tiring, but... <laughs> yeah, especially after the first day. Though. Like, after the first day, I was... Towards the end of the day, people were talking to me, and I'm just like, huh? What? Okay. <laughs> it's just, I couldn't concentrate. But, um... No, we had a good... Had a good second day. Um, um, so, f- for me, I got... Uh, I had two losses. Uh, one minor victory and two majors. So, I'm very happy with... Um, with uh, my result. Um, didn't make it into the top 10. We're still waiting for the the uh, listings to come out from the, the Heralds of War guys. Um, but um, my goal was to get in the top 25, so I think I might have a good chance of that. We'll see. It remains to be seen. But um, on top of that, I, um, I also was runner-up in the best presented army, so the, the painting score. So I'm very, very happy with that. Um, one of my goals was to be selected uh, for the painting comp and so I achieved that and so I'm, I'm pretty happy um, but congratulations goes to Blake who with his uh, wonderful um, Nurgle display it just I'm really I'm not sure wonderful is the right word for ah. it, but, um, <laughs> beautiful it's beautiful very display. good it's beautifully it sexy. beautifully oh, disgusting slimy <laughs> he should have won Slime. that objective marker in my opinion oh, yeah the wow. best objective marker yeah he had, he had, a, he had an objective marker with a um Super glue dead cockroach. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a cockroach or was it a locust? I, I think it was it was, it was it was like it a was dead a locust. It, was a yeah. it had the mark of Nurgle. It had the mark of Nurgle all over it. No, it was fantastic. Yeah, um, 
You asked Chris for a base, he's like, yeah, sure, why is it for? It'd be super clear to Arnold, I think Chris regretted giving him oh, the Oh, yeah, base. he got a base off me, didn't he? Yeah, okay. it was your fault, you contributed. Uh, I gave him the super glue, you gave him the base. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, dude. So, what are those, was there any um, moments in the game, um, like special sort of achievements or um, fun things that happen in games that are worthy of mention? Um, I think for me it was probably more stuff the, uh, the I guess the stuff actually seeing from opponents that I don't know and playing their armies um, and actually it was probably one of the games I had against a mixed order army um, in Blood and Glory uh, he had a Warrior Brotherhood list which is actually the one I thought he was going to take um, and his second list which is the one he ran was I looked at it initially and was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is cool. I'd rather play this army. I feel like my army's stronger against it and I'll do fine. Because it was two Hurricanums and I straight away was like, that's fine. They're quite, like, they're not that tough. I can kind of kill them. And then three units of Judicators, um, two units of Griffhounds, which I normally don't rate because I, I normally find that they're quite easy to counter stuff. Um, but actually, he played them really well in a really good kind of defensive castle with a unit of four Fulminators behind the Judicators in front of the Hurricanums and then a Castellan, a Relictor, and a Heraldor. And it was just the way he was doing the kind of the two Hurricanums buffing each other to cast, so they could cast their stuff with plus two each, and then kind of the plus one to hit, obviously, from there, but he could spread them out a bit if he wanted to place it to two places. Um, and then also, um, then the mist, like the... Um, the... Um, oh, sorry. So we had BB-8 um, <laughs> making noises in the background. <laughs> um, he's distracting me. Uh, so yeah, and then the Castellan and stuff like that with the, the buffing lantern on the Fulminators. It's just things that have basically a two-up savory rolling ones are Kryptonite to my army. Um, so those guys with their shields giving them plus one to save and then the Castellan buff giving them plus two to save meant even with my rend he was on a two up save re-rolling ones and any sixes and fives against no rend would actually heal him wounds and I don't have a lot of mortal wound output so I was just like there's basically nothing I can actually do to really kill this unit um, but fortunately I still won the game by just playing the objectives but um, it was just cool to see someone taking an alternate list because um, I quite like taking the lists that are a bit atypical and that other people aren't playing, which is why I run my Harbinger because I don't. I've never seen anybody else play a Harbinger chamber. Um, so it was actually cool to see him play that, especially when he had a Warrior Brotherhood that a lot of people have considered a netlist. Um, and it was fun to. I played much more aggressively in my last two games and just dropped all nine units of prosecutors in one on turn one in one area and just thought I'm just gonna absolutely just try and nuke stuff off and it was really cool it worked in one game didn't work so well in the other um, but I think it would with better placement in the other game and Setra proves a really tough cookie to crack actually with all these saves if they roll really well suddenly the damage gets massively reduced you, you weren't um, using storm fiends that's where you went wrong flying uh, storm fiends took terror Setra pretty quickly um, but yeah it was um, yeah it was that was cool for me to just go do you know what I'm going to play this army very aggressively and Surprise! I think I definitely surprised some people um, with how powerful it can be because everyone considers it a skirmish army. But when you see the amount of damage the shooting can kick out, all hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, if you drop the zeros in, 
damage two with every weapon, you got rend on half of them. You can just do like 70 damage a turn or something, it's pretty nuts. Um, obviously then then get their armor saves and stuff, but it's pretty good. Um, so that was fun to play, and yeah, just fun to see people playing alternate lists and not kind of net lists where they exist. So the alternate Tomb King list that Dan mentioned before was my round five game, and that was really cool to see the use of the Sepulchral Stalkers and Scorpions and, um, and things like that. Um, and yeah, the, the really good kind of Order Castle um, list was really cool. So they're probably my, my two moments. Wow, that, that's, that sounds great, man. Um, Dan, any uh, particular moments in your games that are, were standouts for you? Like, uh, Yeah, I have to say there is one in a, more from the hobby side of things as I played someone using a Dread Saurian and it was painted to perfection. Um, really, really cool model. Nice to see that there. Um, I did see it, I identified it as a threat very quickly, and, and um, I did take it out pretty fast before it was to do anything, which was very lucky for me. But um, I think just coming across that, knowing, you know, not seeing anyone else who'd ever used one before, seeing the scale of it on the table, seeing it in context, just kind of going to an event when you get to see all these different things that you, your normal group of people might not have. They are just ridiculously massive, aren't they? They're very big. Like, yeah. it's you, giant. You don't, yeah. you can see something online and go, oh, that's quite big. And then when you see it on the table compared to any other model. Uh, it was painted like, amazingly as well. Um, but yeah, it was really, really good. And like I said, uh, game-wise, I, I took it out pretty much straight away. But uh, I, I knew I needed to do that. So um, I didn't really get to see how much of what it did. But um, uh, thankfully, that was the case. I honestly couldn't tell you what it does because it didn't get a chance to do anything. So. <laughs> uh, very scared of it very early. So I uh, took it out. Yeah. Wow, so epic moment there with the, uh, was it the Necro Knights? Necropolis Knights? Flying Snakes, I'm afraid. Flying Snakes. Flying Snakes. No, they're efficient. Very efficient. Highly efficient. Super efficient. Super efficient. Yes. I would describe them as wrecked. Wrecked. Ah, that's cool. But yeah, after we were playing it, it was after my second game, so paired up against someone else we'd lost as well. I think relatively uh, very very nice guy um, not more experienced in the hobby side than the gaming side I think so he, he did leave it kind of there for the taking and um, I'd already lost one game so I, was, I wasn't going to go lightly I'm afraid so um, buying snakes and uh, Necro Sphinx was also looking at it too so um, yeah yeah fair enough man <laughs> what about you James any standouts for you yeah there's a few standouts for me like um <laughs> In my, I think it was my second or third game, I played against uh, Dan Say, who was uh, bringing the Duarden Dispossessed Grudge Brown Warthrong, and um, he played that army superbly. Uh, we, uh, it was a, a crazy matchup. Like it was his strongest matchup, pretty much. He had we were playing Take and Hold, so yeah, do the math. That's what dwarves are good at. Well, they don't take; they just hold. Yeah, they. Yeah. <laughs> He prefers hold and take. We had this discussion. Hold, hold and take. And take. Hold and take. <laughs> but he doesn't. He still doesn't take. He just prefers hold and hold. Yeah. Dan, Dan told me he has a, a, a thing in his head with dwarves and fantasy. He was so used to them moving three inches. Sometimes he forgets that they can move four now. So yeah. that's why I think hold and take. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the, the the that game was um was brilliant. But um, the favorite moment for me for that was when his unforged slayer um ran forward after after his whole his whole army shooting the Mongol and only doing six wounds. Then the um, Unforged charged out, got into combat with the um, Mongol, 
and eight damage took him took it straight off in one in one round of combat before the Morgoth could even get into combat and start eating dwarves. Um, so that was just an epic moment. Just a slayer being a slayer. It's just cookie cutter fluff. Love it. Um, another favorite moment for me was in my game against Jet with his uh, Bone Splitters army, <laughs> his uh, Weird Knob um, Shaman. Uh, did the uh, the stare. Uh, did the, the stare war, down the war dog or the war dog prophet you mean the guy on the uh, boar weird knob um, shaman oh, maniac weird knob maniac weird, weird knob that's it um, yeah did the stare down on Neferata did four mortal wounds and then his head exploded <laughs> <laughs> that was great that was funny so they, they were the two sort of standout moments for me <laughs> yeah that sounds cool but um, also just just going back to the um, the Duarte and like I remember in our previous discussions um I was really looking forward to seeing if there was going to be uh, like a less common army that really that did really well in the tournament, and um, yeah, luckily for Dan, who play, obviously played played his ass off to get there, I think he got a fifth, was it? Or I think he was seventh, seventh, sixth or seventh, top ten anyway. Yeah. And um, so yeah. superb like effort for for um, an army like that. I, I was really happy oh, to and see an that. Around really nice guy. Yeah, champion. Yeah, he got great modeler um, with his living steam mech oh. alternate steam tank and stuff like oh, that oh that was yeah excellent like um and also not only in the top 10 but also um won the best uh, victory dance <laughs> competition it was pretty much the only competitor but um, <laughs> Chris Chris Todd got up there and did a bit of a headbang <laughs> yeah. but uh but he's uh, I voted for Chris Todd it was a conspiracy <laughs> that was excellent but um you just can't compete with you know when a guy like that takes his shirt off um it's yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think that's a cool little roundup. Um, hopefully you've been able to hear this okay with the audio in the car um, and everything. But, yeah, we'll do a, a proper run-through of our games in detail and, and do some more coverage with the event and hopefully get an interview with the winner um, as well. And, um, yeah, so I guess we'll see you at the next section. Okay, welcome back everybody. Um, Chris and I here, we're going to talk about our games at CanCon. Uh, I'm just going to run through, not a blow-by-blow, blow, but just a sort of general overview of each of our battles and our opponents and how the games went. Um, Chris, would you like to kick it off? Yeah, sure. Um, so my game one was against Sean Beggs, or Begsy, who is one of the guys from Brisbane that was staying with us. Begsy! Um, so game one was Border War. Um, so we set up um i got to choose who went first because i have a one drop um army with my harbinger chamber um begsy had a um skaven list that was kind of a mix of verminous and clan sky so he had a couple of big units of storm vermin a couple of units of clan rats a doom wheel uh arch warlock um warlock engineer uh, a hell pit abomination um, lightning cannon um, so he had a good mix of stuff um, so I we'd already been told ahead of the game that what our pairings were going to be so I'd had a bit of time to think about the game um, knowing what his list could do and what mine could do I wasn't too worried um, it's the sort of list that I can take apart quite easily because my damage shooting the clan shields don't work because I'm damage 2 not damage 1 so 
basically they only have kind of six up saves against me and every single one that gets through kills two rats and I was quite confident I could just hit him a bit and battle shock off the rest of the units because they got low bravery I don't need to engage them in combat sort of thing so I wasn't really too worried about this going in um, to be honest um, so yeah basically what happened was um, I gave Sean first turn um, so he pushed up on both sides he had kind of the hell pit abomination on one flank um, and with some clan rats and a warlord and storm vermin kind of pushed up slower but the hell pit kind of charged right forwards um, and then he had a doom flare and another unit of storm vermin and clan rats on the right flank and then in the middle he anchored with his warp lightning cannon his arch warlock um, the doom wheel uh, warp fire weapons team that sort of thing behind his third unit clan rats um, so the two flanks he tried to kind of push up and there was a bit of mystical terrain um, on his right flank and I think his big unit of storm vermin actually got caught by that on the first two turns so couldn't do anything Oh man! Um, so yeah he just pushed up some clan rats ran forward to help it on the other side got five points on the first turn just from moving up I've never bothered about that in Border War I normally let my opponent just run forwards and expose their flanks a bit um, and then my first turn dropped down a few units of prosecutors on either side um, teleported a unit of liberators um, to within three of the hell pit ready to charge in to just kind of finish it off um, I'd already thought about two or three units of um, prosecutors should be enough to take most of its wounds off and then the liberators with all their buffs and combos they get against monsters should be able to kill the hell pit with no worries um, the only thing I was worried about was if it died and then came back to life because he's still going to do quite a bit of damage um, if he gets around the combat against me but um, so yeah basically just dropped down on both sides with about three units of prosecutors each side and shot off the units that were kind of that had claimed those middle bits and got my guys by the objective so um, I was going to score those um, and yeah shot the hell pit down to like I think it had two wounds left after shooting from three units of prosecutors charged it in with the liberators and there's a fair bit of overkill he didn't come back to life so yeah 10-1 went pretty much as expected on my part so I claimed my five as well um, so we were even after turn one um, and then we rolled for priority I think I won that so I got double straight away um, so then I uh, I think I then pushed up on both flanks, dropped in some prosecutors towards the middle to start threatening his um, warp lightning cannon and that stuff in the middle to see if I could get units close enough. I think I might have dropped a couple of units there the first turn as well to just start chipping away at the, the warp lightning cannon um, and make a gap through the clan rats as well. Um, so I then teleported in some liberators to them to get bodies near his objective um, and secured the objective on the right flank as well i think he pushed up some storm vermin um at that point um was still on the um on the left side um but then i moved in teleported my guys so i had more models within range of his central objective and on one of the flanks and my own so i got seven points um and then i think sean got three in his turn from one of the units of storm vermin um on the left just because of model count um he had more than me and his own objective yeah. um but then the next two turns 
I basically just proceeded to drop more of the rest of my prosecutors and just keep shooting off his units. Battleshock, I'd kind of kill 10 of them and Battleshock would take off the rest of the unit. Um, I dropped in my Xeros and a couple of units of prosecutors in the back corner and started going after his warlord and just closing in on his objective. Um, the side objectives were well and truly mine at that point. He couldn't do anything and I teleported my liberators into the middle of his objective. So I was... Um, I was well up, and yeah, my turn three, I scored nine points. Sean didn't get any. My turn four, I scored nine points and tabled him. So it was, yeah, it was wow. quite a convincing, quite a convincing win to me. Game one, it went pretty much as I expected. I, I knew the limitations of his army. Um, he didn't deploy in a manner which would cause me too many issues. Um, we had a chat about about the game afterwards because he was quite a new player anyway, and. I think a couple of guys have sort of, had sort of said to him in advance, just be maybe don't expect too much um, from this game. They knew what my list could do after seeing an RCGT. Um, so he was he was a great opponent. He took it really well. Um, I bought him a drink and lunch afterwards, and we talked about it and, and how with the army he took and little tweaks he could make. Um, and we talked about how he could in future um, kind of change the way he deployed his units in order to present my army in particular um, and any other army generally more issues um, and mm. we talked about zoning um, and I explained that principle to him in terms of threat ranges and overlapping threat zones so that if somebody wants to drop down and just shoot off your front unit of screening troops you place your further range weapon attacks close enough behind so that even if they want to drop down with the range you can still shoot them behind and if they want to get closer to shoot off the weapon teams behind you can allow that but then they'll be dropping really close to your combat troops at the front um, yeah. so yeah we, I gave him some pointers after that and I think he was quite happy took it well and um, yeah so it was a it was a good game to me um, I think I got the full 2000 victory points and a major win so yeah good start to the uh, tournament for me wow what a game <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, my round one, uh, Order War, was against um, Connor Mauer, a young lad from the Sydney scene. Uh, he, he brought his Stormcast Eternals uh, Warrior Brotherhood Battalion. So initial deployment was um, basically me deploying in such a way, going back to the zoning and um, blocking sort of style that Chris just mentioned, but um, was able to basically just deploying away that stopped him from teleporting in areas where I didn't want him to go. Um, and so he actually deployed his whole battalion in the sky, which is uh, quite a common thing for the Warrior Brotherhood guys. Uh, so I moved up turn one, basically just started to encroach on the, um, on the, the two border objectives. Uh, he dropped his big unit of ten uh, retributors, on my right flank where I had my zombies so I had about 50 zombies on that side because I'd used my um, summoning to summon another 20 uh, to join that unit so basically my list consists of three units of 10 uh, zombie um, battle line units which I would merge in the hero phase um, then I tended to just summon another 20 zombies to merge into that so um, they held down the right flank for the whole game against um, that unit of 10 retributors. Uh, the second lot of retributors came down um, 
on my right flank also um, and went to threaten the Coven Throne. Um, the Coven Throne then cast Beguile upon them <laughs> and basically kept them in the corner away from uh, doing damage for the whole game pretty much. So good job Coven Throne. Um, the next thing, uh, just going back to the other unit of 10 uh, Retributors, so the I just said the zombies kept them there for the whole game. Um, the way they did that was through basically through numbers. So I kept scoring up on that objective, but also had um, my vampire lord uh, close by, and he kept every turn I was casting spirit blight or soul blight, sorry, onto the um, that unit. So that was reducing their attacks by one. Um, I was also had uh, nefarata close by, so it was also at a minus one to hit. So they were one attack, getting one attack, um, no exploding, mortal wounds um, each turn, and the zombies just gradually just pulled them down one by one. <laughs> and he didn't have any Star Soul Maces in that unit, did he? No, no, there's, uh, there's no Star Soul ma- Maces in that unit. Which is um, quite surprising. Did he say why? Did he just not have the models? Or? Um, I'm not sure. I actually, actually didn't ask him. It, it didn't occur to me at the time. <laughs> I just saw 10 Retributors and sort of swallowed it. <laughs> sort of gulped and then thought okay I better I better deal with this but um well it sounds like you did a really good job like reducing them down to one attack each they can't explode on sixes they're not yeah they suddenly become not very good I mean I know the star soul maces are generally the key like everyone just talks of paladins as basically mm. being a mortal wound delivery system yeah. just for those four star soul maces in ten yeah. so yeah it's quite interesting that he didn't have any and it obviously was to his detriment yeah yeah it was yeah it was unfortunate for him in that respect but um like, I did know how to play, how to basically reduce that unit's um, effectiveness. And so the zombies just eventually just pulled them down one by one. I think there was one left in the end. Um, but it wasn't enough for him to get points in that objective. Uh, on the left flank, I had my um, Bargeists. So they took care of the left flank. Um, and um, yeah, they shredded some Judicators and whatnot. Um that he had on that flank. And I sent uh, the Mongol straight down the middle of the field and um, to threaten his objective in his territory. Um, by turn three or four, I think it was, I had all objectives under my control and just clocked up the points um, and came very close to tabling him. Um, I think there was, I was one or two retributors away from completely tabling him and getting the full 2,000 points, but because of that, I lost out on quite a big chunk of, of um, VPs. Yeah, that would um, have been 440 for a whole unit of 10. So. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I didn't get the full 2,000 there, and also I missed out on getting the battalion um, points too, but that's yeah. that's just the way it rolls. Uh, but yeah, no, all over, all, overall, uh, a fun game. We played it through nice and quick. Um, Connor's a charming young lad, um, took it like a champ, and um, he actually had this really cool... He had his um, iPad set up on the battlefield where he had, had this app that where he was able to accumulate points. So it made it really easy uh, to accumulate, you know, to keep tally of our points during the game. So well done on that, Connor. I thought that was a, a great um, uh, touch there. Yeah, good. That's cool. Makes it clear for both players as well. Yeah. There's no kind of disputes later on. It's up if only one player's writing it down, for example. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, so like... And, and to, to be fair to Connor as well, like we were evenly matched with points up to about turn three. It was just in that last sort of couple of turns I was able to accelerate. Um, he was actually ahead of me, I think, in, in, by the end of turn two, I think. So, um, which is like, I actually, once upon a time, used to sort of um, 
not freak out, but I'd sort of get a bit worried if I was behind earlier in games. But now I've sort of, you think of the longer term, you play the long game, and you know that you can always bring it back in the last couple of turns, which is, I think, where a lot of the real sort of action happens in those last couple of turns. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the way I play. I, yeah. I've always played Border War, the kind of armies I play in normally yeah. late game. I don't worry about my opponent getting it in their turn, because yeah. I know I've got my turn as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if if you know every time you're coming down, you're taking off their models and they're not taking yours off, mm. as it gets to the end game, you then just get on to... Like, as long as they're never getting on your objective yeah. at the start, if you can then get the side ones as well and yeah. then get theirs, that every time you score that four points and they don't, it's just such a big kind of points recovery or points lead. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's the way I always play it. It's just let them... And also, if they push ahead to take those objectives, I find that they reveal weaknesses because you, yeah. can, you, you can, can pick them apart further yeah. away and mm-hmm. then apply... Certainly with my army, anyway, you can apply your army to very small portions of their army when they can't retaliate to it. So yeah. you know you can take them off with impunity. Um, yeah. And it just works really well in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it sounds like we both had a pretty good, pretty convincing win game one. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Go team Mortley Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we go into round two at CanCon. Chris, how did you go? So game two was take and hold, and I was against Chris Top from Sydney um, playing his Seraphon list. We played a couple of practice games actually in Sydney for CanCon, so um, yeah, when when Chris walked over to the table and he, he heard he'd been drawn against me, he walked over like he'd already lost the game, um, and I sort of, I said to him straight away, I was like, mate, why do you look like you've, like, why are you coming here as if you've already lost? Like, our games have been close, and like, that's not the attitude you should have, like, you, you're gonna, your list is gonna give me problems, um, so yeah, I just had a quick little word with him, like, come on, mate, like, pick yourself up, like, we haven't even started the game and you're acting defeated and I think you're going to give me a good game so um so yeah we did that and then um yeah we got into got into the game um so yeah there wasn't really anything significant in terms of terrain or anything like this um for the for the effects um Chris his Seraphon list he has like three big units of skinks um which he pretty much runs at you and then runs away from combat to just use their movement abilities. He's got some real real tricks up his sleeve that he can do with them, um, which is really, really good, especially if I'd kind of deploy in the sky. Um, so he um, he can kind of just run skinks across and try and zone, zone you out of where I could drop down. Um, and then he had a kind of central defensive core um, of three units of... Saurus Guard with a Skink Priest and uh, an Eternity Warden in the formation that basically gives them all like plus one to save while they're near the hero and uh, their weapons all do d3 damage I think if they don't charge or move um, so they can do loads of damage and they're on like two up re-rollable saves when the Skink Priest kind of does his prayers so um, I fought the list so I kind of knew what it could do I knew the key was you need to shoot out We'll take out the characters first and as soon as the characters are dead they go to having a four up save that's not re-rollable and the issue is they're quite expensive and they've only got one wound each and when all my shootings damage two yeah um it means every single one that gets through is kind of killing two um and he doesn't have that many of them yeah um but yeah so basically i think i decided to take first turn 
um, and dropped a few units, maybe one or two units of prosecutors on either on either flank and just did some kind of probing shots at the skinks. Um, in hindsight, I think I probably should have pushed and aimed to just do a lot more because if I just wiped the skinks off the board straight away, um, it would have stopped a lot of his sh shenanigans, which you'll hear put me in a bit of in a bit of trouble later in the game. Um, but yeah, I dropped a few units in. Didn't bother trying to attack his solid block around his objective um, with the source and everything. I knew I needed to deal with the skinks because um, he also had the um, shadow strike formation, which let him have a unit of six ripodactyls up in the sky. He dropped his bloke toad on my objective, just waiting. <laughs> so, and he kept that threat up in the sky. So I knew I couldn't drop everything because. Again, we've played before and I know those units can just tear through. That one unit, when it comes down, can just, with all its rerolls and everything, can just tear through. If I put three units of Liberators in range, they'll probably kill all three units. So I had to be really careful about it. So I was I was holding on to stuff. I didn't want to commit it all to the table, it, just around my objective. Yeah. Um, and he, did a, he held on to them for a long time, um, which is one of the reasons I didn't deploy too much at the start. Um, so yeah, I kind of did some probing shots. His skinks then ran forwards in his turn um, with their free 2d6 inch move at the start of the game. And then they ran forwards, um, charged me, and then retreated away. Uh, my prosecutors weren't going to do any damage to them in combat anyway. So he very quickly, kind of by the end of his turn too, had made a big kind of circle around my objective, um, which actually was getting me worried because... He was obviously in control of his objective and I knew he was trying to zone me out of the game because if if he got priority into his turn three and I hadn't dropped my stuff on the board, he would have models within six, I wouldn't, and he'd have his, so he'd auto-win um, on the turn three. So he really put a lot of pressure on me just by not fighting me. Um, so yeah, everyone looks at the skinks and goes, oh, they're a bit rubbish, but because of how fast they can move and it's just about models and I can't drop within nine um he he did a really really good clever job of just running a load of skinks at me and just creating this huge circle around my objective where i couldn't really drop um he couldn't obviously in two turns completely cover the board and create a perfect circle to lock me out so it meant when it came to my turn two i had to really i took up quite a long time thinking about what i could possibly do to get myself out of the, the situation yeah. um and then I basically looked at it and went, okay, I can, I can dig myself out here. So I had to kind of, there was a bit of a gap towards the back where I could drop my Xeros in. And then I dropped two units, I think, of my prosecutors in and then teleported a unit of liberators into the middle of the circle, but keeping outside of three. I didn't want to engage him in combat yeah. because if I engaged him in combat, it would have made a gap in the middle where he could have dropped his rippers. Uh, yeah. Um, and also his skinks would have just run away and probably created more issues for where else I could put other things. So I thought, actually, if I just sit here, he doesn't get a chance to kill me. He can't put his ripodactyl bases because I put them in such a way that there physically wasn't space for him to put them inside the circle he created with his skinks. Ah, uh, okay, cool. And then I flew in two nice. units of prosecutors from the outside, teleported liberators to them, so yep. engaged him with two units of liberators on the outside to just attack his skinks. Um, so then it came to my turn. I had all my shooting for my prosecutors um, and I killed pretty much all the skinks he had on the board, bar a couple. Um, wow. And then, I, so then I'd cleared his, I'd cleared his threat other than the Ripodactyls. 
Um, but then it was going into the next priority. I think I'd also dropped a few units and my Relictor within a wood um, to start sending some probing kind of mortal wounds because that's the thing that really deals with the, the, the Saurus Guard is mortal wounds because they have no save against it and they're only one wound each and they're really expensive. So yeah. I dropped him there a turn before to start kind of doing my hero phase blast knowing he wouldn't want to move out towards me because he wanted to hold his objective. Yeah. Um, so I yeah had then dropped a couple of units of prosecutors, started shooting in against the character to start chipping wounds off him. So then when I dealt with the skinks, I had more units, probably two or three units of prosecutors, um, one on each far flank shooting in at the character to try and start taking him out. Um, and yeah, basically, I think in my turn three, I'd cleared pretty much all of his skinks. I dug myself out of the hole, I had a unit of liberators and I'd also put my Griffhound basically sitting on top of my objective and that was surrounded by prosecutors as well so if he wanted to then drop his rippers all my prosecutors or most of them maybe six units of them would be able to shoot at his ripodactyls if he wanted to get in near my objective um, so then I kind of it was really hard I had to really think about the movement but then I managed to kind of play my way out of that hole that he put me in um, and I basically just pushed back really hard. Um, we had a discussion. I think I won because of what I'd managed to do. I think in my turn three, I'd killed a lot. I'd taken out his characters and started killing half of his units of Saurus Guard. I think in the turn, in my turn two, I'd managed to take out his character. So I'd then teleported a unit of Liberators in and taken out half the Saurus Guard in in my turn three. So. I think at the end of it I said if you don't I think he got turn four priority and he still hadn't dropped his Ripidactyls and he wasn't going to and I sort of said to him if you don't drop them now you're going to lose the game in my next turn because I knew it was going to be my turn before another priority roll and I knew I'd already cleared his skinks there was nothing on my objective with the movement and the range my prosecutors had I knew I could move up and just shoot off the rest of his army um, so he wasn't going to play it, and I said, look, if you don't drop them now, you are going to lose on turn four. So I think he looked at it and went, yeah, that's probably true, based on the amount of damage my prosecutors could do when he'd lost his two up re-rollable saves. Yeah. So he then dropped the Ripidactyls, but because of the space I'd created in my turn three, he had to drop outside, like, away from my objective quite far, yeah. which meant that he wasn't... He dropped outside of the 10-inch range of the Griffhound, so he wasn't going to set that off. Um, but he wasn't going to get within six of my objective. Um, he then rolled a 12 on the charge, and obviously because they fly, he then could fly straight over and get near my objective. Yeah. So he then did all his hundreds of attacks with his re-rolls and everything mm -hmm. and took off, I think, a couple of the units of prosecutors and one of the units of liberators. Yeah. I, in my previous turn, had recalled the unit of liberators, I think, and put them there so they were ready for the fight. I then got to strike back again with all my buffs because I dropped my Lord Celestine with his plus one to hit he was in range um, so with all my buffs my liberators were hitting on twos because they were in range of prosecutors from their vanguard wings any fours or more were doubling up on the wound rolls nice. with my grand hammers in there that was quite a lot and then he, he rolled loads and loads of dice at me by this point quite a few people I think had come over to watch the table he was just rolling loads of dice I was taking off units and then I was like, right, my turn, my unit of liberators just went in, did a huge amount of attacks with the extra dice that I got because of the hit rolls. I rolled quite well. I think I got like five grand hammer wound rolls through. Wow. And then he just That's took cool. off all his rippers. 
Because oh. he'd been saying, oh, wait for the double, wait for the double, I'm going to take you off. And then I killed all of his Ripidactyls. And I was sort of giving him some banter back. I was like, what double? You've got no men left. Um, so that was that was quite funny. Um, Brutal. <laughs> so yeah, managed to... He took off, yeah, a couple of units of prosecutors and I think a unit of liberators. So after I'd killed all his skinks and all his Ripidactyls, his characters and half of his Saurus, I think I was left with two turns. I had my turn four and then my turn five to basically just kill I think at this point he probably had about 14 Saurus warriors left or something I had 6 or 7 units of prosecutors and 2 units of liberators that I could just teleport in so I I charged, I flew some prosecutors in, teleported the 2 units of liberators in to his objective on my 4th turn to smash them up a lot so I think there was 3, I think there was 3 Saurus warriors left going into my 5th turn um so I still had six units of prosecutors. I had loads of move um, to move within the objectives. Um, and I basically, I moved a bit closer and I shot him off. And then was like, oh, cool. I Because I, I'd been really on the back foot from turn three. And I was just like so focused on, I can do this in five turns. I can take him off and I can win this. And I did it and I just sort of went, oh, good game. There we go. There it is. And Chris just went, oh I'm so sorry but it's only a minor yeah because yeah. you haven't got five models on your objective and yeah. I just looked at him and went oh shit <laughs> because he'd, he'd done he'd done so well in his play yeah. he'd put me under so much pressure I just forgot that for that scenario you have to have five or more models yeah. and it's not just one or more or more than your opponent so all I'd done I think he'd seen it the turn before because all I'd done is left my grip hand on mine and pushed everything forwards so I'd already stopped <laughs> claiming my own but I just hadn't realised uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it came to the end of the game you had your sweating yeah. yeah I mean in my last turn I had prosecutors within range of both I had the movement to do it I literally could have just moved models on and got a major wow. but because he put so much pressure on me and played such a good game yeah. I just forgot and so unfortunately although I could have done it and I tabled him at my turn 5 I got a minor and that's that's what happens if your opponent plays well they put so much pressure on you these things happen so yeah, absolutely. it's a lesson I've learned I'll never do that again um, yeah. my other games before I thought I was about to kind of win I just checked the I double checked the winning like the scenario conditions on all my other games just to make sure I hadn't forgotten um, going forward so yeah he taught me a, he taught me a valuable lesson that day um, yeah he's, he's a good player isn't he I've, I've, I've played a game against him like just a just a friendly like ages ago and um, against his infamous skinks um, but it was on you know those uh, dreadhold terrains so yeah. it was a lot it was a lot different game a very different game to um, to a match play scenario but yeah, it's 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 definitely a doozy to play against, and he really knows how to use it to his advantage. And that's what I said. I mean, I said to him, he was my kind of he was my dark horse for that event because that skink list is so tricksy. A lot of people that haven't played mm. against it, especially in the scenarios when you can just auto win by having more models than your opponent, people just don't realize what he's going to do and suddenly run skinks twenty seven inches across the board in one turn. Yeah. And yeah, and that's why I said to him at the start of the game, why are you walking over like you've lost this game? I know you're going to give me a good game. And he did. Like I yeah. was really sweating turn three. Um, so although it, although I tabled him in turn five and I should have got a major, he, he held me to a minor, um, which was, he did so well. He got my best opponent vote for the whole, the whole oh, tournament. Yeah. I think he gave me the most competitive, the best game of Warhammer I think I've, of Age of Sigmar I've played. 
Um, so I said to him, and he, he felt awful. Like, you could tell at the end of the game, he was like, oh, I'm the worst person ever. And I was like, no, you're not. Completely, you did the right thing by not telling me. That's my mistake. You totally deserve to hold me to a minor because the reason I forgot is because you put me under so much pressure by playing well. Yeah. So, Chris, again, so well done. I know this sounds weird, but I'm really proud of you for how you did. <laughs> um, and especially as, yeah, given your overall tournament score when we get to it showed how well you played um so yeah really well done i had a great game and i've learned lessons for the future because of it so yeah that was a great game too very draining but really good sounds like a veritable maelstrom was going on in that field like just listening to all those ripodactyls just ripping shredding and your liberators just sh- shredding and ripping back it's yeah they're, awesome. they're just such a threat those yeah. ripodactyls yeah. although they don't have rend they just do so many attacks i think they're actually a perfect thing to take down stuff like mongol yeah because it's just weight of dice and because i think the turn they come down they get like re-roll all their hits re-roll their wounds i think they get plus one to wound so they're pretty much twos and twos yeah just with so many attacks even after the mongol kind of negates their he gives them minus one to hit because they're bravery 10 anyway because they're being seraphon they don't care yeah they just do they do so much damage to him yeah they can tear through anything they're they're so good and yeah, just the fact that he held on to them. I think other players would have dropped them quite early to just mm. go, oh, I'm going to take out some targets here. Yeah. But it forced me to hold stuff, a lot of my army back. A psychological um, game. Yeah. So yeah, it was, re- it was really... I He gives me the best kind of games. Those games where people don't deploy everything on the table. Mm. It's kind of people are playing me at my own game because my yeah. whole army can drop <laughs> in bits and pieces. And, yeah. I'm normally the person doing that to people, so when people can hold stuff back against me, it really gets me worried. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was really good. It was a really, really good game. Um, so yeah. Cool. So yeah, that was my second game. James, how did your go? Well, my second game was against the uh, the great bearded one, Dan Say. <laughs> um, so against his uh, mighty dwarf host, I think he. Sorry, what, sorry, what dwarves? I don't, oh, know, I don't know what so these dwarves yeah, you speak of are. Uh, Duarden. Oh, Duarden. Yeah, Duarden. 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 Okay. Beards. <laughs> Just a whole lot of bearded warriors. It was they, were, they looked were they looked resplendent in their armor. No, it was a fantastically painted army too. I loved it. Um, but he uh, he took a uh, grudge-bound warthrong. Yeah. Full battalion. Um, yeah. So he decided like bulk bulk troops um he had his hammerers he had his quarrelers he had his iron drakes he had um an unforged uh warden kings um runesmiths you name it he had it yeah um his other list he had some more war machines he had this mad um conversion of a steam tank just like this uh a conversion with um one of the gyrocopters bodies with some legs and he just like converted it up with uh, lots of dwar- uh, Dwarden um, insignias and stuff it looked amazing um, yeah it looks really cool it yeah. looks like it's basically going to be the steam golem yeah. we've heard rumours about it's, so. it's the one that's coming out um, but uh, yeah so this round two was taken hold so what a match up for, for, um, for me in this game Dwarves this is Dwarden if it if there's one scenario that they excel in, it is take and hold, um, or just take and take. <laughs> but um, yeah, so my game plan for this was like I knew that yeah he would not be getting far in this scenario, so I had to just take the risk and just charge, 
all my beasties at him um, and just hope that I could at least get a double turn um, so I could capitalize on getting in close and start um, shredding some um, beards. But um, it wasn't, alas, it wasn't to be in this particular game. Um, I think from this point onwards, I went through a streak where I did not get one single priority roll for like something ridiculous, like nine turns in a row, following into the next games from, from this game. Um, yeah, just some crazy, um, some crazy ill luck with those priority rolls. But um, for this game, turn one, I figured, well, I've just got to get up there and get stuck in, so pushed everything forward, the Vargeist and Neferata on the right, Coven Throne and the uh, Mongol sort of centre uh, centre left. Uh, zombies were back with the Vampire Lord um, guarding my objective, which I just started pushing them up after turn two. Um, but, yeah, in the first turn, his um, all his shooting was concentrated onto the, the Mongol, uh, which sustained after a whole army shooting at him um, took six took six wounds off him um, he then charged out the unforged who then uh, went first in combat and uh, did a staggering eight damage on the Mongol. ouch yeah in that um in that first round of combat and i was like ah but it was such an epic moment that's um, pretty good going for an unforged because they're only damage one aren't they did he given it a relic blade or something to make it damage two I think so. Okay. But they still so. only have six attacks, and he would have been minus one to hit. So he, he got, got like extra good. damage because it was a, a, a monster. Oh, okay. I think it yeah. lets them like re-roll ones or add one to their wounds or hits or something. He, like, he got like two attacks through, and he goes, that's four damage each. And I'm just like, well... I thought the only way it doubles up is against Chaos. I think mm. he might have had you there. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, if that if that is the case, it doesn't matter anyway. It just um, it just made for an epic moment in the game. Um, I loved it. <laughs> um, there's nothing like an unforged just just charging out in front of the army and just laying waste to some massive beast, which is exactly what happened. Um, and followed up with the Coven Throne, who then took him off. Um, but by this stage, on my right flank, uh, the shooting had taken its toll on the Vargeist and um, just couldn't get enough wounds off on that um, flank. Uh, Neferata charged in. We did a bit. Of, we did a bit of damage on the right flank, but it wasn't enough really to penetrate. Um, my my plan for that game was basically to send the Morgo in and um, uh, hope that he would survive. Uh, enough just to get into combat with the infantry so he could just start ripping tearing um, healing himself up and the plan for me was basically just to tear through that his troops with the Mongol um, absorb the fire like to distract from the Vargeists and Neferata um, follow up with the Coven Throne um, and that was that was my basic game plan did you put um, a mystic shield on the Mongol or anything like that um no no I was putting on Neferata okay yeah and you, did you send them in together, or did you just send the Mongol in? Uh, I sent the sent the Mongol in, um, sort of centre, um, backed up by the Coven Throne, sort of centre left, and then on the right flank I had my Vargeists and Neferata. Okay. Um, so yeah, all his shooting was still getting the negs from the neg ones from um, Neferata, and yeah. the the Mongol didn't survive, <laughs> so I didn't get to capitalise on his um, on his either. But the Coven Throne, of course, she she was. Um, she had the cursed book, so she was doing minus one as well. Um, 
but yeah, so that that's pretty much all that happened. They uh, it ground out the the Vargas were ground out. Neferata got ground out. Um, his army started to advance forward, and I thought, well, stuff it, and I just marched the zombies in and uh, the vampire lord, and just had a bit of a showdown in the centre. Um, the Iron Drakes and the shooting just um, took out characters one by one, and um, the Vargas and just got to the yeah down to the the last turn where we we called it at the end of the game and um yes yeah, so that was a minor victory uh to the duarden on on that day but um so me, it just went down to vps um neither neither person got both objectives so yeah so he just got the minor on vps yeah, yeah okay um so yeah well done dan it was a pleasure playing against you you got my um, best player vote for the um for the tournament um Gentleman and a scholar, nice beard, lots of beards on the table. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I've got a real soft spot for the Dwarden. Um, I've toyed with the idea of uh, playing uh, Dwarden for quite some time now. Um, what about fire slayers? Or yeah, I thought about fire slayers well, as well. I think they, yeah, they just come down in points a lot by the looks of things. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, I reckon they'll be today. pretty competitive now. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there um, in the future for the fire slayers. Um, probably a start collecting box coming your way soon <laughs> yeah they, they should do that yeah they, I'm pretty sure they will it should be yeah no. um, yeah no well done Dan um, a well earned victory um, bit of a <laughs> it was a tough match up for me but um, playing dwarves in that um, sort of scenario is being being Dwarden they uh, excel at defence um in hindsight, I think mm-hmm. what I should have done in that game um, is basically just held back and just forced him to march forward, um, forced his gun lines to move forward, just made his dwarves just walk towards me, just to spread them out a bit, uh, make it easy for me to get in and um, start ripping and tearing with my, my heavy hitters. Um, I think that probably could have made a bit more of an impact on the game, might have been a sneak around the back like, um, after doing some damage. Used your movement a bit more. Yeah, used the movement a bit more. Instead of just sort of charging across the field, an open field in front of a, a dwarven gun line, it's just suicide, really. Yeah. It's basically it's suicide. But I, I was... Or send everything together so that you concentrate all your negatives to hit in yeah. one place. Yeah. So that he's actually not just like going from maybe a three to a four. He's yeah. actually going from a three to a six. Yeah. And then he can't actually kill any of it. And that whole ball of concentration mm. just forces its way through. Yeah. Like the way he deployed was like, yeah, he had layered defense lines around his objective. And it was just a ton of armor and... Um, uh, non-battle shocking dwarves because it doesn't matter how much damage you do to dwarves they're very hard to shift battle shock is yeah, they're very hard to battle shock off the board um, yeah a lot of their banners make them have um, guys that run and yeah I think sort of stuff. I think the grudge ban will wrong I think it's if they roll a 1, 2 or a 3 or yeah. something for battle shock they they pass, nobody yeah. flees regardless yeah. so yeah they're, they're quite tough to battle shock off oh um, yeah and obviously he adds kind of his rune Lord, um, six up kind of ward save. Yeah, he had um, well. he had quite a few ward saves um, thrown in there, uh, so that was making it hard for me to shift his troops as well when I, when I was in there. Um, but, um, but anyway, sounds like a sounds like a good game. It's not like you had a major loss; it was a minor loss. So. Yeah, it was a minor loss. So if, yeah, definitely, I just played a little bit differently. I'll open, I'll open next time um, to just to draw him out 
draw a dwarf player out because it's been a while since I've played against them. Yeah, um, and their range and isn't that great. Did he have any war machines and stuff? Uh, not in this list. It was just the Grudge Grand Warthrong, which yeah, doesn't have okay. um, an arsenal. So, so yeah, yeah, actually, then drawing him out would have been good because yeah. he wouldn't have had that much beyond 20-inch range, really. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. Still, yeah, sounds, but, sounds like you had a fun game and yeah, against, oh, against a great opponent. So and my favourite moment of the tournament was that, that battle between the Unforged and the Mongol. That yeah. was, <laughs> I think... And a, a gem to play against. Uh, thanks, Dan. Looking forward to our next game. Awesome. Okay, so my game three was against Jet Griffiths from the Sydney scene with his Bone Splitter army. So he brought the Cunning Ruck with 30 Arrow Boys with uh, the Savage Oric Big Boss. He had um, Savage Boar Boys on the flanks. He had a Maniac Weird Knob and the War Dock. Uh, basically, yeah, Blood and Glory was the, was the scenario, so fairly standard sort of scenario but yeah just a lot of bodies for my army to choose through so he basically charged the boars down the flanks I countered with the uh, far guys to my left zombies on the right um, it's quite cool that he used boar boys um, because and he only had one unit of 30 archers actually like most yeah. most bone splitters lists we've seen is just one if not two big blocks of 40 archers mm, yeah. all the guys on foot just for the most kind of points to wounds and models dice. efficiency yeah. um, so it's quite cool that Jet used something a bit different actually with the yeah. boars and stuff like that which did that give you more of a game and stuff yeah absolutely yeah it, yeah, it gave it more gave us more of a game and he had some quirky things in there like his maniac weird knob actually stared down Neferata at one point did like six mortal wounds on Neverata. I was like, uh oh, this oh thing, is this thing gonna keep going? When you say stare down, you mean with the big Wergog? Yeah, mask. like the Wergog mask. Yeah, that's the one. Um, the magic item. Oh, it's so funny. So um, for people that don't know, it's a uh, if you take a pure Bone Splitters Allegiance, um, you get access to their magical items, um, and one of those items is the big Wergog mask. And basically, what it does, I think, once per game, I think, I guess, hero phase, you can pick a an enemy within six or something like that. I think it's quite short range. Um, And you basically do like D6 mortal wounds or something. And then you roll again. It keeps going. And on a three up, you do it again. Mm. And you can choose to either stop rolling and stop staring at them. Or you can just keep rolling until you don't roll a three up. And basically once you stop, as soon as you roll a one or a two, your head explodes and you die, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that happened. Like, after six mortal wounds on Neferata, the, he- the Maniac Weird Knob's head exploded from the um, the mask. So that was the highlight of the game for me. Um, pretty This fine. particular game went... F- we couldn't finish it. We had to... We started running out of time, so we ended it at the end of the fourth turn, I think it was. Uh, we had two objectives each for the Blood and Glory. Just a lot of bodies on both sides. I had my zombie tar pits. He had his bone splitter glory <laughs> and uh, so I ended up winning on kill points so that was a minor victory to me game okay, three so you managed yeah. to chew through it a fair bit yeah enough I think also in turn my stuff was fairly resilient in that game too so you didn't actually kill a lot of you mine. got quite a few minuses to hit and stuff like that which really hurts the yeah. bonus players doesn't it oh so. absolutely yeah yeah um, yeah cool um, so that was a minor win to you yes on kill points mm-hmm. cool my game three, Blood and Glory, also um, was against Ramir Araneta. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Um, I, ho- I hope Ramir is listening. I chatted to him a fair bit about the podcast sort of through our game and um, wrote down the, the name of the podcast and stuff afterwards. So hopefully he's, he's found us and is listening. So if you are, hi Ramir. Thanks for the game. Um, so Ramir was also running Stormcast Eternals. 
Um, so that was interesting. He had two lists. Um, one of his lists was Warrior Brotherhood, which is the list I actually thought he would play given the scenario we're playing is Control 4 objectives and they have all that ability to drop and be really flexible. And so I thought he would play the Warrior Brotherhood list. Um, but he actually chose his second list, um, which was really cool. Um, it was... A, a bit of a mixed bag. It was technically mixed order, actually, not pure Stormcast, because he had two Celestial Hurricaneums in there um, with, I think, three units of Judicators. I've never seen two Celestial Hurricaneums before. I haven't come up against yeah. it. I've seen lists online with two, but yeah. I've never come up against it before. Um, yeah. And his army was beautiful as well. I remember it was... I think it was actually uh, selected as one of the... Con- one of the uh, competitors for the painting competition. Yep, yeah, it was up there. Like the uh, yeah, it was the purple yeah. Stormcast. So. Oh, yeah, beautiful work. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it was was really cool, Um, and I like seeing different lists, so I was kind of glad that I didn't play against Warrior Brotherhood either, because it is kind of a net list, and I like doing the, playing, definitely playing the alternate lists, but also seeing other people also doing well with alternate lists. it's really cool seeing it. Um, So yeah, he had a double Hurricaneum, three units Adjudicators, a unit of four Fulminators, uh, two Griffhounds, a Lord Castellant, a Knight Heraldor, and a Lord Relictor. Um, I think that was all of his... Yeah, I think that was his whole army. Um, and he deployed... <laughs> he deployed in a really, really cool formation, actually. It was a really strong defensive castle on one objective on his side. Right. Um, so he basically made a square with his three units adjudicators with Griffhounds on kind of either corner at the front um, to just give that kind of protective warning cry against anyone trying to drop in within um, close range, really. How how do you find the warning cry? Do you think that's... uh... Normally I don't rate it. Um, I've I've kind of been saying it's too easy to counter um, generally because it's only if you drop within 10 inches of that Griffhound and then you roll a dice and units within that many inches of it get to shoot. So you have to keep Mm. your things close to it and it's not that many armies will drop right up in your face anyway you can normally drop somewhere else where you're more than 10 away from the griffhound but still close to their troops mm. um or you can just drop further away shoot the griffhound off come in like so it's it, like a good a good deterrent in that respect more, a single griffhound more than a, more than doing damage it's more of like yeah you've got your zoning possibly more of a zoning thing like um but i guess things like people say oh they're really useful though what if you come up against say the sky tunneling list and personally, I don't think they help you because you can pop up the warp grinder um, initially more than 10 inches away from the Griffhound, pop up a wizard, they can like arcane bolt, warp lightning, the Griffhound to just take it off before yeah. you then bring up the other units because there's no order. It's not like you have to bring up all the units first. And because you can place them and then still move, you can place anywhere within eight of that initial warp grinder and then still move before your shooting phase. So you don't have to place... 10 inches from a Griffhound, so they either have to push the Griffhound really far in front of their lines, in which case it doesn't really matter if you come up near it because they'll be too far away from their shooting troops to actually mm, roll okay, yeah. 2d6 for the shooting troops to actually be able to shoot you. Yeah. So th- there's... Was it effective in this game, in the way he used it? Um, it stopped me coming in with my Liberators a turn earlier than I did. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yes... It made me have to think twice about it, um, but I think it was more the fact that he used two. I think a single Griffhound is too easy to just get 
around. Um, yeah. But I think if you have multiples of them and they're kind of you have their zones of ten inch range overlapping, it does stop you just going right. Well, I'm going to deploy slightly further around this corner to be away from this ten inch because then you come into the ten inch mm. threat of the other one. Yeah, you don't um, want to get. A free, a free shot off on from his judicators. Well, that was too. the thing. Certainly, yeah. when he had three units of judicators and two celestial hurricanums, both buffing them, and the hurricanums obviously have shooting <laughs> attacks that do mortal wounds. <laughs> so there was no way, and the Drakoth breaths technically, there was no way yeah. I was going to go in and set those griff hands off. So he's just sitting there going, "Come at me, bro." Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Mu- pretty much. So, and and that yeah. was the thing I saw. I was like, right, well, to major win this. I need to control all four objectives, and he is a really strong castle on that. My main issue with his army was the Fulminators, because basically my whole army is pretty much shooting um, with a maximum of Rend 1 on the Tridents um, from my Prosecutors. Don't you get better... You get... Uh, like a better um, shooting if you're was it more than nine inches away yeah so if you're over nine inches away with your javelins from Mm. the prosecutors then they're all damage two um, which I normally I I Mm. pretty much always do so all my shooting essentially is damage Mm. two because the tridents are always damage two but they also have rend Um, but the problem is fulminators they standardly have a three up save re-rolling ones and then they also get plus one to their save against shooting so against shooting they've got a two up save re-rolling ones so really, yeah. Oh my god! Even so, <laughs> with my tridents that have rend, I could potentially get him to a three up re-rolling ones. But he had a castellant who can put his lantern buff on them, which would mean that they're then technically a one up re-rolling ones. So even with my rend, he was on a two up re-rolling ones. He could also, if he wanted to, with the hurricanum's custom mystic shield onto them, to basically give them a zero up save. Um, re-roll. <laughs> one, always, one always fails though in match play. It does, so. but he can re-roll ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the problem is, once he's got that Castellan buff on them, they can heal. So any save rolls of a seven or more, so basically you've got the six, yeah. and then the Castellan is one buff, but yeah. against shooting he gets his extra buff, and then if he missed shield he'd get another buff. So potentially he can have plus three to his save against shooting. So yeah. even with my rend, he's got a plus two. So does that mean they're healing on a three up? So they'd be healing on fives, fives. against rend. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. yep. So there was no way my nice. army was going to chew through them. So strong. Um, so what I did was, turn one, I actually dropped about... I think I dropped seven of my nine units of prosecutors, turn one, in a big kind of... All the way around his square castle, but 18 inches away, um, to just start kind of chipping chipping yeah. off wounds yeah. um, but I didn't really kill that much I killed maybe adjudicator here adjudicator there um, I actually left the Griffhounds alone turn one as well um, in hindsight I probably would have just dropped one or two units the first turn just shot the Griffhounds off and that would have been it Right. Yeah. Um, but I dropped quite a lot because my plan was I needed to bait him out I also dropped my Knight Heraldor on the back left objective on my side just so turn one I'd claim that objective because obviously in blood and glory you don't actually have to have models there you just have to be controlling it and the first person to control it they they retain control until the opposition takes it off them you can tag it and move on so I thought right well I'll just drop my knight heraldor within six there so I'll still be in my half quite far away from his shooting but in range he had scenery near him that I could toot with my horn to try and start doing some mortal wounds and stuff like that so um i dropped my herald or tooted the terrain did a few mortal wounds here and there again nothing major um killed maybe three judicators i think turn one um and then he had his turn uh and he he obviously 
moved his judicators out a little bit, pushed out a bit, so that he could start getting his fulminators out, um, because obviously he defended them by castling them behind his judicators. So he, okay, so he did he deployed them behind. Yeah, so okay. it, the judicators were the outer square, yep. and then the fulminators were behind them, and then the characters and the hurricanes were behind that. So he had to form like a little corridors for them to. Come so out he had to move a bit. So it basically yeah. slowed. It slowed them down. They couldn't just charge straight out at yeah. me. So I knew I had a little bit of time before they got to me. Mm. Um, or if they did manage a long charge, only really one of them would be in range, and it's one unit of prosecutor, so I wasn't too bothered. Yeah. Um, That's where flying units can really come in handy in the situations. Yeah. Formulators, obviously, they can't fly, but if uh, they did, imagine yeah, that. Yeah, they'd be straight over, no restrictions <laughs> to their movement, they'd be straight up in my face. Um, but yeah, so that's why I stayed 18 inches away, so... I was pretty confident he wouldn't really get a charge on me. Um, or if he did roll like a 12, he'd only get one model in just. Um, but as it was, he pushed out. He came out a little bit, didn't do too much. Obviously, did quite a bit of shooting and um, I think killed or started damaging certainly quite a few units of my prosecutors. Um, his Hurricaneums weren't in range. Um, I'd made sure when I dropped I was outside of 18 just so that he wasn't, he wasn't using Comet of Cassandora on me from turn one. Um, the Comet of Cassandora. But he could um, <laughs> obviously then move because they've actually got quite a fast move of 10 but he didn't want to move too far out um, on his first turn anyway. So he pushed out a little bit, did some shooting, started whittling down, taking maybe a couple of prosecutors off here and there but with when you have nine units of prosecutors in your army, you don't really care as long as also I can just keep the prime alive. So as long as I don't take the full six wounds, as long as that prime's alive on one wound, I'm still getting two shots at rend one, damage two, hitting on twos, wounding on threes with the tridents. And it, it stacks up. So I wasn't too bo- bothered. Mm. Um, I could kind of weather it for a few turns anyway. Yeah. Um, but it, so it started to draw him out. So then it was turn two priority. Um, I won the priority and I basically kind of did much the same although yep. this time with my prosecutors that were on the kind of far far top corner um shot shot off his griffhound because i knew i was going to want to teleport some liberators in and i didn't want his shooting happening from the cry yeah, so yeah. i wasn't bothered about the one on the front because i knew i wasn't going to go in that way um so i shot off the griffhound at the side um and just tried to do a bit of damage um and then i also dropped my um, there was a space um, in the back corner um, which I could fit uh, a unit of prosecutors in from nine inches. Um, so I dropped that unit of prosecutors in um, and then teleported a unit of liberators to it right. um, and went into the... That's, hur- a, that's such a cool uh, manoeuvre you can do with that with the Harbinger Chamber, isn't it? Yeah. So it, you can just teleport your liberators. Yeah. Was it from... Anywhere, anywhere on the board, on the board to, to within, within six inches of any of the like of their um, parent of their parent yeah, um, any of the units of prosecutors yeah. from their vanguard wing they yeah. can just teleport to yeah um, from anywhere so that's why I normally deploy my liberators on the battlefield at the start um, I'd split them I'd put one right in the back left corner one right in the bottom right corner and then one spread on the backboard edge in the middle just to separate them up in case someone has anything that could kind of alpha strike mm. i don't want them all in one place so that they can all get kind of nuked off yeah. um, but i need them on the table already because you can't teleport them to the prosecutors if they're in the celestial realm yeah so i start them on the board so as soon as i because i can keep a unit of prosecutors in the celestial realm lightning strike them down at nine and then if the liberators are already on the board they can then use their teleport move to move to those prosecutors is it once per game no anytime anytime 
always in my movement phase, but mm. you can do it as many times as you like. It's pretty cool. So it's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really strong. And it's one of the things that... Um, it's the main reason I... It's one of the main reasons I love that formation because it takes your it takes our most cost efficient unit in Liberators for points that aren't that great really on their own. Um, generally, people will just have them stand on objectives, but then I think Judicators are better for just standing on objectives at the back of the board because at least they can still affect the game with range. Whereas Liberators are just sitting there; they're not doing anything. Yeah. Sure, they're holding an objective, but you can hold that objective with probably a forty point Griffound. Like, yes, it's not yeah. gonna, it's not as many models, and it's easier to kill, but it's quite a big points investment to just have loads of units of liberators sitting on an objective not doing anything so taking them in the vanguard wing gives them super mobility so that they can be wherever you need them to be because you've got three units of prosecutors per wing that they can teleport to and the way i play is i would always basically put one unit of prosecutors sort of on the left one in the middle and one on the right if i'm ever going in so that way i've got multiple options and because i've got three wings i'll always have three units of prosecutors from different wings on the left in the middle and on the right so wherever i need liberators unless they kill all nine units uh, sorry all nine prosecutors from one section i'll always be able to teleport at least one unit of liberators over there yeah right. um so it just gives me loads of flexibility and do they get extra buffs as well the liberators yeah whilst they're within eight inches of any of the prosecutors yep. um from their wing they are empowered so any hit rolls of a six or more you make two wound rolls for Yep. Um, and with the Harbinger Chambers buff, obviously, it gives every single model plus one to hit all the time. So that's already happening on fives. And then against anything with five or more wounds, Lalo the Tyrant's Liberator's standard rule so kicks hitting in. On two, so they're hitting, no, on twos, hitting on twos and any, and fours, fives, any fives, fours, fours against things with five or more wounds. Any fours will do two wound rolls for. Wow. So with the grand... So multiplying your the hits. Yeah, like so with the grand hammers. So... The Prime, I always give my Prime the Grand Hammer, so he has three attacks that um, have minus one rend and damage two. So sometimes when I roll yeah. well against big targets, all three of my attacks will hit on fours, fives, and sixes, so I get wow. to make six wound rolls Whoa. from one hammer that's minus one rend and damage two. So they are really good against big things, and they can be wherever I need them. So like suddenly that... Yeah, you know, every day that hundred point unit, hundred point unit that's normally slow and doesn't do a lot is now worth probably worth. They're, mon- twice they're monster. They're monster killers. Three times the, now. Yeah, I yeah. think I think they're at least three times their worth in that formation. That's fantastic. Um, the amount of big. How mo- much is the found? Is the uh, battalion? So a, a standard vanguard wings a hundred points. Yeah. Um, but it works really well in the full chamber because everything can gain lightning strike and a permanent plus one to hit, which just works really well. So you really get bang for your buck taking it that way, but you spend 540 points on formations, which is a huge amount. So it's, um, it's kind of, I personally, obviously it's the way I play and it's, it's a very strong army. It's done really well at multiple tournaments now. So clearly spending 540 points on formations, if you're spending it in the right place, is worth it because yeah. I think it multiplies the effectiveness of those units more than their base cost by a long way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just like against monsters that don't have a minus one to hit or anything like that modifier, those liberators just tear them apart. I've, I've just teleported in, you shoot them, you shoot them down a few wounds anyway, and then you hit them with the liberators. You just send one unit in and you, you're pretty much always doing like, seven to ten wounds from five liberators against monsters it's nuts yeah. it's really good unless they're monsters with like a two up save but a lot of monsters only have like a four up or even a five yeah. up save 
Um, so yeah, 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 I mean, those primes... Right. Mm. I've had those primes do 10 wounds to a monster in one go. Like, to a terror guy, I've done 10 wounds in a turn just from the prime. It's wow. it's, it's insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. So, um, just coming back to the game, I... There was a nine-inch space for me in the back right, in the back left corner, um, near his castle. So I tr- teleported in one of my units of prosecutors that I'd left in the sky, um, and then I teleported a unit of liberators from it um, and charged one of his hurricanums in the back. Um, and with the shooting um, and then the liberators doing what they do, I took the hurricaneum off, which is what I expected to happen um, because they've only got nice. they've only got eleven wounds and a four-up save. So I was doing my thing, hitting on twos, fours were doubling up. There's some trident shots going in there. It just took it down in one go. Turn into uh, kindling, <laughs> firewood. Um, and yeah, so, and that was one threat gone. That was one of the plus ones to hit gone. The Storm Shemtech attacks gone. Um, so that, that really helped. And I, I was in there. Um, and then I had moved my prosecutors backwards away, just flying away so I was 18 inches away from the fulminators that had started to come out towards me just backing off towards the middle of the board to kind of bait them away from the objectives because I knew I was like if those fulminators get onto an objective I mm-hmm. can't I can't kill them yeah so I had to just try and bait them um I had to get them away for the model count um and just in the middle of the board so I was constantly just flying prosecutors kind of I flew them backwards um didn't didn't even really bother shooting them because I knew they were just going to heal. Um, like I said, shot off the Griffhound on the right to kind of open that space up. Started shooting off t- a few more shots kind of at the um, Judicators um, and the other Hurricanum, but it didn't really do a lot. I had some bad hit rolls or wound rolls and the Hurricanum saved a few, I think. So I didn't really do as much damage as I'd have hoped to on the other Hurricanum, but um, yeah. I got rid of the Griffhound. Um, and then, yeah, it was Ramirez turn two. Um so because I'd backed off again 18 inches, his fulminators moved up 10 towards the prosecutors, needing an 8-inch charge. Fortunately for me, they failed. I think they got like a 6 or something. So again, they hadn't done anything and they were sitting in the middle of the board, so they weren't in range of any objectives. Um, by this point, he then, he, with his judicators, I think shot my Heraldor off. So that was no longer alive, so couldn't do mortal wounds to him, but that objective was still mine from when I claimed it in my first turn with him um, because he hadn't moved any models within six inches of it. So although I didn't have anything there, it was still mine. Um, so that's quite important. Um, did a lot of shooting with the Storm of Shemtex and, um, and everything and the Judicators and killed a lot of my Prosecutor units that were around the fringes. So I really didn't have a lot, but again, he moved out a bit further. Um, so it was kind of... He moved a bit away from um, being within six inches of his objective. So I think his um, his characters were a bit off to the side and his unit on of ju- his two outer units of judicators weren't in range of six inches. Um, but he was still he was still holding it and um, and stuff like that. Um, so then it came to priority um, for turn three and I won it again and Basically, I just picked up my tray. Um, all my stuff's magnetised under the on, on my tray on the table, so I just picked that up, um, and I still had my Lord Celestin, my Lord Relictor, Griffhound, um, and two units of Prosecutors, um, and my Knight of Zeros. Um, because what he'd done is he'd moved some Judicators that, um, 
a bit closer to the back board edge to try and stop me dropping in prosecutors like I'd done the turn before. He'd moved them backwards a bit, which had taken them away from six inches of his objective, blocked off the blocked off the bit of space where I'd put in my prosecutors the turn before, but it still left me uh, a, a space big enough to get the Azeros base and be nine inches away. So I walk around the table, I put a relictor on my my back right objective so I didn't have anything on the left but it was still mine from when my Heraldor had claimed it I put my Relictor on the back right objective so that was more models than him so that was mine I dropped a Griffhound on the other one so that was mine because he had stayed in his castle there was no models anywhere so I could just drop easily outside of 9 inches and just drop a model on that one a model on that one so I was holding 3 um, so I just needed to get more models because Blood and Glory, it's just have more models than yeah. your opponent within six. Yeah, you don't have to clear the other models out. Um, of his one. So I dropped my Xeros in that perfect little hole. It was honestly, <laughs> there was only a few, there was probably five millimetres. A lot made. of very careful measuring, measuring going on at this moment. I'd seen I'd it say. and I'd looked at yeah. it and there was probably <laughs> there was probably a five millimetre to a centimetre extra of space around wow. him. It was just a perfect little Xeros hole. And I just I <laughs> dropped my Xeros in and then dropped the two units of prosecutors I'd kept just in a long line to keep just outside of the 10-inch from the Griffhound that was at the front. So just dropped them in a line of three, spacing them an inch apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so they dropped at the very edge of five from my Xeros and then spaced them an inch apart just to keep coherency but to spread them further towards the objective. And then I teleported my two remaining units of Liberators that I'd kept back, which were the ones that matched the two units that I'd kept off because I'd made sure they were from different wings and I'd made sure I'd kept those liberators spare because I knew this was what I was going to do. And then I teleported those liberators into within six of the front of each of those units, which just put me three inches away from his unit of judicators that was his main amount of models holding his objective. Made sure I didn't go within three of his character or his hurricane of either of his characters or his hurricane because I didn't want to pull them into combat because I knew they'd probably kill a few of my models. Yeah. And I had already counted up. I think he had six models in range. He had, I think the Lord Castellan, the one remaining hurricane and four judicators were in range. Yeah. Um, so I teleported 10 guys in, but just wanted to be extra, extra sure that I wasn't going to lose anything and that I was going to be in range and I just engaged the four lib- uh, the four judicators um, activated my unit in combat I think I killed two two of them they didn't kill anything back I had more models within six I claimed all four and that was game nice so um, done on the turn three so turn three got the major on the auto um, but I didn't get very many kill points he got a lot more kill points off me I think he got more off me than any other player throughout the weekend yeah um, and I barely got any just because I knew I was never killing those fulminators didn't kill any of the units adjudicators um, completely I think yeah. I got like three 360 points off him maybe for the Hurricaneum and the Griffhound that I killed and I think he got about oh, I might have got one unit of adjudicators so I might have got about 500 off him um, but I think he got like 900 or something off me um, yeah. so yeah it was it was a good game it was it was tight. If he hadn't left me that space for the Azeros, um, I'm not sure what would have happened. And if he didn't get the priority as well, it would have been perhaps a bit different too. It might have been a bit different. I'm not quite sure because he still was sort of castling, but slowly he was 
opening himself up a little bit more. So he was playing a longer game. He was never going to get the objectives. Yeah, maybe he was playing. He was playing the longer game, and he knew those fulminators. Like I couldn't kill them, yeah. but. The problem is you just have to have more models. So I guess even if he moved them to take an objective, if he then moved them off, I can just drop onto it or I can drop five models to his four and just stay out of... I don't need to engage them in my turn. I can just drop near them. Yeah, it's a really good thing about that scenario as well. Like It's a, it's a great uh, tournament scenario, I feel. like just It pushes you to go for the, the turn three win. So you, know, you can play long game. Play the long game, yes, by all means. But you've also that's a risk-reward, isn't it? Yeah. If you sit back too much, you can lose turn three if you don't play aggressively enough. Um, yes and no. I think, to be honest, he his army was actually pretty good against it for that. He could have just gone, I'm not giving up mine, hmm. and just yeah. win it. Because if yeah. I couldn't Denied win, if he, I couldn't win in five turns by claiming all four, the it goes to kill points. Yeah. And he was going to kill more because I just couldn't kill his fulminators or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had that really defensive castle. If he had just moved a little bit more and blocked that nine-inch gap where I put my Xeros in yeah. the back, Ooh, yeah. I wouldn't have got it, I don't think. Um, because, yeah, my prosecutors just weren't actually killing his judicators quick enough. They were getting shot off. Like I say, most of the... I think five, six units of prosecutors had died. Um, one of my units of liberators had died. I'd, it would have been much more of a grind. Um, I'd have had to have played the game very differently. And I think at that point, I don't know if I would have been able to have enough to come back. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's one where Stormcast can struggle if people don't give you the space and they actually have an army that can weather you, weather all that shooting, if they've got really high armor saves and stuff. Um it's one where you can struggle. So, um, yeah, but fortunately for me, I managed to... The game went as planned. Um, I managed to pull off what I was trying to do, and I was I was happy with how I played. Um, and, yeah, Ramir was a great opponent. Um, like I said, it was good talking to him about the podcast and, and stuff like that, so hopefully he's listened to that. And, um, yeah, thanks again, Ramir, for the game. Um, how did you feel? One, one more question. Um, playing another Stormcast army, being a Stormcast player yourself, did you guys engage in any way about why these two storm hosts mighty storm hosts had come to blows and were slaying each other on the battlefield no did some did one did one army displease sigmar and the other army was seeking retribution no sorry james we weren't story mongering like was... you <laughs> oh. we uh no maybe, or maybe actually there is in azir they have the uh the gladiatorium yeah where they pitch um storm hosts against storm hosts so perhaps that was a little snapshot from a a training battle in Maybe. the gladiatorium in Azir. Yeah, no, we weren't, we weren't, we didn't have any kind of fluff discussions, but we did talk about the lists, and I said to him a lot how much I really liked his list, um, because I like playing alternate lists, um, and it was one that I hadn't seen, and I said to him, I really like how you've made the Griffhounds actually work, because it stopped me one turn from going in, and actually the double Hurricaneum was really strong and it was really cool and the fulminators were there to just be that other it was a good mix so he had range he had bodies um he had magic he had super tough defensive stuff that he could charge out and just shrug damage off um yeah. so yeah we we, ch- we chatted about lists and list building and stuff like that but no we didn't sorry james we didn't have any fluff discussions <laughs> about why stormcast was slaying stormcast <laughs> it was a dark day for his ear but yeah um <laughs> So yeah, that was my game three. That was that was a bit long. Um, I'll try and be quicker on the next ones. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So my game four on day two uh, was against um, Sean Beggs, aka Begsy. So who who was my game one opponent? He, yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, 
Um, one of our compadres from Queensland came down from Toowoomba, I believe, with the Herald's guys. Uh, legendary bloke. We had a great weekend. Um, he had his Skaven list, which um, Chris has outlined already, so I won't go into too much detail there. But uh, just Clan Rats, Storm Vermin, and uh, he had... Quite a bit of Sky stuff. So. Yeah, Doom Wheel, he had the Doom Wheel. Cannon. He had stuff that I, you don't normally that or haven't seen for ages in an Age of Sigma Skaven list. Yeah, you had the Hell Pit, which was cool. Yeah, Hell Pit Abom- Abomination, and beautifully painted as well. I have to say, like he was also nominated um, for the painting prizes. So yeah, Banksy's army was really nice. Yeah, be- yeah, oh, absolutely love love that love the um, the scheme he'd come up with that, for that army and and the display board as well. He built this beautiful. Uh, wooden display board with the Skaven symbol hanging down on it. Yeah, the, the um, triangle, it was really cool. Yeah, no, it was I think that's what he does. I think he does like carpentry yeah, and stuff. Actually, yeah, so he it does was really do nice that. to see a proper wooden handcrafted kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, the game we played was Three Places of Power and. Three Fishes. Three Fishes. Yeah. <laughs> three Places. What? Oh, it's Age of Sigma, I think, started it. Three, oh, come right. on. Three, I, I don't I, I Three don't places. To this. <laughs> three fishes. Three fishes of power, is it? No, it's just three fishes. Just three fishes. Just, okay. Yeah. Alright, right, whatever. I'll just go with it. Um, <laughs> this game, I had Neferata uh, on the right, uh, and Arkin in the centre, zombies on the left, uh, Vargeists, and... I think I took the Mongol in this one as well. Can't remember at the moment, but uh, basically it was a case of uh, Begsy bringing bringing his um, Skaven forward. He had a left, the flank, right flank, middle flank, <clears throat> middle flank, middle flank. <laughs> <laughs> and this this man is in your navy, people. <laughs> <laughs> middle flank. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> centre. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Yeah, push push the Skaven clan rats forward, followed up by the storm vermin. He had uh, his characters up behind. I think he had a warp uh, warp lock engineer, engineer, and um, some other warlords. Uh, they protected them well, actually, because I was like thinking, yes, I just want to can't wait to get in range and just blast them off the table. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah, they basically set the zombies up on my left to counter his to that flank, and there was a bit of a, a punch up with the vampire lord zombie dragon, uh, with his uh, storm vermin. Storm vermin are horrendous. They are so good. So, given half a chance, they will chop your monster to bits. Not on this occasion, but came very close to slaying the um, my vampire lord zombie dragon. Yeah, like how many how many wins did it take? And you uh, charged them. I actually, I think I failed that charge, and then he, so he got the oh, charge okay. on me, so that's why so he got they were still to, he there. he got to activate first. Yeah, he activated first and ch- proceeded to, like, beat the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon to win, within an inch of his life. Actually, the, they did the same thing to Neferata as well. I actually had to save Neferata with the Coven Throne by casting Beguile on that particular Storm Vermin unit, then retreating Neferata out of combat back onto the ob- objective uh, and uh, then charged with the Coven Throne just to fill that same gap where Neferata was. So it was like a perfect little gambit there. Um, and that's the great thing about the Coven Throne. You can really use that utility to protect your heroes um, and stop powerful units from getting at your uh, getting at you. Yeah, it sounds like from these listening to you talk about your games, like 
pretty much sounds like the Coven Throne has been your kind of MVP for, for this tournament. Like, yeah. using it with the Cursed Book and just stopping units hitting you and holding mm. units in place. Like, yeah, I think you've, you've learned to use it really well, I think. Yeah, I think I have. Like, it's I, there's still always room for improvement with these things, of course. But um, it's definitely, it's if you're going to take the Coven Throne, it, it encourages a certain build as well, a certain list build. Um, but anyway, so I've cast... I summoned a Banshee on the left flank, Arkan was in the centre, and Cursed of Years, the Hell Pit, off the table. Nice. <laughs> which was fun. And so the Curse eventually... of the Curse of Years, for people that don't know, is Arkan's signature spell. Yeah. Um, and you basically roll ten dice and any sixes cause mortal wounds, and then you re roll those dice, and then any fives or sixes from those cause mortal wounds and you re-roll those dice and you basically keep rolling the dice next rolls are fours next rolls are threes twos and if you get um if you get down to twos it basically just auto kills the the model yeah because the reason it auto kills is it then goes down to a one and you obviously can't fail to roll a one and it it doesn't matter whether their model saves the wound or not because it's regardless of whether it's saved or not it does a mortal wound and then you roll another dice. Yeah. So if you ever get down to a one, regardless of any saves or anything any model in the game has, you auto-kill it. Yeah. And it's not subject to the rule of one either because no. it's not a hit roll, it's not a You're not, save it's roll. It's not re-rolling that yeah. dice either. It's, it's a, a ability, roll, it's but... a spell, so it's different. It's it's an amazing spell. Usually, <laughs> to be honest, like usually only does one, maybe two mortal wounds. It's Most of the time it's terrible. But yep. there's that one time where you just take off a, a big model. Like a Tree Lord Ancient. Like a Tree Lord Ancient in a game against Chris recently. <laughs> yep. Um, or a Hellpid Abomination. Like, it's just... Yeah, when it works, it's amazing. So I love taking Arkan just for the chance that it might work. Uh, but he's got a great... He's got a lot of just other great utility. Just to always have that threat. You <clears throat> yeah. just always know, oh, I might come up against Archaon, or I might come up against the Glockkin, or a Stonehorn... And you can just, you've got that chance of just rolling a dice. And when you did it against me, what, you rolled one six from those first ten dice? Yeah, and just got but lucky with the rest. You yeah. just kept rolling that dice, and it was a five, and then it was a four, and then it was a three, and auto dead. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. <laughs> I think it's a really good ability to have if you're a death player. Take Arcan, he's a really good support character because he's great for summoning. That spell is just so great to have in your arsenal. It just knows that, yeah, sure, it's not likely. It's not likely you're going to auto kill no, something. It, but even if you don't auto-kill something, you can, with a little bit of luck, you can do a fair amount yeah. of mortal wounds still. Um, but just knowing that you technically have something in your army that can deal with anything. Because it can be done on a big unit as well. Yeah. Someone brings a block of, like, 40, like, bone splitters or something. Like, Oh, actually, no, it's on, it's, it's, it's individual it's, model. It's on an individual model. Okay. Yeah, I've... Yeah, I've, I've Oh, if only you could put it on. I thought it was against the unit, so I was like, yeah. that unit just takes another mortal wound. But, uh, but, um, but I love using Arkham because in that particular battle, and in, in most of my battles where I take him, um, the list I was taking on day two was my Monster Mash. Uh, so I didn't actually take the Mongol on the second day. Yeah, so your three places yeah. are power list. I remember before the event you saying what it was and I was yeah. like this is horrendous so it was Neferata Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon Arkan the Black and the Coven Throne 
So you got four uh, big characters. Big there. block of zombies. Yeah, the four big characters, big block of zombies with the utility to summon more. Uh had the necromancer as well. So in that in that scenario, summoned the Banshee on the left, she she took that objective. In the centre, Arkin um blasted off his character in the centre and Nefra took care of the character on the right and it was over by turn turn three from memory. Correct me if I'm wrong, Begsy. Uh, and then we decide just to continue playing the game out, uh, just give Begsy a chance to get some um, VPs up. Uh, but all in all, excellent game. Both of us are both fairly, you know, very fluffy sort of players, so we enjoyed the narrative sort of aspect of that game that we'd created for ourselves. And uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the game, Begsy. And so that was a end up being a major victory for me. Uh, first game, turn two. So that was a bit of a lift because I was actually feeling quite quite zonked, quite tired already. I, I, I was feeling that um, game one tiredness again after t- after the first game and yeah. on the game two. Um, I was actually feeling a bit... I uh, wasn't feeling 100% that day as well, so it gave me a little bit of a lift. Uh, I think it was the food, like... Yeah, like, just... It's, oh, there's, it's, and all the beer on be Friday said. night, just carry it. Like, it just... it. Yeah, I was... Yeah, there's something <laughs> to be said for... And eating McDonald's for breakfast every day, it was just... Oh. You want fruit and veg, honestly. Yeah. Like, if you're going to a big tournament like that and you're away mm. for... Because we went down on the Wednesday night. I mean, I know you came up and joined us a little bit later, yeah. but we were down there for four or five days. And, yeah, the only place you could really go and get breakfast on the de- tournament days was the, local, the McDonald's. Mm. And... Honestly, on the Sunday, I just went in and ordered a bottle of water and two kids' bags of apple slices, like just sliced apple, because yeah. I just wanted some fruit and veg. Like i was starting to feel awful just from there only yeah. being bad food. Oh, I felt um, it. I was feeling it on the second day, especially. So yeah, yeah people eat healthily and stay healthily. hydrated for fun. Warhammer. Get good. <laughs> get good sleep <laughs> if you can. Yeah. Don't drink too much beer the night before. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So no, that was great. So you got a major win first game on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, my game four um, was three places of power, and this was against the resident Sydney champ, Matt Campbell, with his uh, mixed destruction list with, uh, I think it was two Huskards um, on Thunder Tusks, a Frostlord on Stonehorn, and then Savage Auric battle line with uh, a Wardock Shaman, I think, just to give him to the option to be able to Mystic Shield, one of the big beasties. Um, actually had two Frost Lords on Stonehorn in, in his um, three places list so it was pretty much my worst matchup I could have hoped for um, two Thunder Tusks to deal with and two Stonehorns to deal with um, so it was it was pretty tough going in um, to this one I, I didn't have kind of high expectations really I'd, I'd thought about it overnight because the pairings had been released on the Saturday evening um, and I was like, right, I have to kill the Thunder Tusks because otherwise he'll just mortal wound off my heroes. Just at least one. Just one. Well, <laughs> both of them, really. I, I just can't... <clears throat> when all my heroes are kind of five wound, no mortal wound save, I just can't afford for him to just go, cool, two up, that one's dead, two up, that one's dead, with his Thunder Tusks. So, yeah, um, yeah. I thought, right, I have to take them out first turn, and I was like, right, I'm just going to have to drop all my prosecutors, go in with a couple of units of liberators, and just try and go hit him really hard um, and kind of just try and kill them. So, yeah, I basically said, okay, you take first turn to give myself the best chance at the double just in case I didn't quite kill it all in turn one. Um, and, yeah, I... Um, so he took turn one. He had two Thunder Tusks and a Stone Horn on one side. Um, 
and then the other stone horn right on the other side. Yep. And then basically turn one, just charged both the thunder tusks forwards and the stone horn forwards, planted them all um, on the left objective and charged the other uh, stone horn onto the right objective. Um, and then he just kind of had Savage Oryx milling around in the middle, um, protecting his war dock um, a bit at the back and one unit off with the stone horn on the right. Um, so yeah, it was like... I didn't have anything on the table apart from my three units of Liberators, which were started right in the back corners, so they weren't in range of getting shot or hit or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Matt just rocked up straight away, got two points for the two side objectives. And that was my turn. Um, so I dropped my Azeros down um, just within 10 inches um, of the Thunder Tusk on the far side, on the left, um, so that I would be able to re-roll my ones to hit in the shooting phase. Nice. And then I dropped... All nine units of prosecutors in a massive kind of semicircle um, in the back top left-hand corner just to fit them all um, within range of both of the Thunder Tusks, but between that 9 and 18-inch range so that my javelins were always going to be damaged too. Yep. Um, and then um, teleported in my two units of Liberators to the front to get them in range of... Uh, to put them three inches away from both the Thunder Tusks. Um, so then I think I shot six units or maybe even seven units into one thunder tusk um and killed it outright nice and then i shot the other two or three into the other one and i think i put it on like six wounds or something did did half its wounds to it um and then activated first in the combat phase um with my liberators um and killed um i put it down to i think i put it down to one wound or two wounds left so i didn't quite kill it um and then but i had another unit there but then his Husguard even with only two wounds left, still gets like four attacks that are kind of rend one damage D3. And I think Matt rolled quite well and literally killed the whole other unit that hadn't struck, um, hadn't had a chance to fight yet. Yeah. So that was a bit like, oh, didn't quite manage to kill it. Um, I had, I did actually teleport my third unit of Liberators into the far, like towards the middle um, at the back board edge where his Wardock was because I could realize, I saw that I could get a unit of Liberators into him. And yeah. I thought that's another character that gets rid of his Mystic Shield. Um, I'll go in. I went in, took him off. So, yeah, nice. I mean, it was a pretty good turn one, really. I hadn't lost anything. I'd killed a Thunder Task, almost killed both of them, and I killed his War Dog. So I was kind of like, oh, that's good. Um, you say you sort of put him on the back foot a bit at that point? Or? I think he certainly felt he was on the back foot. Um, to see turn one, all that damage just happen, and know yeah. I've got a fast-ranged army. Knowing what's going to come um, next, like, or and then, what might come next, yeah. Yeah, um, but the problem was, because I dropped on the far top left, I was still going to have to make it all the way to the other side of the board to get to his other Stonehorn. Yeah. And even then, it just takes so long to kill a Stonehorn with his, like, three-up save, oh, yeah. halving wounds. They've got 13 wounds to start with anyway. Um and to be honest, that was my problem. Um, we, anyway, we had... Um, so I got one um, point for um, turn one because I dropped my Xeros on the left, but obviously his Stonehorn was still holding that objective, so I couldn't claim it until he moved off of it or I killed it. Um, but I dropped my Heraldor in the middle um, to just mm -hmm. claim that one yep. and tooted the piece of scenery that all three of his thunder, uh, his two Thunder Tusks and his Stonehorn were on to just do a couple of mortal wounds to them. Um but there was a bit of a, there was like a, a kind of mausoleum type um, bit of scenery that I had, I could put my Heraldor behind the kind of walled fence and still be within three of the objective. But 
no, unfortunately where it was, I couldn't quite put him far enough back to stop a like Stonehorn being able to charge into him with the reach and stuff like that because he had to yeah. just be just the other side of the gate. So it was going to be within half an inch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was 2-1 after the first turn. So that's that's kind of fine. And I'd pretty much killed both Thunder Tusks. I won the priority. So I then shot, definitely killed the other Thunder Tusks. So yep. start of turn two, I'd killed both Thunder Tusks and I'd killed the War Dog. And I did all my other shooting um, into the... Um, Stonehorn that was on that left objective um, and I think I took it down to six wounds um, which is okay but given that I kind of had shooting from the, uh, the the horn from my Heraldor only did one or so and then just because of him halving everything it just with his armor saves being pretty good it's just so hard to chew through um, but I then scored um I still couldn't score on the left objective with my Zerus, obviously, because his Stonehorn was still there. Um, but my Heraldor scored me two points because he'd been there for two turns. Yep. Um, so then, uh, but that was that was it. I kind of moved up my guys to start coming across to the middle. Um, started shoot like just shooting as much as I could at the Stonehorn, um, and then fighting with the unit of Liberators, just trying to kill off a few of the Savage Orcs. Um, then Matt had his second turn, the Stonehorn, he retreated the Stonehorn from that left objective to charge into the middle one, which I think was definitely a smart decision, because he could charge in, be within three of the objective, killed my Heraldor easily, um, stopped me scoring. Obviously, he didn't score two for that left objective because he left it, but he scored one. So he still got himself a point and, more importantly, negated me scoring kind of three the next turn. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and obviously he still had his stone horn on the right to clock up another two points. Um, well, he didn't really kill any of my stuff other than the Heraldor because um, obviously he didn't have his Thunder Tusks anymore to do any range damage. His Savage Oryx weren't really going to kill a lot um, and his stone horns were just trying to survive yeah. at this point. Um, he did start trying moving his Savage Oryx to kind of screen off the board to just limit how far I could fly um, with my yeah. kind of three inch, having to land three inches away and stuff like that to just delay me flying across the board, Yeah, which is good play. Um, and then turn three, um, I think Matt got the priority for that. Um, so then he just scored three points on the right um, objective with his Stonehorn that was just able to just sit there and then he scored two points um, for the Stonehorn in the middle that he'd just um, put there the previous turn before him so that was good for him it clocked him up a good five points um, yeah. and then I had my turn um, three and managed to kill the Stonehorn with the rest in the middle with the rest of all my shooting and I dropped my Lord Celestine down so I rolled for his D6 hammers and got one and then fortunately rolled that four up and just did that last mortal wound to uh, to kill off the Stonehorn in the middle. Nice. Um, so that was gone, which was good, but obviously because I'd had to drop nine inches away, I wasn't able to actually move the Lord Selsen onto the objective to score it that turn. So I just scored with my Xeros on the left, um, which yep. now that his Stonehorn had moved, was able to claim the objective. Yep. So I just got one point on my turn three. Um, so then turn four, um, Matt got the priority. Um, and his at this point he basically just had his Stonehorn on the right. Um, a few Savage Oryx left, but not that many because kind of now I'd killed his like middle Stonehorn or there'd been a couple of turns where I couldn't shoot all my guys at the Stonehorn because of range. I'd just been shooting them at his Savage Oryx to just kind of get them out of the way. Yep. 
Um, so it was pretty much just the stone horn, but it's all he needed because he just needed to sit him on that objective and because it was just taking me so long to get across the board and just have to do so much damage to those big beasties. I just couldn't get through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. he got him. He, um, <laughs> so, yeah, it came to his turn. He didn't really need to do a lot. Um, he just kind of said... He went to end the turn. I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. In, at the start of your charge phase, my griff hand's within 12 of you, so you have to roll to try and charge. And I think Matt was like, oh... Um, I was just, I was hoping against hope he was going to roll that nine, um, but he didn't. So he didn't have to charge me. So he could stay on the objective, oh, lucky. and um, he could stay on the objective and score those four points, because yep. um, that was turn four. And then um, it was then my turn four. So I got my Lord Celestin. Um, I still needed to because of where I had to drop him. There was a big bit of scenery, so to get him kind of in range of the. Um, the objective I was going to have to um, run him and get him really close and I don't think I ran I, I didn't roll high enough to get him within range um, so I just got two points from my Xeros um, yeah. from that being his second turn on the left objective um, but just moved up again kind of moved the prosecutors over um, so that I was going to be in range for next turn but it was just going to kind of be too late so I dropped my Lord Relictor down on the right hand side um, just on the opposite side and put him kind of eight inches away yep. um or i got my griff hound eight inches away obviously the relic had to be nine um just to try and because matt was trying to move around the objective with his stonehorn to try and maximize the charge range so i thought right well if i put another model on the other side i'll make it so that on an eight or a nine he's gonna have to come off that objective yep. um but to be honest by that point i think matt was already on 14 and i i was only on i just scored one two one two so i was on kind of six I was just like, I can't catch up at this point. Um, but, yeah. yeah, so I just, I got my um, two points that turn. Uh, and then I had, I won the priority for turn five, um, which then meant I got four points in my last turn because obviously my zero scored me three um, and my um, Lord Celestin was in, on the middle objective now to score me one. Yep. So I'd got to 10 by the end of my f um, five turns. Um, like I say, Matt was already on 14. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'd already seen ages ago he was going to win the game because I just couldn't shift that one on the right and he could just sit there all game and score yeah. um, if he didn't get baited off if he had rolled that nine um, the first turn on his turn um, four if he'd rolled that nine and had to charge my griff hound we game. actually mm. it, the game would have been even it would have been 10-10 and yeah. then I would have won um, mm. on kill points kill but points, yeah um, so that's that's probably my mistake. I I should have dropped my um, Griff Hound and stuff maybe on my turn two instead of my turn three. I waited too long. If you'd yeah. had more round, if you'd had more turns for that bait tactic to to roll for, then maybe mm. I'd have got lucky. Um, yeah, definitely get caught out with that sort of stuff sometimes, don't you? Like just holding that, that just holding back. it back. One more yeah. turn sometimes doesn't always pay um, off, does it? Yeah. But yeah, so Matt got the major on that, which it, it didn't surprise me to be honest. I was just pleased that actually how I guess how much I'd kind of surprised him, and I know he definitely kind of felt on the back foot straight away from that game. Me just coming down and smashing off both his thunder tusks and yeah. and stuff like that. But um, it's more than probably what most people can achieve against a list like that. Yeah, um, and it just shows though that. Although you can think about how to kind of play the game and go, right, well, I can't win the game if those Thunder Tusks are alive, so I know I need to kill them. But I didn't think about how I kill them and win the objective yeah. game. 
Um, it's so kind of uh, like, do you feel it's kind of like maybe one or the other? Like, no, I have. I thought about it after the game, and actually, um, playing that game again, I I'm pretty. I'm a lot more confident that I actually could have won it, um, but I would have had to have gone very differently. Um, yeah. Instead of giving him him first turn, I should have taken a first turn. Okay. To yeah. drop three heroes onto the objectives immediately to score three. Yeah. Um, and the main thing would have been the Azeros on the left hand side because it was the objective was in the middle of like a gated kind of mausoleum type piece of scenery. Mm. So his Stonehorn couldn't actually charge. He would not have been able to get within half an inch of my Xeros, despite my Xeros being on the objective. So he could have sat there all game being completely safe and he would have scored me one point, two points, three points, four points, five points. Yep. Um which just would have clocked up. Plus, I'd have got the other ones for the side objectives. Even with his Stonehorn on the right coming in his turn one and smashing off my character like my Relictor, I'd have still just got a point. It would have been fine. Yeah. Um, and my Xeros would have outscored that as well. Because even if the, if my Xeros scores every single turn and that Stonehorn on the right scores every single turn, it then comes down to the kind of the middle objective. And uh, because I'd have had another hero on both of them turn one, I think I would have gone up. Um, and also I could have dropped my prosecutors instead of dropping them all in the back left corner I could have dropped them kind of all in the middle of the board just in the way of yeah. the objectives because okay. um, yeah. the problem with that is I was just trying to play I know the army gets smashed apart but I should have just put them in the way just as a massive roadblock so sure his stonehorn could have rampaged into a few and probably taken off a couple of units a turn but by that point I've already won the game on the objectives. Wouldn't have been sitting, yeah. Um, and I still would have been able to shoot off the Thunder Tusks and do all the damage to them. So I still would have killed them, and then I would have blocked his Stonehorn from getting to the middle objective at all, yeah. and I'd have won. So um, that was definitely uh, some learning points for me, which is good, because without playing that game, I wouldn't have known that. And I went into that game going, this is like my hardest matchup, because they're just so tough, and they can do so many mortal wounds and stuff. So yeah. Um, very fearsome reputation. But yeah, I mean, the game was definitely, it was it was Matt's to lose. It was definitely a scenario and an army in his favour. Um, but he played well. He was doing some good movements with his Savage Oryx to slow me down getting across the board. Um, and yeah, he, he got the major. So well done, Matt. Now turn, not turn five, game five. Game five. <laughs> Game 5 CanCon Day 2 was against Eric Karamancian, the legend himself, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> and it was Gift from the Heavens. Gift from the Heavens. And he brought his Stonehorn, three Thunder Tusk, and three units of ten uh, Savage Oryx list. I think, he had a water, I think he had the Goblin Shaman that eats the, eats the mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Moon Clan. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, so this was Gift from the Heavens. Basically, this game I summoned my zombies out on way too far out onto the right flank. Basically gambled, hoping it would land on that side of the board. Um, I had the Coven Throw and Nefrider on the left. Arkhan was more in, towards the centre. Vampire Lord, Zombie Dragon on the right. So I did try to spread them out a bit. Got a bit excited with the summoning and, and was trying to kind of basically... Uh, I don't know what I was thinking by this stage. I'd, I'd forgotten everything that I'd learned of how to fight this list. <laughs> and I, I put all the zombies out on the right side to try and, I guess, bait him across there or to try and, yeah, just to draw the Thunder Tusks away from Neferata and the Coven Throne. Um, I put them behind this big piece of t scenery just to keep them out of sight of the Thunder Tusks until I could 
get into them a bit and get some wounds on them to try and reduce that uh, two up six mortal wounds uh, but in the meantime he basically sent his stone horn forward and that thing just proceeded to destroyed all 50 zombies in one round of combat well not all, all 50 he did I think he did about 27 zombies and then battle shocked the rest off <laughs> Jesus yeah yeah it was it was it was sad it was a sad moment for um for the zombies <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show they're not that scary. Just a, a well, no, if they don't get to fight first, and you get charged by Frostlord on Stonehorn. No, no. <laughs> My vampire Lord zombie dragon, he rolled a one on this mystical terrain piece twice, two turns in a row, so he oh. sat up there eating grass, <laughs> basically, for the first two turns. Like a big vampire cow. Yeah. Munching away. He th- yeah, he thought... I'm befuddled, I'm going to eat some grass. <laughs> oh my god, it was horrible. And then... Yeah, the, the stone horn, after going into the centre, <laughs> took care of the zombies and went round onto my left and then just proceeded to destroy Neferata and the Coven Throne. So where did your objectives land? Like what uh, His landed perfectly where he needed it, which I think was on his left, where he had like quite a large block of, of Savage Oryx to, okay. to consolidate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And mine landed right in the centre where my zombie, where the mo- main bulk of my zombies were. Right. Uh, and it's right where his stonehorn went. So he charged the stonehorn across straight into your objective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Basically, and so he, he took that, and I think at, by that point I was just like stuff it, and just charged Arkin in. I just I had a, a banshee way out on the right as well for some reason. I can't remember why she was out there, but I sort of screamed her across to try and do something. Uh, and then the Vampire Lord decided to wake up and he joined the fray in the last couple of turns and uh, did some wounds on the Stonehorn. But at the end of the day, it was just a complete... I was completely, like, obliterated by that by Eric's, uh, by Eric's Stonehorn. Yeah. It was I remember, so demoralising. I, I, so... I remember you coming up to me after the game oh. and, and just saying... I, I just don't know what I can do against that list just because yeah. of the three yeah. thunder tusks and screening them and it I, I said to you at the time I was like it is one that is just a really harsh matchup for your list because yeah. if was, he screens mm. them properly and you can't get your flying bases in yeah. he can just sit and just do I mean three of them with three more wounds he can pop off mm. like more than one of your characters a turn Arcan oh, that's two I of them I was just so scared of his like, uh, yeah. thunder tusks because like, I've got to I've just got to keep things out of the range of Thunstucks. And it's just the psychological impact that list has on had on me at that time of the day and that point in the tournament. I was, like, playing, like, a scared little boy, pretty much. <laughs> like, I literally was hiding my, my units from him instead of just getting stuck in, trying to weather it, sacrificing. I was just like, no! <laughs> so you didn't, Hide, quick, run! <laughs> you just went in turn one. You didn't wait to see where Meteors dropped or anything. You just started moving stuff or uh like did you deploy no i deployed i I deployed i deployed and hid and tried to like zone out with zombies on the right side but nothing it just nothing when (laughs) it didn't work yeah (laughs) my plan didn't work but you didn't think it would have been actually better in that case to not create a single unit of 50 and just create like a 10 or a 20 and create a wall because he has to chew through that wall first i should have taken my other list so you took your three places of power list for the yeah, gift. Yeah, okay. For gift, yeah. So you didn't I, have your Mongol and your extra summoning. No, no, I should have taken my Vargeist. Yeah, the Vargeist would have been Kryptonite for the 
for the Thunder Tusks because I would have been able to fly them over and just get to grips with them pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, I would have been able to make them ignore Rend with Neferata. Well, it doesn't really matter against Mystic the Shield. Tusks. I know, it doesn't really matter, but I had six of them, so... Yeah, so what's that? What, are they four wounds apiece? So they're 24 mm. wounds? Yeah. So you wouldn't have killed all of them even if you fired all three snowballs at them, but... yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, so what was he doing? Was well, thunder- I, I, had, I, had the, um, I had the Banshee. I would have sent a, like a character up with him, so I would have just to give him that a bit of extra resilience, I suppose. Would have, yeah. Would have saved a few. Uh, just would have had a better chance. Maybe yeah. not, like just to reduce their effectiveness. Yeah. And then be, to be able to follow up with the likes of a Mongol. So did he send the Thunder Tusks forward, or did he just sit in his corner where his meteor came down behind 30 Savage Oryx, just going... I'm holding this with these, and my stone horn's going to go and get yours. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And the thunder tusks are psyching me out in the meantime. So you didn't, <laughs> you didn't think, oh, well, his thunder tusks are trapped behind his wall of orcs. He can't move them past this. He range. didn't screen. I, from memory, he didn't screen his thunder tusks oh, okay. with the orcs. Yeah, he kept okay, the orcs. So he back, could yeah. move them quite far if he wanted to. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that was that worked in his favour because it had me going. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I okay. just the tools that I had. For that particular list, yeah, it wasn't enough. I think if I should have just played a lot more aggressively. I should have just not cared. I just should have just gone straight at him with everything. Uh, just throw everything at the um, Stone Horde. I've thought about this game a lot afterwards. I've written lists and lists and lists to try and counter this sort of thing. But um, with the list out that day, in hindsight, should have used the Coven Throne, mm. basically, because the... The Stonehorn has that ability where it has to charge. Yeah. So I should have put her forward uh, and cast Beguile and baited him. But literally, he would have had to have charged her away from my objectives and he would have been stuck it in depends. combat with if, the... Um, if you had other stuff nearby. Yeah. Um, if he rolls high enough and he, there's multiple units in range... He can pick. He can pick which one yeah. he charges. But, yeah, if you put mm. her close to him and yeah. he doesn't roll high enough to... Get his get near your zombies, then yeah, he's yeah. got to charge her. But also, just in terms of like, yeah, trying to hold him, you mm. turn one charge him or something because he can't retreat in charge. Yeah. So you charge him after you've beguiled him. Should have taken do the, anything to you. Should have taken the cloak of mist and shadows on the vampire lord zombie dragon, made him the general, and just gone bang straight in. Um, I should have taken the other list as well. Yeah. Uh, and just made him the general for that game. You could swap generals around in Cancon, couldn't you? Uh, could you? I can't remember. No, no, you had you, to. S- you, you ha- your general would have been fixed, but you could pick your artifacts and traits. Yeah. Well, in that case, so I should have just put the um, cloak onto the vampire lord and just catapulted him forward onto the stone horn, just to hold him there at least for a turn or two. Yeah, because he wouldn't have, have survived. Done a fair bit of damage on the charge as well. He, he would have. He would have been right, but without him being the general with red fury uh, and with a necromancer to give him a double pile in, like, and he's most of his attacks are hitting on fours so he's pretty touch and go without mm. his um extra but without the stonehorn charging you it doesn't get to do its mortal wounds against you if it's your turn you can cast yeah. a mystic shield on yourself it would have so just kept him save. occupied for a few turns for a few turns it would have kept him occupied for a few turns then i would have had to just deal with the thunder tusk one at a time uh, it's there's so many variables yeah. though that, that would have affected yeah. the game but, but that's... if you could have slung him into the frost lord on stonehorn and then, even if you sent Neferata and the Common Throne mm. at his objective, yeah, they all the Vargeists, they wouldn't the Thunder Tusks wouldn't have been able to kill them in one go. 
So mm. you would have contested his, but yours wouldn't have been contested because yeah. he was sitting in the corner. So you straight away would have been able to get up on points. So, yeah. There's yeah. definitely ways you can do yeah. it. Yeah, like, always hindsight's, hindsight is always a bitch. Uh, but you learn your lessons. And with that list that I had that day, I, I've got a better, definitely got a better idea of how I would deal with that list. And I've actually said, Derek, let's have a rematch sometime. Uh, and, and with great. the same lists and yeah and like we said like losing a game is fine it's not, like just <laughs> learn from it yeah exactly like, yeah yeah there's no need to be like oh damn I lost that game it's the end of the world because yeah. it's not it's and always emotional might... for me though because like I'm so invested in my like I love my the characters I've created and this yeah. like you know being a narrative sort of dude I've, I've got I'm very invested in the game because these are my you get these are my minions, you know. These are, <laughs> these are yeah. my people, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's you know, like that time we, we like Chris and I played this game at our local club, and <laughs> it was actually that same game where Arkin um, Curse of Years yeah. off your tree, tree Lord. Yeah. There was this moment where I charged my Vampire Lord Zombie Dragon into combat onto deadly terrain. Roll to one. Yeah, you did. Roll the one. And then let out And then let out this massive scream. scream. It was like, it was kind of like this little yelp of anguish. Like it was... It was hilarious. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> the whole club. The whole club turned over and I was... Just, just laughed at me and yeah. I was just like, I went bright red and just, oh my God. what is so sad. funny. But they all, every, it was just cool because like everyone understood what, exactly how I felt in that moment. It was so funny. I think because it was at the bowling club, like it's, our club meets at the bowling club, a company of dice once a month. At South Coogee. South Coogee Bowls. And... Yeah, first so Saturday of every month. First Saturday every month, South Coogee Bowls. Just a quick little plug there. Uh, but it's because it's at a bowling club. There's the bowling greens directly out the front as well. So not only was it the gamers looking around at what just happened, it was every man and his bowling ball. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> looking pretty funny. Over as it well. was a loud every, scream. Every barefoot bowler with a jug of beer in his hand was like, "What? What was that?" <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty great. Um, but yeah, so you ended your fifth game with a major with loss. a devastating loss. <laughs> okay, but, uh, so, but it was. But in spite of that, Eric, Eric uh, went and bought me some water afterwards. He's like, "Can I get you something?" I was like, "Just get me some water." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, but uh, yeah, but Eric, got, I got Eric was um, my second nomination for um, for favorite player that day. So okay, yeah, good. So you still had fun, or was it just because he was a good player? Like best, both, both. He was a good opponent. He was a good, yeah, good opponent. Strong list. <laughs> I was scared, <laughs> but we we still had fun. Yeah, and it's good playing people you know, right? Yeah, because yeah. You can you straight away you're more relaxed. Yeah, like I. Well, that's what he was saying. He was saying, "What are you worried about? It's, it's just me, man. It's just me." Yeah, it's one like, of those weird things. I know, but it's not just you. It's what's on the table right now. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird things, though, when you go to a tournament, right? Because I, I kind of don't want to play people from my local scene because I'm like, well, I've played them. It's nice to play people I don't normally play against to get experience against new armies and stuff. Yeah, but. I'm also, they're the games I get really nervous about while I'm waiting for the draw, and then whenever I'm Absolutely. playing someone I don't know, <laughs> yeah. If as soon as I find out I'm playing someone I know, I chill out, and I'm like, oh, okay, fine, it's just a game, like, I, I know this person, it's fine. But if I'm playing somebody new, it's like, oh, how's the interaction going to be at the table, and you just, I don't know, you just don't know that person, and I feel a lot more nervous playing someone I don't know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I still like playing new people um, and stuff, but... Yeah. Um, so anyway, five games. How? What was your total tally? Uh, so at the end of the tournament, I had I had a major, minor, two losses. I think I had two majors, two majors, a minor, and two losses. So there you go. And where did you come out of fifty? Twenty-one. 
That's pretty good. So, all in all, achieved my goal of being in the top 21, so yay. And my other goal was to be nominated for the painting, which I was nominated and got runner-up. So, double yeah. yay. Yeah. That was achieved, uh, achieved what I went there for, and I was happy with that. So Well yeah. deserved. I know, I think, on the way down, you were saying you just wanted to come top half, and painting was on your... Yeah. was something you really wanted to get. So, to yeah, the fact that I think they said it was so close that even though you didn't technically win it, it was the votes were so close, they decided to basically award two prizes for best. Yeah. Best presented. And I think, had it been best painted, I think your army genuinely was the best painted thing there. It just didn't have that level of presentation that Blake's has with mm. that massive yeah, actually, um, display to, wall. Yeah, you're right. It's not a display board, it's a display wall yeah, it's of a, Nurgle. <laughs> and it, it, with all the artwork and yeah. everything he's done around it, it, it does just lift the army. Absolutely, visually. yeah. Well, I actually borrowed uh, Luke's uh, display board yeah. for that. So thank you, Luke. Thanks for letting me borrow that. Um, but that definitely worked in my favour, having that board. Otherwise, I'd just been on the table like some of the other guys. Yeah, I think a display board mm. really does help um, as... Um, Hobby goal for the for when I get some time. Yeah, I think, I think they're cool. Um, but in terms of, yeah, and I think that's a reason they make it best presented as well, so that people that necessarily aren't the best technical painters can still win that if they want to put work into a board and yeah. all the other aesthetics around it's holistic it. um which is cool um i mean someone like me has never got a chance but oh, i don't say um, that don't yours say that. was definitely the best painted there um your army's looking exceptional now so it's really and there was so many big things it was like mongol vampire lord zombie dragon two mortarks a coven throne <laughs> big unit of Vargas, you've got some Archai in there, you've got 50 zombies for troops, you've got everything, you've got yeah, all sizes, a bit of everything, yeah. you've got lots of different bright colours on there, it just, it just, it's so pleasing to the eye, and you've done loads of base work on all the big things with all the multiple graves, and yeah. you started to add zombies coming out of those graves with arrows yeah, in them. Skeletons coming, yeah, arrows It's in the looking really eyes. cool, so yeah. if you get a chance, guys, definitely check out James's Instagram and, and Twitter um, and have a look at some of his death stuff, because it's looking awesome now. So, yeah, I was I was really pleased for you. I voted for you as best painting, because... Oh, um, thanks, it, Chris. It was. And thanks to everyone who did vote for me on that day. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's a great placing, so, um, yeah, well done, mate. Right, so game five, final game of CanCon was Gift from the Heavens. And I was drawn against Jose Gutierrez, I think that's right, um, and a Tomb King army, which was really cool because um, it wasn't the kind of Tomb King netlist. Um, yes, it still had Cetra, and yes, it still had a unit of six snakes, um, but it had like two, I think it had three units of Sepulchral Stalkers, which was really cool, um, a couple of units of Tomb Scorpions, a two and a one. Um, it had like Prince Apophis, so there's quite a lot of tunneling. Um, the like the stalkers are really cool actually because they can deploy off the table and then burrow up when you want them like nine inches, yeah. but then they can re-burrow oh, okay. like at the end of a movement phase, I think. So they're like for a, that's pretty for, unique, isn't it? Yeah, like for an objective game as well, where you want models somewhere, but then you might need to put them somewhere else. Like they're hyper mobile, yeah. um, and they're pretty resilient. They've got like. Although they've only got a five-up save, they've got five wounds each. And I think they're only 140 points. So 140 points for 15 wounds. They're not bad. Like, I think they've only got two attacks each, maybe, that are fours and threes. But they've got rend and they're damaged two. And they have a shooting attack that can do mortal wounds. Yeah. So they're really cool. Um, I really like them as well, actually. I've really, I always preferred those models to the snakes. Um, 
but just didn't didn't see very many. And I actually think they're better than the snakes, especially now that the points have changed. Mm. Um, I think because they're less than ten points a um, ten points a wound, uh, one hundred and forty for fifteen wounds. They're really good. Yeah. Um, so that was a really cool, nice army to see. Like something, and he's obviously doing well because he's up he's up around there near the top tables with a Tomb King army that's not the netlist. So. Um, yeah, that was really cool to see. And he had some Shakti in there and some chariots and stuff like that. So, yep. um, yeah, that was cool. Um, but basically, obviously, I could decide who goes first. Um, and because my whole army is one drop. Um, and I decided I'd, I was just going to deploy everything in the sky because I just I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to leave liberators on the table like I normally would because he had all the tunneling units. Mm. And I thought, oh, He'll just tunnel up and take them off, so they'll just be wasted. So I'll put them in the sky, yeah. whereas I'd normally have them on the table ready to teleport yeah. um, to my prosecutors. But And then it made me go, oh, well, what if I don't do anything this turn? Because normally I wouldn't do a lot in Gift from the Heavens, turn one, because I want to see where the meteors are. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, but then I thought, do you know what? He's got a lot of units here that can tunnel and Cetra can make the unit of snakes fly. The chariots can move quite fast. And he had some skeleton horsemen. And I was like, I wonder if he's the sort of player that knows he might just tunnel up in certain spots on the board and completely block me off from nine inch, like from being able to appear anywhere outside of nine inches. And I didn't completely math it through in my head, but I was like, he's probably got near enough units to be able to almost completely block me off. I didn't know if he would have done it or not if it came to it, but it made me worried enough to, to basically go go big turn one because I could drop, where he had Cetra and the snakes, I could drop down kind of in the middle, um, get my Azeros within 10 um, for the reroll ones and have all my prosecutors there. And I'd seen how much damage they'd done the game before against Matt. So I thought, do you know what? I might just go turn one, try and take Cetra out because I know if Cetra's gone, his army loses, like the snakes can't fly. They were behind a wall of his own archers. So I was like, right, well, if they can't fly, if they're not getting the bus from Cetra, it's great. So I thought, you know what, I'll do, I'll do that. But I couldn't shoot all the units into Cetra. I think I could get about six, and then three were going to have to go onto the snakes. I put everything down, and because it was putting it all down in such a small kind of concentrated block in the middle, all the wings get in the way. Like, I love the models, but they're really annoying to play with if you play them compactly. Um, it took a while to put all the models down off my tray, and then kind of just before the end of the movement phase, I thought in my head, what are you doing? If this goes wrong and you don't kill Cetra you're going to lose the game here because your whole army's in one place. His Ushapti, which were the melee ones, were going to be able to get in range of me. The snakes were going to be able to pile in. He was going to be able to surround me. And I thought, oh, you're just going to get killed um, and you're not going to take them out. Like, why are you firing three units into the snakes? I know if you're going to take off the snakes, you have to fire everything you have at one go to kill the whole unit. Yeah, otherwise you're never getting rid of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, I'd kind of put all these models down. It had taken a while. And then I was like, oh, you're probably going to lose the game if you do this. But it had taken a while. And I was like, do you know what? For the sake of us playing the game, if we had unlimited time, I'd pick everything up again and put it on the far left flank and just go for the snakes. Because if they're not there, similar to Cetra, if they're not there at all, they can't be a threat to me. Yeah. And they're a better bet to kind of kill... And also, if I'm off to the left, if I don't quite kill them all, the rest of his army is too far away to be able to pile in and get me. Yep. Where And then I can just move with my 12-inch move and shoot them next turn. So, but yeah, it was going to take too long. And I just went, you know what? You've already kind of made the mistake. 
just leave them in the middle and just play the game. At the end of the day, it's a game, just play. Yep. So that's what I did. Shot Cetra, obviously, <laughs> he then rolled amazingly for all his armor saves. Yeah. The amount of fives and sixes he rolled for armor saves were crazy. And I did think Did he have Herald's dice? No, I don't think he did. He just <laughs> Oh, honestly, there were so many fives and sixes. Given that six units had completely taken off a Thunder Tusk and almost two this game before, and Cetra has like eight wounds and a three up save. I was like, everyone that gets through is gonna do two, but then he had his six up Deathless Minion save as well. And he just he just tanked tanked it so much. I think he only took three wounds. Like he his save rolls were exceptional. Um so he only took three wounds and I was like, I'll do it. I killed I think I killed a snake and a half, maybe, um, from the other three units. Um but yeah, it basically did not go well. Um and then turn two. Uh sorry, Jose's turn one. All the stalkers came up, the scorpions came up, the melee shafty came in. It just surrounded me and just started taking off units of prosecutors. Um, oh, and then I think he brutal. got, I think he got the double as well. Yep. So he then got the double. His meteor came down on the far right, where he didn't have very much. I think he had one unit of ten skeleton warriors and a unit of five skeleton horsemen. So he didn't, he didn't have a lot over there. Yep. Um, but obviously, I didn't have anything over there either. Um, and then, yeah, he had a second round of combat and everything like that. So the game was already going quite slow because there was just so many combats to do um, with all the different units um, and working out the pylons and the ranges and the fact that I'd already dropped all nine and done all the shooting and stuff like that. So it was clear the game was not going to get to five turns, maybe not even four turns. Um, and he was just killing all my stuff. I think he, in those two turns, took off seven of my nine units of prosecutors and the unit and a unit of liberators that i'd gone into the snakes with um so i was like yeah to be honest like it's what i'd expected because i'd put my models in the wrong place at the start of the game Mm -hmm. um but then i got my turn two my meteor came kind of bottom left um so i dropped a griff hound on it um i tried to put it so that he wouldn't be able to obviously the stalkers have to kind of tunnel up um nine inches away um but I put my Griffhound kind of towards the back. So because his stalkers were already on the on the table, um, he was going to be able to move. Not really. He'd have to make a long charge, probably wouldn't really be in range of shooting, or he would only with one unit. Um, so my Griffhound was hopefully going to survive. Just put him there. And then I teleported um, a unit of Liberators to nine inches away from his... Um, kind of skeleton warriors and skeleton horsemen um, yep. to try and at least get them in to try and contest his objective yep. um, for turn three because obviously he'd already scored it in his turn um, so I did that ran my two remaining units of prosecutors away from the middle from his Ishapti I just thought I'd need to get them out of here start moving over towards where his objective is anyway so I kind of ran them but back on my side um, and I think I got good run rolls as well so they went kind of I think they went 16 and 18 inches. So they got quite far away from his Ushapti. Yep. Nice. Um, and then, and I got them in range so that kind of next turn I'd be able to shoot. Um, he'd be able to charge one, but he wouldn't be able to charge the other. So I could then next turn, the plan would be fly it forwards and shoot some of the stuff again on his objective. Um, so obviously he didn't have anything near my objective. So I scored mine turn two. Um, it then came to priority um, which I won going into turn three. Um, so I put another unit of liberators, um, my one remaining unit from the sky, I teleported them into the back corner just to try and bolster holding my objective for that third turn because I knew the Griffin wasn't going to survive 
um, against a full round of the stalkers and stuff. So I could put one model in range of six inches, but the rest of it kind of behind a wall. Um, so I was fairly confident he wasn't going to clear off all those models in one turn. Um, so, um, and because his models weren't within six as well, he wasn't contesting me. But my Liberators, the turn before, had managed a... They made the 9-inch charge, so I got a bit lucky there. But I had to play for it at this stage. Um, so I managed the 9-inch charge into his Skeleton Warriors. So I was... Um, like, I had Warriors fighting his and kind of contesting it as well. Yep. Um, so he then had his turn. Um, and I had managed to... Um, no, sorry, I'm remembering that wrong. Jose got the priority, turn three. Ah. Or I got it and I gave it to him. Um, and yeah, because my Liberators had made it into combat with him turn um, in my turn two, it meant that his objective was contested, so he didn't score. Um, oh, yeah. okay, cool. So his objective was contested, so he didn't score, and he was contesting my objective, but obviously didn't get to score. So his turn three, he didn't get to score anything. Yeah. Um, so then it was my turn three, and we only had like 10 minutes left of the game at this point, I think, because, again, it had been a long... It, a lot it, of it, There'd been lots yeah. of combats, lots of tunnelling, redeployment, yeah. stuff like that, so... Needed a bit more to get that game through. Yeah. More time. Um, so it was basically the final turn of the game. It was my turn. Um I wasn't going to kill his unit of sepulchral stalkers that were contesting my objective. So it was all I had to like I had to just try and kill the last few skeleton the skeleton warriors and the skeleton horsemen on um his objective to clear it yep. and then I would score. Um yep. so I dropped my relictor in again 9 inches away. I was I had to get a bit lucky but again at this stage I had to play for it. My unit of prosecutors like I say flew up and the one that wasn't engaged was able to fly up, and the other one, I think, was in range anyway. They managed to, in shooting, I think, take the skeleton warriors down to one warrior. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> and then I think at this point there was only two two or three skeleton horsemen. Um, and then I got lucky. I got a 10-inch charge with my relictor. Wow. Got in, got to a point where I could pile him into the last remaining skeleton warrior and the skeleton horseman. Love it, love it. Um, I activated my Liberators first, cleared off the... I cleared off the last Skeleton Warrior, and I cleared off the... all but one of the Skeleton Horsemen. Just bullying so skeletons. There was, so there was one Skeleton Horseman left, <laughs> and my Lord Relictor left. Um, and basically, to win the game, my Lord Relictor had to kill the Skeleton Horseman. Um, so I had my four attacks, and... Obviously, I was hitting on twos, so I think I missed one, but I got three hits through, and then <sighs> I think I got two wounds through, and this skeleton horseman was already on one wound. I think he saved one of them, but didn't save the other, <laughs> and he didn't have any heroes there, so my literally the last yeah. thing, my relicter <laughs> did the last wound. He had no models within six. I scored three, and that was the game, and I'd scored two and three, and he just scored two because I'd prevented him in the previous round, so... Yeah. I somehow, somehow walked away with the major, wow. despite if that game had gone to five turns, it would have been a whitewash to him because I basically didn't have an army left and he had pretty much everything. 
like all his stalkers were still there Cetra was there the snakes were there the Ashapti <laughs> just his whole army was still there um, and mine was basically dead but and you just had some deft manoeuvring there and it just and shows just some ballsy charges some luck on your side yeah I had to have a bit of luck um, but I had to play for it and I did by yeah. making by doing that run with my prosecutors turn two to set me up for three and with the liberators going in yes I was always going to need a bit of luck but at the end of the day if that's your only way of trying to pull the game back that you've got to go for it I went for it and this time it paid off for me so I somehow managed to kind of pull that back around and get a major obviously I didn't get very many kill points but um I got a major in my last game so well done um so yeah I was I was pretty pleased to have pulled it back um and again learned a valuable lesson of make sure you pick your right type like don't put yourself in a situation where if it goes wrong you're then going to lose the game. You can put yourself in a situation where, yeah, sure, if you don't, if you go here rather than there, you might not do as much of a crippling blow on your opponent. But if you don't do that crippling blow, it's not going to lose you the game. Yeah, I suppose that's. I need to take that lesson into my consideration for my future games because I tend to sometimes just set myself up for a win in the next turn, like a but there'll be nothing to back me up if I lose that priority roll or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I quite often will have my balls hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Not literally, but um, but figuratively, just and just going for it because I, I like the risk, the thrill of that risk there, but but wise words from you there, just if... Yeah. I think if you want to more consistently win or rather stop yourself losing majorly, I think defensive play is the way to go with Age of Sigmar. There are times you're always going to have to go for it, and there are times where it will mean the difference. Well, I, I have to go for it. With my particular army, I have to because of, I've got no shooting, so I can't... Yeah, it's I, harder. I have to get to grips to win or to, to, to um, knock out those units that I need to deal with. I can't sit back. Yeah, but it's, it's something I'm realising more and more is I think if you play defensively, you're at much less risk of losing majorly, but you also, there'll be some scenarios where you just have to accept that you probably can't play for the major win, yeah. depending on how things go, and you have to just be okay with getting a minor win. Yeah. But at least you don't really risk as much kind of losing majorly either. Mm. So, and if at the end of the day, if you win all five games, generally most tournaments, there's probably only one person that wins all five, and that should be the winner. Yeah, true. like even it, like the degree of majors and minors shouldn't matter too much. The only exception is if you only win, say, three of your games and minors. You come up against someone that's lost, but then they've got four major wins and a load of kill points. Yeah, I think that's the only case where you might you might just lose out by not playing aggressively enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that was a great that was a great game. Jose was a great guy. Um, I talked to him about the podcast as well. So hopefully he's he's found us. I wrote it down for him, and hopefully he's found us and is listening to this. And Jose, thanks for the game. Um, I had a great time. I loved I loved your army, and I loved talking to you about your alternate lists. He had some great ideas for a three places of power list with Nagash um, and a uh, a Royal War Sphinx um, that was pretty tasty. But anyway, I digress. So that wraps up my game five, and we're now going to have an interview with the Heralds of War post CanCon. Okay, so we are now joined by the powers of Skype, the Heralds of War guys. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, I'm Clint. I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Mark. <laughs> Every time Jesse says that, I love it. It makes me smile. It's like I'm Jesse. It's just so <laughs> chirpy. Now it's great to have you guys on because. Um, been a big fan of you guys for a long time now and just a bit starstruck actually uh recording with you and getting to meet you over the last few months so yeah 
Yeah, it's always cool. Hashtag internet famous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you guys obviously organized and ran the recent tournament that me and James both went to and have spent most of this episode talking about, CanCon. So, firstly, thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, we, thank you. we really appreciate it. We had an awesome time. Um, and, yeah, we're just so grateful for you, especially um clint i know you've kind of taken a header on it but also mark and jesse did so much work all weekend kind of recording with all the lists and everything and the table prep and everything so yeah to all three of you we're just really grateful that you kind of took took it upon yourselves to organize it and it was such a great event and 50 player turnout for the first one was just awesome and i think next year will be bigger and better and what was your highlight clint uh my highlight I always get a really interesting buzz um, whenever I run an event, sort of about halfway through round one, uh, as people are, they've set up, they're playing, all the prep work really is done, and you're basically just there enjoying the whole point of running the tournament is to watch people play games and for people to have fun. Just that kind of moment. So that moment when you've, uh, everything's set up, wheels are in motion, it's happening, and you have that moment where you can just kind of sit back and survey what you have what you have brought together, just get that satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, and I generally stop being an absolute stressed out Nazi at that point too, so. <laughs> yeah, I remember you on the Saturday mid-morning was a very different picture to you on the Friday evening while we were setting up tables, so. Not at all. Same person. <laughs> Can confirm Clint is lying. He was like two separate people. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously we've we've heard from you guys earlier on in the episode um, when we kind of interviewed you on the Friday night um, before it all kicked off, um, and you said about a kind of a couple of mentions of the list, the four bloodthirster list, and the dark elf kind of war host. Um, what did you think kind of going through how did those lists how did those lists perform did you kind of see after the first few games had been played out did you see any lists that you thought yeah these are the ones that did you did you pick out the winning list did you think yeah this person is going to win it um what were your thoughts kind of seeing it and did it change from day one to day two um well the the lists that uh we sort of picked out as very cool lists uh, on that Friday night. Uh, one of the chaps, I think, came second last, and the other one was also in the bottom five or six. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, that doesn't make them less cool lists. It just, yeah. Um, uh, look, there are a couple of lists that were fairly standard that I thought... Um, we're going to do well. Uh, Luke's lists in particular, he always does really well with that list. He just knows how to play it back and front. And, uh, and so you can never really underestimate him there. Um, sort of going into day two, there are a couple of... Um, Jose was a real surprise uh, because he, as you... Um, I think you said when we were uh, chatting on our show... Uh, that, that he had a very non-standard Tomb Kings list, and I, and that kind of 
took me by surprise just how well he was doing at the end of day one. Yeah, I think it took Luke by surprise in their game as well. I remember Luke thinking, I think that was the three places of power match where they played. Um, I remember Luke saying the night before, oh, it'll be fine. Um, and then I think I remember you coming over and saying after like turn one, oh, he's just lost his arch warlock to two Tomb Scorpions. And I was like, <laughs> oh dear, has he underestimated it? Um so yeah, it was yeah, it was a really cool list, wasn't it? It was. Um, yeah, it was really non-standard. It had a couple of the standard uh, bits and pieces in there. Oh, and any that list thing, is going to have Cetra and six snakes in it, isn't it? Yeah, but um, the stalkers. I've always loved stalkers, so I was really excited to see them there, and the scorpions and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. Um, Dan with his um, Duarte. I was Beardlings. really the beardlings. Beards. Um, yeah, I was really quite surprised by how well he was doing. Um, but that's probably from not seeing as many um, sort of dispossessed um, Ironwood Arsenal kind of players up here. Yeah, so yeah. Warden um, is a kind of really very very rare in our area. So yeah, seeing that do quite well was surprising. Um, as, as was Dan Tomb Kings, um, as he just kind of submarined after I think he played his first game against Luke and then just started working his way slowly back up the ladder. Yeah, mm. I, I think that showed that Tomb Kings are just, they are really strong. So it's going to be interesting with the, the new kind of leaked General's Handbook, not leaked, but pre-release General's Handbook to glimpse at some of the points changes for the Tomb Kings that we've just seen today actually um, that they might drop out a bit because they look like they've gone up quite considerably in points so yeah and um, yeah I think it'll be very interesting to see how that affects because there are people out there who love running their Tomb Kings um, so it'll be really interesting to see whether they get to take a few more of the choices that they really like now as opposed to the choices just that are standout good. So Yeah, but, and that's the yeah, thing. That's 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 by the by, I suppose, as <laughs> as far as CanCon goes, but uh. Yeah. Um but yeah, so all in all though, it was a great event. Um and yeah, you guys did a fantastic job. Um Picking, how did you go about um, kind of picking the? Because um, obviously the paint or best presented was you. I think you guys whittled it down to what was it, eight or ten kind of armies? Nine, I believe. Uh, we, we whittled it down to ten, uh, and one of the chaps that we'd selected uh, declined to put his army up uh, because he, in his um, view, it wasn't finished. So he okay. didn't want he didn't want it in contention. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we kind of walked around on on the Saturday and and got ourselves up a, a bit of a short list, and then just put that up during lunchtime on the Sunday, um, and that's something that we're probably going to change in future events, uh, just as far as how that short list gets made. But yeah, um, and what was there a kind of a standard, I guess, rubric or anything you were going through? Um, in order to select the armies you put up? Did you have anything in your head where you were looking for specific kind of painting techniques or was it literally just kind of what caught your eye? All three of us kind of, because we all have a different kind of view on how 
we prefer an army. So basically the three of us went around and we came through with a short list of about a dozen or so people and they kind of coalesced and figured out which people had all three of us gone for because then they were people that obviously ticked the boxes for all three of us. Picking out details, little fine things, people that had, even if Clint was very particular about checking larger units because it's more likely for someone to miss, skip out on a couple of larger units and work on the heroes, whereas I would really look at the heroes and look for the little extra details that people could have filled in and stuff on like that. And Mark Mark had a very generic broad look at an entire army and picking out details and stuff in them to make, make sure they all sort of tie in together very well and everything. So we could, you know, sort of came up with our shortlist from the three of us all looking at our own different rubrics, our own different you know, mindsets of what we think an army looks good like, putting it together, coming up with, yeah, you know, these are the ones we all agree on. These are the ones that the two of us think of. Third person goes over, takes a look, they arm and are, and maybe come back and agree, maybe come back and disagree. And just sort of, go, you know, we whittled and we, you know, gave way on each other's opinions until we came down to the final 10 that we all agree on. Yeah, and it was a, a combination of um, the army had to sort of grab your attention and then when you went in for a closer look, it um, it had to be technically good as well. And uh, so there were some armies that looked really good and then when you had a look closer, they perhaps weren't um, weren't as up to scratch as we thought that they could be so yeah there were there were a lot of armies that were sort of on the fringe um so to speak yeah and um obviously quite a few of them there used kind of display boards certainly the ones that were anyway nominated is that something that you were really looking for in particular i guess for our listeners if anyone's thinking of entering for a best presented in future so say one of your events or another event what's the sort of things that they can do um, to help boost their chances of at least getting a nomination? Well, when we were shortlisting, we hadn't seen any display boards or anything like that. Uh, so um, so we were basically looking purely at the army at that stage. Okay. Um, yeah. So and then, and then when people had display boards, that just kind of popped them up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Definitely when it helped the votes too, I think, because it was peer-voted in the end. Yeah, yeah, display yeah, I, boards definitely help uh, for that voting section of the selection process. Yeah, I, I as, as to Chris's original question, it's hard to um, to really answer that being put on the spot like this. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, the army has to be eye catching from a distance, but then as you go in and have a look at. Uh, the models that comprise it from everything from the lowly zombie or clan rat uh, right up to the, you know, the gashes and vermin lords of the thing. Yeah. Um, they all have to be painted fairly well and fairly consistently. Um, and and I, I tend to find that bright armies attract more attention than dark armies. Um, yeah. And that's just, the, that's just human nature. Um, but... Yeah, I don't think there's a short, really short answer on how to, to get nominated for Best Painted, but there's definitely a show topic there. Yeah, well, we have had a, some long heated discussions between us about it all, and that's why we've looked at changing the way that we we do it next time and sort of change up things, I think. 
Yeah. Cool. So I think that's discussion. Well, uh, <laughs> Mark, Mark the... got very, very angry, and we had an argument, and we kind of had to stop the car and cool it, you know, make it to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mark, what was what was the highlight for you for the uh, the tournament? Yeah, it's, it's probably not surprising that I I wasn't really going around looking at who was doing well. Uh, I was looking, I was I was having most fun going around and. Uh, just, just seeing awesome things happen, like yeah. uh, uh, a more crusher versus uh, Gordrak, uh, and you know Scarbrand versus Scarbrand, or yeah. you know just things like that. The Vermin you know, Lord, the yeah. climb of the giant ice mountain. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Some poor bugger had his uh, Morngall kill by some uh, crazy dwarf, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, that was a lot awesome. of things happening that I really enjoyed seeing. Yeah. Um, so I was mainly just mainly just seeing those kind of shenanigans and uh, looking at all the awesome armies because I was really impressed with the standard of armies in general that were there. Um, yeah, they were all, all really good. Cool. Did you have a chance to play in the end? I know you were lined up to be the buybuster, but I'm not actually sure whether it was needed in the end or not. Uh, no, every every time we ended up with even numbers, so I just got to wander around and watch. Okay, cool. And Jesse, I know you were wandering around kind of recording and doing a bit of live streaming and stuff on, on to the, your guys' um, Facebook page. Um, I've still yet to go back and actually watch a load of that stuff, but I'm looking forward to doing it. Um, what was your kind of favourite moment that you got on camera for people to go and look at? Jeez, um, I really couldn't pick. Um, I, I had the Scarbrand moment. I'm pretty sure I got a close up of the Vermin Lord Deceiver climbing up the mountain. Uh, there was here and there. There were a couple of different random things and. Um, uh, I really don't think I can quite just pick out one. Okay, well that's always a good sign. If there's too many cool moments to to, <laughs> to know, then that's always cool. Yeah. Um, so I, think... I really kind of wish I'd gotten to see the um, dwarf guy kill the Mongol. I, I kind of said I missed that. <laughs> I think a lot of people would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> Mongols have got a lot of hate. <laughs> Jesse, he's in the room. What <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> was that, Jerry? Yes. <laughs> Hey, everyone, get over it. Mongols are awesome, but they can be killed. So, right, uh, Clint has just got a boy's own Mongol. Oh, so, uh, right, so I, I, need to, I need to buy some um, hunters possessed and try and kill some Mongol. <laughs> <laughs> just play a hundred games just to kill that Mongol. Cool. Well, that sounds like um, some really cool coverage of the event. Um, and obviously you've mentioned already that there's some things there you're thinking of taking on for future events. So while we've got you on, do you want to just, um, I guess, tell the listeners about your upcoming events you've got and, um, I guess, plug those events? Gosh, we have a few. Uh, we have one on this Sunday, but I don't think anyone from Sydney's going to come. No. <laughs> yeah. P.S. <laughs> it's already happened. Sorry, I didn't edit quick enough. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Cut you. Uh, well, so how did got... that event go? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, quite convenient the bybuster army that I made somehow tabled everybody in the future. You're, supposed to, say every, you're supposed to say everybody won because we all had a good time. Every there you single go. one. Yeah, what, what, what? The hobby one. The hobby one. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, uh, 
And did anybody walk out, Jesse, like they have from every other event we've run in last, the last couple of times? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, Clint popped in that morning and somebody raged quit straight away after seeing Clint, so I had to get the, so that's why the buy bus I had to play. That's four people now, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't even happened yet. Hasn't even happened yet and Clint's already made someone just quit, rage quit. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So yeah, Ed. Yes. Your future okay, events. So, so we have March of the Damned, which is the 11th and 12th of March. I see what you uh, did there. Very sorry, very I see what you did there. March of the Damned. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a cop out. That one doesn't sound as good as April of the Damned. So the 2500.5 round match play event over two days here in lovely Toowoomba. Um, which I believe you're coming to, Chris. I hopefully am, if I can get away um, for the weekend. But I am intending on coming, yes. So, okay. And James? Uh, probably maybe. won't be able to make this one, unfortunately. That's okay. It's a Toowoomba. I would probably skip it too if I could. <laughs> oh, okay. I won't come then. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to, though. Just kidding. I want, I want to get my trees some action. And also to have the chance to play a 2,500-point list is um, always something I like to jump at when I can. Yeah, a lot of people are like, okay, well, now I have to play an extra, you know, 500 points or whatever, so that's one extra star, Drake. Are you, yeah. uh, are you for that, obviously, a 2,500-point, are you allowing more time? Are you building more time into the games, or are people still going to have to try and complete them in two and a half hours? Uh, after seeing what happened at uh, CamCon where 99% of the people had all finished well before the time, I'm not worried about extending the games. Cool, fair enough. So, still two and a half hours. I'm always that 1%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I was really taken aback by how quickly people finished games at CanCon, so, um, which then mucked up some of my other plans, but... Um, uh, no, uh, Master's End will be interesting, yeah, 2,500 points, it's a bit bigger, um, it's, we're not being as brutal on unpainted models as we, uh, as we were at CanCon and will be at future events, uh, just because it's, it's the first two-dayer in town for Asia Sigma, so we're trying to, to get some of these people who are, uh, maybe not as AOS-focused to just kind of come along and get them into the scene more so yeah sure and also that helps out with the two and a half k list as well it's a lot more to pay oh, yeah yeah it's 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 a bigger size than a lot of people play um locally so and is yep. that, is that going to be using general's handbook scenarios uh at this stage yes yeah cool so yep. that was the 11th and 12th of march march yep in toowoomba in Toowoomba, cool. which you can fly to from Sydney and Melbourne, direct. And you can stay in Clint's hobby um, cave, hobby shed. There are, there, if you'd like to. There's enough space on the floor for maybe five, <laughs> six people if we call you up. Yeah, yeah. rid of the beanbags. So. Yeah, lovely concrete floor. <laughs> cool, so that's one event. Have you got any others events coming up soon that we, people can prepare for? Well... We are being invaded by the Sydney AOS scene at our next event after that, which is BrizCon. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the last weekend in April, the 29th and 30th. And then I know the Monday is a public holiday up here. I'm not sure about you guys. I hadn't even thought about that. I'm um, hoping it will be. Which um, holiday is it? Queen's birthday? Uh, for us it's be, Labor Day. It'd be Easter. Oh, oh Labor Day. No, it probably wouldn't be for us then. Okay. Yeah, so for us it's it's a long weekend, which makes it a good option for people travelling. So once again, it's another two-day event. Uh, BruceCon, once upon a time, it was a big gaming convention-y type thing uh, in Brisbane. And it's just um, trying to get its legs back again. This will be the first time that Age of Sigma has been at it. Um, and so we're just running a, another two-day event, 2,000 points. It's, it's pretty much a repeat of CanCon. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a bit bit of a... Uh, we've learnt uh, from our experiences at CanCon. We've refined the scoring. We've refined the painting rubric. Um, we've refined how we're going to pick best painted as well. Cool. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we, we've kind of... The day after I got back from CanCon, I went through and re-edited all these players' packs and stuff like that. Yeah. So, that, yeah. So, BruceCon, 2,000 points, two days, five rounds, 29th and 30th of April. And so far, uh, everybody who signed up is from Sydney. (laughs) So, we are being well and truly invaded. I, t- I told you once once CanCon had happened and we got them down, they'd all be they'd all be so keen, so. hungry, super keen, super keen. It's awesome super though excited. the interstate tournament scene, which was really big in previous editions of Warhammer, is has kind of kicked off again now for AOS, which is which is great. It's brilliant, yeah, yeah. So mm. when Sydney events start happening soon, hopefully, you guys yeah. are going to have to come down to those. Well, I think uh, Mark and I were discussing heading down to Sydney event um, yesterday during hobby time. So. Oh, yeah, cool. Are there any others that people should know about, or is that everything you've got on the radar at the moment? Uh, probably in September we're going to run our Unlikely Brotherhood event again, which is the random doubles, but I'm not sure entirely how big we're going to make that. Um, but hopefully we can we can make it a an event on the on the national calendar, so to speak. And but obviously being doubles, it's a bit harder. Yeah. But, yeah. And will there be a masters put on later in the year? Are you going to run that, or is that sort of open to whoever wants to put their hand up? Or Clint's hoping to actually be participating in the masters, so yeah, he'll yeah. be running it. <laughs> it. It will more likely fall to uh, Mark and I. Uh, okay. Yeah, the heralds. The heralds will probably run this first year of masters, uh, based on the on the rankings. So, yeah, uh, there is a little while to go before we get even remotely close to starting to plan that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think it's another eight months away or something like that. <laughs> so, so while I've nebulously started thinking about it, I haven't sort of got any specifics. But my hope is that this year we'll have it in Brisbane somewhere. Yeah, uh, and then next year, you know, if, if somebody in Sydney can host it, you know, we're not averse to running something in different states, yeah. um, as evidenced by CanCon. But it, hopefully, we can sort of move the masters around 
Um, Go to a different state every year. Yeah, the capital cities where people are playing. And I think it, um, previously, previously at all, it was in Canberra every year, I think, mm. um, which is a bit tough to get to for a lot of people sometimes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, no, Masters will definitely happen uh, probably early December. Yep. And, uh, and obviously more details will definitely follow. And I'll probably hit you guys up for a bit of a, a spot on your show to, to spook it as well once we get closer. Yeah, I mean, just quickly for listeners that might not be aware, because um, CanCon was the first kind of event in Australia for Age of Sigma that the Masters kind of rankings were officially pushed. Um, I know you guys have been kind of again the drivers behind that and have set that up and which is why you're kind of at the moment controlling all of the the masters rankings do you want to just briefly explain what the masters is how you accumulate points um so again if people are listening and they think oh that sounds like something i'd like to do how they can get involved and 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 be involved in the masters okay so um we are running the australian match play rankings uh which was a a name one of the chaps in Melbourne came up with um, to kind of um, really put the narrative AOS players at ease a little bit. But no, um, it's rank, uh, player rankings from around Australia and if TOs would like their events to count, all they have to do is make sure that they submit um, their, their results. And players are able to then see where they rank nationally against their, the people that they play against normally and then um, those from interstate and things like that. So um, a tournament doesn't have to be huge to qualify. It just has to have 12 people and three rounds. Um, That's good for the one-dayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, if and the points... So if you win a five uh five round you know 30 player event you get 100 points and so as the number of rounds are scaled and the number of players are scaled back those points kind of scale back as well so yeah uh that just balances that out again you know one day events against two day events yeah um and so as you said earlier cancun was the first event where that was actively pushed um, we are running the sort of the, the season, I guess you could say, for rankings uh, from the 1st of November to the end of October, so the 31st of October. That's, you know, the year for rankings. And then the top 16 players uh, will be invited uh, to the Masters to, to basically come play and see who the Australian Age of Sigma Master is um, well, for this year um, initially and then hopefully every year after that. Um, That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I think uh, just leading on into that, for the, looking into the future, I know getting off the track a little bit, but do you think there's any scope uh, over the next few years for uh, international teams, uh, Age of Sigma tournaments um, with Australian representatives perhaps travelling to places like Adepticon or over to um, the UK to participate in in uh, international tournaments. Do you think that's something in the future? Um, as, as, what, as far as a team, team tournament? Yeah, like, so you could draw, draw upon like, something like the Masters can be a way to pick an Australian team 
uh, to go overseas and compete with other countries. Yeah, I, I don't see why that wouldn't happen. Uh, I know that uh, Ben Curry of Bad Dice fame has sort of kicked off a Six Nations tournament for this year. Oh, okay. Um, over over in the UK and Europe, and um, he has sort of said that uh, going forward, I think he wants to grow it so that people, you know, you know, uh, the, the Australians and um, the US and places like that can uh, send teams over and we kind of build our own international teams tournament and things like that. And the Masters can definitely be a factor, I think, for, you know, uh, picking those teams. Yeah. That's exciting yeah. times, isn't it? It's a great time to be in the hobby. Definitely, definitely. It, 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 even if you're not a... Uh, competitive player. Um, it's still quite cool to see um, how you how how you rank against other people in Australia and things like that. And yeah, yeah. I think I that's know. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of the Sydney guys are, are really quite excited was because I think because Age of Sigma is still quite new. Most players are still quite new, um, so I think quite a few of the Sydney guys did really well at CanCon and I don't think they were necessarily expecting to kind of be the players that were towards the like I think there was quite a few of them in the top 10 for example so that's kind of really got them buzzed for future events and going seeing the scores posted and going oh this is my ranking in the Masters already after kind of obviously it was only really the first or second event Um, but yeah that has actually got people really buzzed and a lot of them they're not really overly competitive guys either they're not the sort of like they'll really happily play narrative they're not just like oh I must come out to just win the tournament but but having that little bit of kind of prestige and stuff behind it has has been a real driver for them wanting to attend more tournaments as well so I think it it, the addition of it is really useful Um, regardless of what type of player you are it's still fun to go to a tournament just to play games um, and it will just help boost attendance across tournaments. Mm. As in in you know eighth edition of Warhammer, I used to go to tournaments. I wasn't a competitive player, uh, but I I got quite excited when I broke through that two that top two hundred players in Australia kind of thing. Yeah, it was no it by no means an excellent rank or anything like that. But it was like cool, you know. I've been to these tournaments and I've worked my way up and things like that and hmm. it wasn't out of any super competitiveness or anything like that. It was just quite cool to keep track of how you're going and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. So you, you said um, if TOs are running any events and they want to submit them to the Masters, um, that that's what they need to do. Are there any details? Like, uh, Is there a page on your website um, that explains how they go about submitting results? Uh, yes. Uh, if they go to heraldsaward.com forward slash rankings info, uh, that will be a page that, um, that explains uh, what their tournament must do to qualify, and it will also have a sample spreadsheet there that they can put their results into. And... Um, it's one of those things where it's only going to be as accurate as people, uh, the information people give us. So recording people's allegiances and things like that is going to be really important so that, you know, we can find top Stormcast player or, you know, top Demons of Corn player. 
uh, in Australia rather than just top chaos, order, death and destruction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so at, initially, as we just kind of start filtering these, um, uh, some of these results in that kind of weren't as specific, it's going to take a little while to shake out. But yeah, no, on that page will be all the, uh, all the informa- information that TOs need to, uh, uh, to submit their uh, events. Fantastic. That's that's great information because I know Chris is going to be running some events this year and also Eric's uh, got some events he'd like to run this year too, so it's, uh, that's good information. Good to know. Thanks, Clint. Yep, yep. And uh, to actually get to the rankings themselves, uh, it's just rankings.heraldsofwar.com. So. Cool. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. Again, thank you so much for running um, CanCon and really looking forward to all of your future events you've got coming up. Um, obviously, you've got your own podcast, which kind of started it off really for Age of Sigma in Australia, which is Heralds of War. Um, but do you want to just, again, just say your website and how people can get in touch with you? Okay, so well, at the website, heraldsofwar.com, uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter as Heralds of War, so facebook.com forward slash Heralds of War, and on Twitter at Heralds of War. Um, we also have our own individual uh, Twitter handles, most of us. Uh, Jesse's, what's yours? Do yours first, I go for what mine is. Okay, good, right. So mine is at clunkau, so C-L-U-N-C-A-U. Jesse's is at boiling underscore point underscore and Mark doesn't use Twitter. <laughs> Mark has a Twitter handle but it's lost to the eons of chaos. <laughs> yeah. Twi- <laughs> Mark don't Twitter. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for ha- sure. thanks again for coming on. It's been great to chat and um, I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. Um when we're talking hopefully at your next event definitely cool thank you for having us on thank you no worries thanks guys cheers boys cheers see you hi guys Chris here just a quick note to say unfortunately I wasn't able to edit this podcast quick enough um, to get it out before March of the Damned which you've just heard the Herald's advertising we will do some coverage on that event in a future episode um, but yeah, sorry that we didn't get this out in time. Um, but anyway, hopefully you enjoyed that interview, and we now have an interview with the winner of CanCon. Okay, so by the power of the internet and, well, Skype, we're joined by the winner of CanCon 2017, Luke Taylor. How you going, mate? Good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. A bit hot recording tonight, but um, it's all good. Um, how's things? You still still celebrating your win? Uh, yeah, still celebrating the win. Um, still playing more games as well. You'd think I might be over it after that, but no, still playing more games. <laughs> <laughs> you, you play quite hey, a lot, um, don't you? Sorry? You play quite regularly anyway, don't you? Yeah, I try and play a couple times a week. So Luke, how did you actually celebrate your win? Your wind? Um, your wind. wind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's 
Um, I don't think I really celebrated. I tried to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. <laughs> yeah. After all that snoring, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a lot of snoring. Um, yeah, for the listeners, there was 10 of us staying in a room, um, and there was a lot of snoring and not a lot of sleep. And there was a lot of wind. <laughs> James, you and your wind. Stop with the wind. <laughs> so anyway, mate, congratulations anyway. Obviously, we know you were the winner. So let's just go, let's just take it back a step. Um, and let's just, can you just run us through the two lists you took? Uh, yes, so I took um, Mixed Chaos for one of my clients. It was as a lot of uh, internet Age of Sigma players would know the Terry Pike list. Um, it had uh, Great Unclean One, Kairos Fate Weaver, Sail the Faithless, three units of ten Plague Bearers, six Storm Fiends, Warpire Projectors, and two Cannons, or Lightning Cannons. So the, um, the second list was a Clan Skyer formation. Um, it had a Arc Warlock and two of the Gauntfire Engine Governs, which both had a Warlock Engineer in each, um, a Warp Grinder Weapon Team in each, two Warpire Thrower Weapon Teams in each, one had three Storm Fiends with Warpire Projectors, the other had two units of three Storm Fiends, one with Warpire Projectors uh, and one with Shock Gauntlet, and then I had a Bailwind Vortex as well in there for the Arc Warlock. Nice. So that so- was my list. Yeah, so a lot of mortal wound output. Yeah. Yeah. In both lists, really. Cool. So do you want to just do a run through of your games for us? Um, obviously we heard you, we heard an interview with you after, uh, after day one, um, which I recorded down in Canberra. But yeah, if you just want to do a run through of, of your five games, go into as much detail as you like, really. Um, and yeah, just kind of tell us how they went. Okay. Uh, well, my first game was actually against uh, Dan Brewer, who was staying with us in the um, cabin. Um, we'd been talking, like, had quite a bit of banter before the games, actually, and he thought that I was going to use my Clan Sky army, um, but sort of, I think, t- closer towards the um, the actual day, he started to realise that I probably wouldn't use that against him, as it wouldn't be the most effective army against his. He had Tomb Kings. Uh, so I ran my mixed chaos list, and I basically just deployed with all the plague bearers in front and everything else slightly further back, and the storm fiends to one flank, all kind of near Sail and Kairos. Um, let him have the first turn because I finished deploying first. Um, he just shot the big unit of Necronites at me in the first turn. Um, kind of, he kind of left it unsupported by doing that because. All I actually managed to, to kill was four Plague Bearers and put, although he did put seven wounds on the uh, Great Unclean one, he kind of just got all of those wounds back after one turn um, with the D3 and then Kairos casting uh, the Great Unclean one spell back through the Great Unclean one to heal him a further D3 wounds and damage the Necronites in the process. And then the Storm Fiend sort of shot those off in the, my first turn. I got the double turn. Uh, moved on to the objective, shot Cetra off with the Storm Fiends. Um, he, he managed to save one, he had one wound left with the save, and I used Kairos' ability to um, make him fail the save. Nice. <laughs> so there you go. There's, there's already a really useful Not use of Kairos 
not using the turn roll because yeah. he can't change that now. So that's awesome. So Cetra would have lived, but Kairos changed his fate. Yes, he did. That was probably the highlight for me in the game because it was it was amusing, and Cetra then did not get to do anything the whole game. Like that was it. He moved forward and then got murdered, basically. <laughs> nice. Um, and that sounds the, like really. It was very close. Sorry? Oh, I was just going to say that sounds like really good play from you in using Kairos to cast the Great Unclean One spell to heal the Great Unclean One as well in that earlier turn. That's really smart play there. Yeah, I kind of knew that if the Great Unclean One survived, I'd be able to get him back up pretty quickly with those two things. That's another bonus of Kairos is knowing all allied spells within range. So I think he's more useful than people give him credit for now that he's lost the uh, priority role. Um, shenanigans, but anyway, hopefully then I'm the only one that runs him and everyone thinks he's trash. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know certainly from all the lists I've seen online with people playing him up until recently, basically everyone was paying 300 points to be able to use him for that guaranteed priority to role, which seemed to me like quite a, a lot of points for that. Whereas um, I know, yeah, from chatting to you, you like to use him generally his utility of knowing all spells and just having that dice and using it for other things and obviously it paid off for you so good good one yeah it certainly did in my first game um so in the end though it was very close um i only managed to get one more um like point than him on the on the main objective but i did end up tabling him and this was board, this was border war right Paris. yeah it was border war yeah yeah so he still gave you a good um, fight despite losing his snakes and Cetra quite early on from the sounds okay. of it. Yeah, he did. He really did. It was, a, it was a closer game than I think it looked at the end of the game. So, but yeah, so that was the first game. Yeah. I was just saying, that happens quite often in Age of Sigma, doesn't it? Yeah. You'll get those really wise. Yeah. yeah, it's funny how I thought how it works like that. <laughs> um... My second game, I ended up playing against Duncan Underwood, and he had a pure bonus splitters list. So I knew that I probably wasn't going to be able to kill actually that many models in his army because I think he had like 120 orcs. Yeah. But he was he was a fairly new player, um, so I had to kind of I sort of coached him through the game a little bit, um, and I played my Skyrim in that army in that game. It was taken hold. He only had one unit of Savage Hawks within range of the objective in his deployment zone, so I basically waited till turn three and then brought both covens up on both objectives, removed that unit of Savage Hawks and another smaller unit to the side, and that basically, that was the game. Ah, okay, so his, although he had all those bodies, I guess, like you say, him being a bit of a beginner player kind of didn't, didn't really realise he needed to stay on those objectives in order to to hold that scenario so you just knowing that you couldn't necessarily chew through all those wounds actually thought you'd wait so that you didn't maybe if you'd gone earlier he would have realized he needed to pull back and you wouldn't have got it but instead you decided i'm not going to go for vp like kill points i'm just going to wait and then tunnel up kill 10 orcs and i'll be done with it yeah, I just figured just play the play the scenario and just play the major objective. Don't worry too much about VPs. I mean, as you say, yeah, and Savage Orcs are just so hard to get VPs out of because there's so many wounds in in the units. Yeah, um, there did seem to be quite a few fairly new players there with full bone splitter lists, didn't there? 
Yeah, there was. I mean, he had four hunting rucks in his army. Four? I thought there was three. That's, yeah, that's crazy. But it's, it's yeah. I, I feel like if they're new players, people they know might have just said, oh, here's a lit Like, if they've said, oh, I want to be able to compete, and someone's basically just gone, yeah, sure, Matt, like, Theory Hammer, this list is super powerful, and just gone, here you go, use this. But they take a lot of playing, and also it's probably one of the worst armies for a new player because you have to be so quick with it to actually do all your shooting and everything just because of the sheer amount of dice rolls. Yeah, and, and even he wasn't enjoying playing it um, towards the end because of, he didn't realise how many dice. So someone else wrote, wrote the list for him. Right, okay. So he just, he, he'd never played with, it, with that particular list before the event. Uh, fair enough. These but, things happen. At least good on him for... Good on him for turning up to a tournament, having never played before with a list. Shame that he wasn't enjoying it towards the end, but good that you sort of coached him about it. Did he ask you at all about how to go with the list going forwards? Yeah, I did. I gave him a bit of advice on what he should should do to it. Um, potentially, like, really, he had a lot too many cutting rocks to start with. Like, you don't need that many. I said you could cut it back to one, have one archer unit big instead of having, like, four units of... 20 archers. Yeah. He could have just had like a large unit. Um, and he had no magic, so he wasn't actually getting any of the combos on the archers, so they weren't doing anything. Um, he had a second list with a Thunder Tusk in it, which he played the whole the last two games on the second day, just because he wanted to play something a little bit different. So Yeah, okay. Cool. So that's two games in, two major victories. Um, so game three. Game three, I played against uh, Ash McEwen and his... Uh, Iron Jaws with Gordrak. Nice. Ash is, uh, Ash is one of the Sydney boys, um, rocking Gordrak. Um, did pretty well for himself, actually, especially taking Gordrak, who I think he, he knew going into the event that Gordrak wasn't necessarily the best choice at 700 points. Everyone was sort of saying, oh, take the standard more crusher. He's more competitive. But, uh, but credit to Ash, he said, no, I like Gordrak. I want to play Gordrak. And he did really well for himself. Yep. So, cool. Yeah, well, he was on two majors in the first in the first day when he played up when he came up against me. So he was um, awesome. and we nominated for um, one of the for the painting as well. He is beautifully yeah, painted. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those armies that I had never really looked at that much before. I think I'd always gone past it and gone, "Oh, it was it's in progress painting." But then when I actually had a look at it. It's so well painted. It's really detailed. I think the only thing with it that makes you think it's not done is I think a lot of the yellow, it looks like washed yellow, so it looks quite muted. And I don't know whether that's that's potentially making it look less like it's not fully painted. Maybe maybe it needs a stronger yellow to just make it pop. But actually, going and looking at it, regardless of whether it pops or not, it's so well painted. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, my favourite part about his army is actually the way he painted, painted the um, skins on the drums. Just the, the blending he achieved on that, and also his war chanter's face is amazing. It's, like, so crisp, so clean. Um, I just love looking at his army. Um, and I know we're getting off the track a little bit, but I was just going to make a quick note on the painting awards. Um, in, at CanCon, it was about being... Uh, best presented so it wasn't just specifically about how well your paint your army was painted um and i think the armies that um that didn't receive as much attention as um 
as, like, say, Blake's army, who took away the prize. Um, they didn't have um, a like, display board or something like that to really present the army nicely. And I think um, with Ash's army, I definitely believe if, uh, if he had, like, a, a really beautiful, um, like, uh, presentation board, uh, that would have definitely lifted and brought more attention to the army. Um, yeah. That's just, I know I'm getting off the track there, but that's just my comment on that. Yeah, maybe given that he's done some beautiful lava basing on the whole thing, maybe a big kind of, I don't know, like the whole army surging down an erupting volcano or something like that would be yeah. pretty cool with all the lava streams around to tie in the basing. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, Ash, uh, Ash if you're listening, there's some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> but me personally, I got lucky because Luke, um, our esteemed guest, um, very kindly allowed me to um, borrow his his display board for my army. So that's a lesson learned for me too. So definitely worthy of um, exploration and getting our acts together, collective acts together to really present our armies nicely at events. I think it's a, a next level um, thing that we can all like aspire to for future events. Yeah, it's something I've never done, but I've been thinking about doing it just as a kind of a project. I mean, I'm never going to be in the running for a painting award. I just I just can't spend the time needed to do it. And I just, let's be honest, I don't have the skill painting-wise. My army will look oh, okay. Oh, come on, yes, you do. No, You're I don't. Nice. It, it, looks, yes, you do. it looks fine. But I think what I'm saying is, <laughs> even at the standard mine's painted to, if I, if I did a display board, it might still at least get a judge's look by and say, look, this is something people can at least look at. So maybe I'll try and go for that. I'm never gonna I'm never gonna win anything with it. But even just for me, just having something to present the army nicely would be cool. So yeah, maybe maybe we should do a little project and all make a display board. Yeah, well I think um <laughs> maybe something you could explore is um the traditional uh stormcast um, deployment, perhaps, and just have all your uh, stormcast in the clouds or in the celestial realm, so you can set them up in like a space, a spacey celestial display board where you're all kind of encapsulated mid-flight to your deployment onto the battlefield or something. All I'm hearing is rats. All I'm hearing is surround them in cotton wool, just in the clouds. Okay, well. That's something to, to think about anyway. But anyway, Luke, back to you. Um, how would your next game go against Ash? Uh, so my game against Ash went um, well for me again. Um, I played uh, the Skylist again. Uh, it was... Was that on Border War? No, that was... Um, Blood and Glory. Blood and Glory, yeah. 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 Um, so he put Gordrak on one flank by himself on one of the objectives and then basically the rest of his army on the total other flank. Um, I just, first turn, popped up, uh, removed Gordrak from the table with the small engine cover. Oh. Along with just the one unit of storm. Just shot him off the table before he got to do anything. Yeah. Um, failed to uh, cast Summon Bow and Vortex in the first turn, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so that Ark Warlock didn't really get to do anything and then he sort of moved, he just kept sort of bunching the rest of his army up together under on a piece of terrain to try and get cover and I didn't really understand why because none of my shooting gives you a save. So yeah. I just, um, 
<laughs> he just then moved on to the other objectives. We had two, and I had two, and we were pretty even there. Um, he failed a couple of charges with his pigs on the smaller engine coming that I brought up on the first turn, uh, and so that kind of just they eventually just got killed by the storm fiends in that coven. Um, and then I brought my other coven up on turn three and basically just took off the rest of his army aside from the general. So the clan so I ate well that night with um, roast pork and orc. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, spit pork and orc. Uh, nothing like it. Crispy. Nice. Crispy. <laughs> So I didn't get his I didn't get his whole army because um, he still had a couple of brutes left in one of the units and he had the big boss left. But I got I got most of it um, and I got the major victory. So that was at the end of day one. That was three majors. So that was pretty good. Can't complain there. Definitely. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then so the day two. Next day I had to play against Jose in the first game, another Tomb King's army, um, and that was on three places of power. Again, I took my Skyer. Um, I gave him first turn and probably regretted it the, me- the minute he popped two scorpions and stalkers up and removed the Ark Warlock. Um, okay. That's the first thing he did. Um, but that was, that's okay. I was able to recover from that anyway and brought up both my covens in the first turn. Um, and I actually took the damage and brought up the Combat Storm Fiend unit directly in combat. Okay. Um, knowing that even if I rolled a six, I wasn't going to lose one Storm Fiend. So because they have seven wounds each, so I knew that I'd still get my full round of damage before they got removed. Nice. And that kind of worked out because I pretty much removed everything except for the Ashabti, two chariots, and a unit of ten skeletons on that first um, initial pop-up. Um, he then brought up Stalkers and killed one, one of my Warlock Engineers, um... What else happened? What else happened? It was a tough game. It really was a, a close game. Um, yeah, I remember. End, it, it, I remember quite early on, Clint coming over and walking past my table and just sort of looking with a bit of a face on at your table, saying, "Arch Warlock just got taken off by two scorpions," and I was like, "Oh, I think Luke might have forgotten about the tunneling that they can do um, and stuff." So yeah, we were kind of watching that game from the corner of our eyes, but. <laughs> kind of ironic there, another tunneling, another tunneling force coming up and playing you out in your own game there. <laughs> well, he had way more tunneling than I did, um, if you think of, like, individual units. He actually had, uh, like, two units of stalkers that tunneled, two units of scorpions, a character that tunneled, um, and that was what made it draw on the um, major, and it ended up coming down to um, a minor, and I, I, I pretty much cleared most of his army aside from a unit of stalkers uh, and and the scorpions by the end of turn five. Wow. That was a minor to me in the end. So he actually managed to tie you out on the objectives and you got it on VPs. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, well, very, yeah. very close. But still, yes. so game five, you're on table one, you're on three majors and a minor, and yeah, yeah. T- just talk us through uh, so that I had to, had to play against uh, Matt Campbell, another one of your Sydney siders. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, he had arguably one of the strongest lists of the event with the double Stonehorn, double Thunder Tusk, three units of ten Savage Orc, destruction efficiency. 
Yep, yep. I I know it well. It was uh, it was my game four in three places, which was probably my worst yes. matchup. Um, as I think uh, as I think we've heard about earlier in the podcast. Um, yeah, it's a very tough list. Um, but yeah, anyway, how did you deal with it? Uh, so I took Sky again, and I had a feeling I slightly got into Matt's head before the game anyway, as he hadn't ever played against Sky before, so he didn't really know what to expect. So I, I gave him the book, let him read through it all, so he completely understood what was going to happen and discussed it all with him. Um, and it was Gift of Heaven, so I got lucky and deployed my upwalk in the far right bottom-hand corner of the map. Um the objective managed to land there for me. Oh, a bit of luck, yeah. So I managed to get points straight away, so that was a bit of luck. Yeah. His then land in the opposite um, side of the table, like in the opposite corner. Yep. So they were really far away from each other. He deployed um, both Stonehorns on one flank, not where the objective landed, and both Thundertusks on the far flank. I think he probably could have made it a little bit better if he had a Stonehorn a little bit closer. Um, to help them because I just brought, as soon as his objective landed in turn two, I just brought my big engine coven straight up on the objective, um, removed both the Thunder Tusks in one turn, a unit of Savage Orcs, um, and that was, he was already starting to then move towards my, my objective to get my ally with both, uh, Stonehorns, so kind of he was out of the game for a little bit, especially with one of them. He managed to get one over and removed three Storm Fiends with him just with, the impact hits, and as you know, stone hordes are yeah. ridiculous in, in close combat. Yeah. Um, so then I had to bring my other coven up on the same objective, but when I did, it just basically removed the rest of what he had. My combat storm fiends MVP for this game, 27 damage on a stone horn. Nice. Um, and it was this general. Um, after after uh, halving wounds or before halving wounds? Uh, before halving wounds. So still yeah. 14. Is well, enough, well that's dead. That's 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 full health to dead yeah. in one go. Which on a Stonehorn is very good going. Yeah, yeah. I did put a few wounds on it um, with the shooty ones before the combat, which obviously helped as well. But yeah, yeah I managed to pop him um, before he got to do much more than take out only one unit of Storm Fiend. So he didn't get his points back. I was happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, we ended up tied on. Um, like game points, and it went to me as a, as a minor because all I ended up losing was the um, one unit of Storm Fiends, the Arc Warlock, and uh, a weapon team, two weapon teams, sorry. Oh, and wow. Only, all he had left was one Stonehorn and a unit of Orcs at the end of the game, which couldn't get anywhere. So again, came down to actually tying on the scenario and just winning by VPs. Yeah. Okay, so actually... So game so actually, although Skyer and those the amount of mortal wounds your army had was super powerful, it sounds like your first game you just won by one VP, one v- uh, scenario point, and then two of them you actually drew on. It was just the fact that you did all the killing that actually made the list win. It wasn't actually super, super strong on beating your opponents in the scenarios by the sounds of things. No, not particularly. I mean, that's what Skyre is a, is more difficult to try and get the major victories in. It can table opponents quite easily, but that doesn't necessarily always win you the major victory. Yeah, nice. But you've obviously played you played it well. I know you've been playing Sky for a long time, and obviously we were we were staying 
in the same room together and I know before the event you said you were bringing it and you were coming to win this one and congrats mate you did it so fair play well done Sky has a tournament win now so finally <laughs> thank you <laughs> so you, you're putting it away now right please <laughs> um, I won't be bringing it I won't be bringing it to the next event anyway Okay. Um, I may still bring it to RCGT just because I'm working on a like proper sky theme display board. Nice, nice. So mm. that that's. Um, but depending, I might start really enjoying with this uh, disciples of Zen Charmy and not want to play the sky anyway. At the moment, it's in the display cabinet at Warhammer Capella Barn. So cool. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like me and James might have to get our display board building on. I think I'm going to have to just. Um, Something I'm gonna to have to get a clan sky list myself. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it, James. Don't. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for running us through your five games, Luke. Sounds like you had five good games anyway. Um, you did you have? What was your highlight for the whole weekend, other than winning? If you had to pick one thing, um, what was your highlight? Um, I actually think in my first game, using Karos's ability to kill to make sure Setra died. Nice. <laughs> I think a lot of people will agree with that. Uh, it was completely the funniest thing that happened in all the games. <laughs> I, I like to think I like to think Kairos just said Cetra will kneel and just changed the dice. <laughs> actually, he actually knelt when he received his second place award. It was like kneel, kneel, and he knelt. We're like, take it off him. Take it off here. Yeah, I was shouting at him. He's lost, he's lost. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, that's awesome. Congrats again, mate. Um, and I think you're now, given that it's your next project, as you just said there, you're going to help us kind of do a bit of a review of the Disciples of Zinch battle time now that we've got it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Well, we'll just we'll just take a quick break. Um, and then we'll come back with a review of Disciples of Zinch. Hi everyone, just Chris here again. We just finished um, that interview with Luke um, and obviously continue to do a full ba uh, review of the new Battle Time Disciples of Zinch, but we decided that this episode was already quite long, so we put it out as a separate show. So that will be coming to you a couple of weeks after this one, um, so there definitely won't be as long a delay between episodes this time around. Um, and yeah, I think that should be quite quite a good listen um there's some little things that we go through with the book um little tips and tricks and it's a fairly in-depth review so yeah hopefully it'll make good listening anyway we now are just going to wrap up the episode with a summary of my overall games um and then that's it for cancon 2017 it's been a really long show so thanks for sticking with us guys so yeah that was the end of my five games yeah so how, how did you join the tournament chris so I got three major wins, a minor win, which if I'd remembered the scenario should have been a major win, um, but that's my fault, and a major loss, unfortunately. Um, so that put me eighth overall, which I'm really pleased with. Um, top ten. I wanted to be top ten, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm really pleased with that. Um, and also knowing, looking at the scores, I think the, I think second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, I think, were all on four major wins mm. and one loss, and they were the they were just like ranked on kill points. Yeah. So had my minor 
um, against Chris Tott in Taken Hold. <laughs> this game will never be forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> had had my minor been a major, if I'd remembered I needed five models, then I also would have been in there with four majors, and I think only Dan Brewer, who came second, had more kill points than me out of all those people, so I yeah. would have been third. So... Mm. Yeah, that game against Chris and me forgetting I needed five models. I think I think cost me a podium, um, but I'm I'm still more than happy with eighth. Um, knowing that I could have been third as well is is great, um, but I'm not I'm not devastated. And Chris, you gave me a great game, mate. I'm never going to hold that against you. You got my best opponent vote, um, and I'm never going to do that again. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, um, so yeah, no, I had a great. So that's a win. Yeah, exactly, that's a win. Um, so now I had a great time. Um, I think all of the top ten got um, a voucher from um, Combat Company, who yes. were one of the sponsors. So that was pretty cool to still kind of walk away with something and have all of the top ten recognised was really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know many events that do that kind of level of price support in terms of acknowledging the the whole top ten. So hmm. that was really cool. Um, but yeah, out of fifty players to come to come eighth and knowing. If I'd moved a couple of models, it would have been third. It's, it's good, but um, let it go, Chris. Yeah, I know. Let it go. I can't. I just can't. I'm not Elsa. I just can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so eighth out of fifty um, for my first big fifty-player event like that. I'm, yeah. I'm really pleased. Biggest with it. one in Australia to date for Age of Sigma. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm really pleased with it. Um, I'm pleased I got a final kind of outing with the Harbinger Chamber as well. Mm, um, yeah. I decided before the event that. I was going to kind of retire after that event because I didn't want to just... I don't want to be known as just the like, guy that that's the only list I play. Yeah. Um, well, under the I'll, new Stormcast rules as well, you probably can't use it anymore, is that right? Yeah, I think with the new stuff that's coming out, um, mm. it's not... The Harbinger Chamber, as I've been running it anyway, I don't think it's legal anymore. Yeah, um, right. there you go. But, um, yeah, but that's fine. I wanted to move on anyway, so I'm kind of glad I got to do five games with it, um, do well again, and then I can I can shelve it. Um, and I'll use bits and pieces of it going forwards in future Stormcast lists, but I'll never take that list. So now I'm just looking forward to focusing on my Sylvaneth, which are my new project. Woo! Um, so looking forward to getting my trees out and beating up some people. <laughs> yeah, bit of dry my, brushing. Beating up some people with my wood. Get your get your, get your uh, airbrush and some dry airbrush brushing. Airbrush and dry brush. Get your tea leaves. Nah, get no s- tea leaves, mate. No tea leaves? No tea leaves. Oh. Nah, I've got some... There's a nod to Sam. <laughs> I've got some, uh, like, autumnal grass flock... Um, that's kind of greeny brown that is just going to go over all the bases um, and then I've got loads of multiple like loads of different colour flower kind of bunches yeah. um, that go on top so I've got like purples and reds and yellows mm. and whites yeah, cool. so the idea is that it, they'll basically be in like a big meadow with yeah. loads of flowers and <clears> stuff Would you say that your basing's it, it's, it's going to be the basing's going to tie your army together considering you're going to be taking this army to a tournament next week at time of recording yeah. So you gonna... the the aim is yeah for this one definitely is to try and just get the basing done at least because mm. otherwise they're just going to be sprayed brown. I think if I at least get that pop of green and color, it'll yeah. just make say so just the dryads will pretty yeah. much look alright to be honest. Yeah. Um, even just plain brown. Um, but yeah, that'll then get I'll get the airbrush out, get some practice with that. I haven't used one before, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, airbrush the main colors on and then dry brush to well wash it dry brush it just to add depth and texture and yeah. and then maybe do go back and do some I'm thinking of just doing details. some different coloured washes for the weapons like just yeah. kind of painting the bows of like the Celestra hunters grey. Celestra Grey and yeah. then doing like one unit with purple wash one unit with say orange wash and just because they have that kind of spirit 
uh, magical vibe to them so I was mm, thinking mm. I might just it helps distinguish units as well yeah, um, all, yeah. and again just Good little way. pops of colour to take away from mm. the brown because yeah. um, otherwise it is in danger of just being very brown um, <laughs> but yeah so I'm looking forward to that but we'll cover that probably in future but in terms of our CanCon episode and coverage um, I think we're both really happy it was an awesome weekend great seeing everyone from kind of Brisbane again and hanging yeah. out with them um, great to see a load of the Sydney guys come down for their kind of and first, to, first tournaments and stuff. Great to see the like the continuation of that enthusiasm and vibe. Yeah, uh, well, I know, on, and especially in in the Sydney scene, like the guys have uh, been so keen just to keep gaming, keep getting out to tournaments. Um, so I think a lot of guys are going to BrizCon. Yeah, loads of them. Well, the Sydney group did really well. Of the top ten, Dan came second. Uh, Chris Tot came fourth. Matt Campbell came fifth, Eric, Eric. came sixth, yep. Dan Sway came seventh, yep. I was eighth, and I th- uh, and then I think Ash McEwen was tenth. Yeah, and I think was Deke in there? Deke was up there as well, wasn't he? Uh, I don't think he was top ten. No, I yeah. think Blake was ninth. Oh, okay, so yes. that rounds yeah. out the top ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone was pretty up there. Sydney had sh- represented really Sydney well. Sydney represented, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there was what the first place and ninth place were Brisbane, and third place was Melbourne. It was Melbourne, yeah. But other than that, yeah. it was the other seven were all Sydney. So killing it, Sydney for the win. The Sydney boss. for the win. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think currently the the entire signed up player list for BrizCon is all Sydney people at the moment. <laughs> so come on, Brisbane, you're letting oh, the side down. So wish I could go. Oh. Um, so yeah, BrizCon is coming up at the end of April. Um, and yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. So yeah, I'll be taking the Silver Neff to that, hopefully with uh, more time on the painting. They'll be looking a lot better than they will for March of the Damned. So, so that was it, our coverage of CanCon 2017. Over four hours of it, so if you've listened all the way to the end... Thanks so much, guys. We really hope you enjoy. But for now, that's the end of episode two. So thanks for listening. You've been listening to Mortally Wounded. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at mortallywoundedpodcast.com or you can follow either of us on Twitter. I am at CDWelfare, that's W-E-L-F-A-R-E-1. And you can follow me, James, at Duke Kadrick for Twitter and Duke Kadrick on my Instagram account, that's spelled... D-U-K-E-K-H-A-D-R-I-C. We'd love to hear from you, and we always love to see photos and things that you're working on in your projects. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.
which had uh, warp grinder in each, two warp fire throwers in each. One had three storm fiends with warp fiends with warp fire with warp fire with warp fire projectors. Storm fiends, one with fire projectors, and the other with warp blaze armor and shock gauntlets. So a combat unit. Sorry, uh, mate. And I also had a. I think we lost. And a vortex. I think we lost you then on the uh, the warp fire gauntlets. Can you just record that last bit again? All I could hear was warp, uh, warp fire, warp yeah, fire, warp yeah. fire. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Luke did. That's what won in the event. He just went warp fire, warp fire, warp fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 